Welcome. We have been waiting for you. They do not want you to be here. But where others fail, you will succeed. Forget the cell. In this space, time is endless. You are now experiencing the fourth dimension. Are you ready for what lies ahead? Your mind will transcend reality. Your consciousness will be sharpened like a sword. You will lose all connection to the outside world. And nothing will ever be the same again. You have arrived. Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello, hello, hello. Good evening. Where are you? There you are. Happy days. Oh, we got some old chat on the screen. Let me get rid of that for you. Let me erase that. Ah, oh, well, we'll just leave it up there. I don't know why it's still there. Hang on, we'll replace it. Because there was that much fuck up trying to go live. I, I usually go through another program. I couldn't get it to work. And a program that puts all the chat up on the screen. So this time we're, we're only on Periscope. Live and exclusive on Periscope. I, I don't know what was going on. It was one of those things. It was just one of those things. So unfortunately, uh, the YouTube peeps, the stream.me peeps, who I really care about the most, the stream.me peeps. I mean, look, I've got lights going off here. Look, hang on a sec. Give me one second. Let me fix this light for you. <laughs> How's that? How's that? Is that better? Oh, it's a little better. We're back. We're rolling. Happy days. Happy fucking days. I'm glad we were... 
I'm glad you guys have joined us. Thanks for joining us. Promises made and promises kept. Last week I said we would get together and do the People's Show. All of the submissions that people have sent in on Twitter over the last three episodes that I haven't gotten to. I tell you what, if I stood on, if I printed them out and stood on them, I'd be taller than King Kong right now. That's how many submissions we've got. Sandra, thanks for joining us. Since I look at all of these people, thanks for joining us. Franklin, Crystal, Walks with Feathers. Who else we got? Monica, Kimmy Jong-un, Mr. Beard of Truth. It's good to see the Beard of Truth. So I am in a good mood. I'm ready to rock and roll. I feel pumped. I feel loose. I feel lithe. I feel alive. We're going to get to all of your submissions that you've sent in over the last three episodes. There's so much to get through. We could be here all night. I'm not sure. Mm. Am I am I hot? Of course. Of course. PR Stevens, thanks for joining us. Newbury Mum, good to see you. Nancy, hello there. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. I'm here, silly fish, says Stace. <laughs> so I am going to get to all of the submissions, every single one of them. Poppy Lane, thanks for joining us. It's good to see you. There's a couple of things. We, we normally do trigger me harder, master. Franklin. I usually like to do a little bit of... Uh, a dialogue at the start, but I, I'm I'm feeling like I should just whisk through that. I tell you what, I'll give you I'll di- I'll give you the shotgun version of what I had to talk about. So first of all, I've 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 taken notes. I never normally take notes, but be aware that my notes are like one line, one sentence for each topic. So I've gotten written down here. I don't even remember why I wrote it down. Shut down wall and then dash politics for a long time. Me politic you long time. Do you think that's what it could be? I'm not sure. No, shut down wall politics for a long time. I was thinking about this the other day, and I had a discussion on Twitter about it today. Where the Democrats, ladies and gentlemen, are correct is that the Republicans have had the presidency, the Congress, and the Senate for the last two years and have not produced a wall, although they could have. They also could have arguably repealed Obamacare, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. You know the attack lines. That's fine. You know the way it goes. Um, This is being used as an attack issue, a wedge issue by the Democrats. You know, hey, you you were in control for the last two years and you, you didn't build the wall. Why are you doing it now all of a sudden? Donald Trump is just playing politics. The Republicans are just playing politics, right? Well, why would you wait until the Democrats have the House before you start pushing for a wall? You're just playing politics. To that I say, absolutely, of course. It's exactly what's happening. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. Of course they're playing politics. I liken it to when the Democrats are in power and they run on things like, say, repealing or abolishing or amending the Second Amendment. And then when they actually have the ability to do so, they don't do it. They wait until they're in the minority before they start pushing for things like changing the Second Amendment. And there's a reason for that. It's called a wedge, right? The reason you don't do it when you're in power is because you want to have something to hold over the people that are in the majority when you're in the minority. Add to that, add to that mix the fact that a lot of Democrats are actually gun owners. 
believe it or not. Not all Democrats don't believe what some sections of the alternative media or the mainstream media or the professors at university will have you believe. Not all Democrats are afraid of guns or afraid of flags or hate America. More often than not, they're probably likely voting Democrat for different reasons, be it like economic reasons or tradition. I find I find here in Australia, tradition has a lot to do with the way people vote. And when I say tradition, it's very difficult to dismantle that and disrupt that. It's very hard to pry people away. You know, it's like, think of politics as a Green Bay Packers fan. <laughs> You know how the Green Bay Packers, in order to get a membership to the Green Bay Packers, somebody has to basically die and hand you their membership card, and then you can be a member at the Green Bay Packers? It's like that in politics. How many people do you know like this? Well, it can be Democrat or Republican, right? It can be Labor or Liberal. Well, I vote Republican because my daddy voted Republican, and his daddy voted Republican, and his daddy voted Republican. Or... I vote Democrat because my daddy voted Democrat and his daddy voted Democrat. And on and on and on and on it goes. Oftentimes you'll talk to these people and ask them, so what do you think about politics? What do you think about this particular policy? (laughs) You'll be surprised how often they actually agree with the party that they're voting against. But they vote for, you know, Democrat or Republican because their daddy did and his daddy did and his daddy did and his daddy did. It's like a passed down tradition. That kind of voting is very, very uh, difficult to dislodge. Very difficult. But it exists nonetheless. So when we look at what's happening now, like I understand why people are outraged, but I can I just give you like a little bit of raw boogie bumper here? The people who are... Because there's two sets of victims, right? There's Donald Trump's victims, which are you know, victims of, say, illegal immigrant crime, you know, they're taking our jobs, these people. And then there's the Democrats' victims, which are the government workers. And these two are not close together at all on the victim hierarchy. Don't get me wrong. You know, another comment I made today to a friend on Twitter was, well, okay, if we're we're assessing the victim hierarchy, I tend to think that the person crying because their government contract job is no longer you know being paid for is lower down on the spectrum than the person who is no longer breathing and can't work at all right i mean it's a big difference i'm alive but the government isn't paying me anymore versus i'm dead victim hierarchy stuff it's a tough one but You know, if you are a government employee or a subtractor of a government body or something like that, like, I'm not trying to sound unsympathetic here, but people, like, I saw people today in rallies holding up signs going, I need work. And I'm like, you can, welcome, the private sector is here to fit, you can come to the private sector. Come on to the private sector. The private sector has jobs. The private sector needs you. The private sector loves you. Are you a talented government employee with 35 years experience under your belt? Are you worried about the current government shutdown and not getting a paycheck? Well, have no fear. The private sector is here. Da, 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 da. 
I mean, that's the messaging I'd be putting out if I was the Trump administration. What's what's the point of touting a successful economy if you can't get people into the private sector? <laughs> Why are you letting the Democrats dominate the narrative with sob stories of government employees? Well, you know, I can't. I've I've been working here for forty five years and I haven't had a paycheck for four weeks. It's tough times, really. Why? Why? 45 years experience under your belt, you should be hireable like that. Private private companies should be falling over themselves to put you on the payroll. Why are you crying? What's the issue here? Well, you know, we had a big government contract and we're not getting paid. I'm a subcontractor for the government. It's heartbreaking. My kids are going hungry. Why? You must be the best of the best. I mean... The government would only hire the best subcontractors. What are you waiting for? Pick up the phone book. Pick up the classifieds. There's there's jobs waiting. There's a job out there with your name on it. Somewhere. You can do it right now. You can embrace the free market right now. The benefits are different. Exactly. So, right? So, we're talking... I'm glad you said that. The benefits are different. So what we're really dealing with here is choice, right? People are making a choice. People are choosing to go without pay. Well, you know, if I can just stick it out for a couple more weeks, then I'll get back to my really good job with the higher pay and the better benefits. It's a choice. Like I said, what's the point of touting a successful economy if everyone's too afraid to... Enter it. So, there's always that. There's always a choice. Did you keep up with... And here's the other thing, too. You know, my friend was saying, well, they're playing politics. Of course they're playing politics. And the reason that the Demo- the Republicans are doing this now is because the Democrats hold Congress and it's a power play and they're trying to wedge each other. All well and good. All fair game. That's What do you think politics is? You know, when I see these people get on TV and, you know, writing in the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, my pal, the Bearded Truth, he'll understand, he gets this stuff. Like, you kind of roll your eyes when you see people on, on TV going, oh, my God, they're playing politics. I'm like, what do you think politics is? Of course they're playing politics, you idiot. <laughs> it's all politics. They're all – how about this? Why don't we start at a foundation uh, foundation level and just assume that in politics, everybody is always playing politics all of the time? Can we do that? Can we make that our assumed truth? Can we make that the thing that we all agree on? I know we can't agree on anything. We can no longer agree on who should pee in what hole. We can no longer agree on who should be getting paid by whom. But can we at least agree in politics, everybody is doing politics all of the time? Please. Like, is that so hard? Is that a bridge too far? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Why is that so hard to believe? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They, they get up there and oh, my God. Well, you know, I, I was a long-time Donald Trump supporter, but I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted, Mr. Lemon. I'm disgusted at what the Republican Party has become. They are playing politics with people's lives. Well, of course. All politicians have always played politics with all of our lives for all time. Well, welcome to the show. 
Welcome to politics. Bravo. Do you want a medal or a biscuit? You don't get a medal if your name is Mr. Phillips. I'm, I've been told. Maybe fridge repair man of the year, 1975. Have you guys kept up with what's been happening in New York? New York passed some abortion laws. Oh, abortion. Did he say abortion? Are you talking about abortion? Yes. Yes, I'm talking about abortion. Abortion. This 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 show might be an abortion. Who knows? <laughs> A late-term abortion. <laughs> so, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at this. And I'm going to give you an upside. I'm going to give you the good side of this law that was passed in New York. And I, I can hear you reel back in horror. There's a good side? What? What the hell is what the hell is this communist prick talking about? There's no good side. Fuck this boogie bumper guy. I hate him. I hate him. I always knew he was bad. I always knew he was bad. I always knew he was terrible. This boogie bumper guy. There's a good side to the There's a good side. <laughs> Disgusting. No, but there is a good side. But I can give you the good side. But first I want to propose a question. And something, I heard a statistic earlier today. In 2012, 56% of the African-American babies in New York were aborted. 56%. I'm like, that's more than half. (laughs) I'm not good at maths, but that's more than half. I mean, even common core kids can figure out that that's more than half, right? That's a lot of fucking babies. It, it equated to like 36,000 or something like that. 36,000 babies in 2012. Aborted. <laughs> eliminated. Gotten rid of. Disposed of. And I thought to myself, why is it that when people are shot by police, a lot less than 36,000 African Americans in New York are shot by police every year? A lot less, right? A lot less. And I'm not saying that, you know, police shooting people is a good thing. I'm not really the the police state kind of guy. You know, I don't really want the police to shoot anybody, really, personally. But, you know, sometimes people shoot people. I, I accept that. Doesn't mean I'm promoting it. But what I'm saying here is a lot less than 36,000 African-Americans get shot by police in New York, yet... The ones that are, are held up, you know, well, not held up, that's probably not the right word. The ones that are, are highlighted as an example of systemic racism, right? So the African-Americans who are shot by police in New York City are victims of racism. And I'm thinking, well, why aren't the 36,000 babies that are aborted victims of racism too? No, 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 it's different. Really? Why? I mean, if you were a super-duper, ultra-extreme racist, wouldn't it be easier to kill the black people before they're up walking around and potentially shooting back at you? Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that make sense? Like, just say if I'm an ultra-racist with, like, a super-logical, rational brain, wouldn't you... Like, have you ever heard the analogy, like, uh, suffocating Hitler in the womb? Uh, not in the cot? In the crib? Like, if only somebody had have killed Hitler in the crib, World War II would never have happened. So if I'm a super duper evil, disgusting racist, wouldn't I think that it would be easier to 
kill the black babies before they're up and walking around and potentially shooting back at me if I'm a racist policeman or something, right? So why is it then that police shooting black people in New York is racist, but killing black babies to the tune of 36,000 in 2012, 56% of all African-American births, why is that not racist? And I've got good news for I know why it's not racist. Apparently, it's because it's about women's health. There you go. That's all you need to know. Women's health. Also, uh, reproductive rights, which I always thought was a, a deliciously paradoxical term because really it's the right to not reproduce, isn't it? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm in favour of reproductive rights. That's why I don't want to have this kid. What? What? Like, if you're in favour of reproductive rights, it would be like having a birth when birth is illegal. Like, I can imagine people in China, in the underground democratic resistance in China against the communist superstate, they would argue for reproductive rights during the one-child policy, right? You know, mothers and fathers marching for the right to have more than one kid, that to me sounds like reproductive rights. We have a right to our own reproduction. But the right to halt the reproductive process does not sound like reproductive rights to me. It should be the opposite way around. It should be non-reproductive rights. We demand the ability to not reproduce. Okay. Call it that. It'd be much easier. But like I said, I promised you an upside. An upside to the New York thing. Here's the upside. You might really, really, really hate the idea of abortion. You might think it's evil, disgusting, satanic, luciferian, human sacrifice, infanticide, the most despicable, disgusting act that any government would ever endorse and celebrate with the lighting of various buildings in pretty hot pink. You might think all of those things, but I've got good news for you. The state of New York passed it. You can leave! Woo! Yes! Yes! Ladies and gentlemen, I love it. Welcome back to the fundamental idea of the United States, and I am a foreigner now lecturing Americans on the fundamental idea of the United States. For that, I apologise, of course. But welcome back to the fundamental idea of the United States. States have the right to pass whatever bullshit fucking crazy laws they want. Yes. Yes. Hey, if, if New York wants this shit, let New York have this shit. The beautiful part about this is you can live in a state where they don't want that shit. You can live in a state where they don't pass these laws. Because that's the beauty of the United States system of competitive federalism. In which the states are held higher, supposedly, theoretically, than the federal government. And if you want to live in some whacked out, crazy state where it's illegal to have straws, but legal to kill babies just as they're popping their head out of the vaginal passage, how are you going? Stick that kid. If you want to live in a place like that, by all means, pack up today. Pack up today. Pack up the car and head on in. Nobody's going to stop you. You can vote tomorrow. It'll be utterly fantastic. Ideally, what we want is 
the two, you know, the two coasts, the two major cities on the coast concentrating like some kind of biological magnet, all of the people who agree with them. If, if you are somebody who is against these kinds of like hard left, far left policies, you, you, should, be, you should be applauding New York and California for doing what they do because they should be acting as a magnet for all of the people who agree with those policies, meaning, guess what? In your district, there's less Democrats, meaning it's more likely that your Republican guy is going to win in the election because there's less Democrats. You should be, you should be promoting to your Democrat friends. Hey, look at New York. Look how well New York is doing. Look how well LA is doing. Don't you want to be there? Don't you want to be in the viewing gallery when they put these babies to death? Come on, man. Don't you want to don't you want to celebrate reproductive rights, comrade? Get your ass on a plane. I will buy you a ticket. I will buy you a ticket, my friend. Get your ass to New York or California right now and celebrate progress. With the killing of innocent babies. What a wonderful celebration it will be. The Covington Crusades. Anybody who downloaded the episode of the podcast, by the way, The Daily Boogie, you can keep up with it. Podbeans, iTunes, uh, Player FM, iHeartRadio, we're on all of them. The Daily Boogie. Uh, the episode, The Covington Crusades. Covington, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'm happy unhappy, says Stace. If baby survived a, a abortion, they let it die. I've got a. I I saw once. Um, I can't remember the lady's name. Lindy Jacob was talking about the baby su- uh, surviving abortion. I saw once one of the most fantastic speeches I've ever seen, where it was a girl who survived a, an attempted abortion, and she's now like twenty one or something. And it was it was earth shattering. Like, there were pro-abortion people in the audience in tears watching this girl talk. Like, just talking about her life and her circumstances and stuff. It was unreal. I can't, I can't remember a name. If, any, if anyone remembers a name, put it in the chat. Somebody will see it and, you know, you can get the link to it and find it. It was utterly fantastic if you get a chance to see it. Yeah, the Covington Crusades. Thanks to everyone who downloaded that episode. It's one of the most downloaded episodes we've ever had, so I appreciate it. Um, I'm still I'm beside myself with the level of corporate media hubris. Like, I kind of expect it, but I'm still surprised. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, you know, if your wife has a headache, you kind of expect it, but you're still kind of surprised because you look so good tonight. You know? Hey, I did all... I bought dinner. We went to the movie... I bought a nice bottle of champagne. You got a headache? Are you kidding me? You're still kind of surprised, though. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I thought it would work this time. But alas. And so we're sitting here and, you know, a, a constantly the constant manoeuvring on the victim totem pole, the victim hierarchy. Well, you know, you know, editor, sorry, boss man, we've got this unfortunate situation where we may have jumped the gun. What are you talking about, Johnson? Get to the point. Well... We may have put out some columns where we called some children Nazis. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. These kind of things, they just happen. You, you know what it's like, boss. You know what it's like. Well, what are you talking about, Johnson? Well, you know, 
there's an unfortunate situation now where we might have gone out on a limb and called these kids Nazis and bigots and racists and questioned their parents. We might have said their parents are awful. We might have said this represents everything that is worst about America. We might have said these things. And now, you know, it's the darndest thing. These kids are getting death threats. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, 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 don't, I don't know, you know. Well, how serious are the death threats? Well, you know. I mean, not too serious. Some people have been posting memes of the children being fed into wood chippers. You know, it's not that bad. Uh, by the way, they had to close the school down when they went back because people were threatening to blow it up with the children inside. It's it's not it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Have you received any feedback on this reporting, Johnson? Well, yes, I have actually. You know, a number of Trump supporters on the internet have called me a liar. What? What? That's a fucking disgrace! How could they? How dare they? How dare they? What about the children, sir? What children? What are you talking about? How could these Trump supporters... How how dare these Trump supporters label you with such hideous terms? Write this shit up. Get it it on the op-ed right now. Breaking. Washington Post reporter subjected to hideous attacks as children are threatened with death. Not New York, though. You don't have to threaten children with death. You just kill them before they're children. That's the upside. Maybe that's why the maybe that's why the reporters support abortion in New York. I'm not sure. I, I hate those. I hate those racist, privileged MAGA kids. If only, if only we had a solution to stop them from you know surrounding Native American alleged war heroes. <laughs> if only we could find a way. Enter Mr. Cuomo. I've got just the thing. It's very interesting stuff. The State of the Union address. I'd like to see Donald Trump give the State of the Union address on the fourth fairway of Mar-a-Lago. Bush, Bush Jr. style. Well, the Democrats, they hate... Border security. They're not prepared to back the American people. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. Now watch this drive. I think it would be fantastic, don't you? Utterly fantastic. Maybe from the sand trap. Maybe from the sand trap to simulate the conditions on the border. Right? As I stand in this sand trap, I'm reminded of the brave men and women working for ice in the deserts of Arizona and Texas. You know, hand me my wedge. 275 off the T, says PR Stevens. <laughs> See, the thing about this is, though, like the optics of it aren't good. The optics of it aren't good for Donald Trump. I think, I think the Democrats have done this quite well. I'm not sure who's going to win. I don't know who's going to end up being the victor here. But essentially, you, you see, those of us who are, are hooked into politics and who study this and watch it on a daily basis and care and talk about it and have these conversations, we are a teeny, tiny, little, tiny minority. There, there aren't many of us. 
you know, I think we're all in this room right now. That's about it. <laughs> we're all in this one room right now. Have a great night. Oh, okay. See you later, Sandra. Apparently Sandra's off. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. So we're a teeny tiny little minority of people. And the mi- the majority of people are, you know, people doing other things. They're, li- they, you know, they're watching football. They're watching the Kardashians. They're watching The Price is Right. They're reading, you know, Women's Weekly. They're getting their hair done or their nails done. They're taking the kids to soccer practice. They're having lattes with their friends at the cafe. And, you know, they might get the sound bites of CNN late at night. They, they probably don't. They probably get the local news reports of politics where it's like, today Donald Trump made an announcement about the wall. Coming up, why you shouldn't buy milk anymore. You know, that kind of shit. <laughs> Sandra, okay, gotcha. They couldn't care less, exactly. Froze Happy says they don't give two fucking shits about it. So this is the... And, you know, politicians know this. Politicians understand this, which is part of the reason why politics in the Western world is now rotted to the core. Because they appeal to it. They know it, they understand it, and they cultivate it. They nurture it, right? They, they, don't, they don't want you paying attention. They don't want you knowing the ins and outs. They don't want you watching Senate hearings. That's for damn sure. They want you drinking the latte, getting the kids from soccer practice, watching football, watching the Kardashians, and just getting that little 30-second grab on the local news report. That's exactly where they want you. Because people who are paying attention are more likely to get angry, and people who get angry affect change. And when affect when people affect change, politicians lose their jobs. And if you're a politician, you don't want that. You want everything just coasting along nicely. You want everybody just frustrated enough to give you something to do, but not happy enough <laughs> where they'll vote for somebody else. So it's a constant game of balancing expectations, they call it. Managing expectations is the name of the game in politics. And to that extent, I think uh, the Democrats have done quite well because I wonder, you know, we were talking about the victim hierarchy before. (laughs) Sounds like sex, says Iowa Trump. Oh, you'd be very... I, I don't manage expectations when it comes to sex. I just tell my partner at the time, you're going to be bitterly disappointed at the end of this, darling. (laughs) <laughs> and then anything other than that, I win. So it's, you know, it's beautiful. Bitterly disappointed. So I, I just wondered, the last couple of days I've been seeing reports of government workers being arrested out the front of, poly, you know, Republican offices. You know, government workers protesting demanding an Ed to shut down, getting arrested, getting dragged away. And I, I always wonder, you know, I'm thinking in multipliers. So if it's three today, it might be 10 tomorrow, it might be 20 the next day, it might be 50 the next day. And those those 30-second news grabs for the majority of people who don't care about politics. Remember, the mainstream media controls the game here. And, you know, seeing seeing government workers getting dragged away by police... It's going to be hard to keep a lid on that. It's going to be hard to turn the pressure cooker down. 
See, the problem is when you create a standoff that the only the only option is escalation. If you don't give your opponent a back door, a trap door to get out of it, then the only option is escalation. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Democrats are, you're watching fake news. You're not in the US straight away. <laughs> because, I'm, because I'm merely open to the idea that the Democrats aren't being smashed repeatedly in the optics game of the mainstream press when considering the soundbite nature of the way people consume news in the modern world in 30-second grabs at social media. Most people don't give a fuck. Because of that, I'm watching fake news. I'm not in the US. I must be wrong. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) So I I, I think about multipliers and how many of those kinds of grabs, how, how many of those kinds of images will start creating like a critical mass effect. The problem is, like I said, if you create a standoff, there's only escalation. So you have to win. There, There is no stepping down now at this point. Any kind of stepping down is a loss. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed the Democrats getting increasingly confident lately. They've now changed their language somewhat. Um, let me throw this up for you. You'll remember on the podcast we um, addressing the national address where we broke down the rhetoric of the the respective speeches of each side. We spent a bit of time on this obsession. The reason you use a a term like obsession is because it carries with it a lot of baggage, a lot of, a lot of inference, inference that permeates and creates uh, emotional responses in the audience that perhaps go beyond people who are, you know, flat out policy wonks. So obsession carries with it, um, Things like, you know, immature, aggressive, um, would you say childish, right? He's obsessed with it. Irrational, emotional. So it's, it's a border wall obsession. Like he can't do anything else. He's, he's focused on this thing. He, he, he needs it. He, he needs it so bad and he's become like a maniacal tyrant about this obsession that he has, right? These are the kinds of things that they're trying to carry over into the audience. And so to that extent, I wonder, well, it's a, it's, it's a successful ploy in terms that, you know, it gets all of their people repeating the word obsession, but how many people are they convincing? But have you noticed lately the last week or two, the language has changed and the language has now become more of vanity. So it's Donald Trump's vanity wall. It's not his obsession wall anymore. It's his vanity wall. And the other change in language is Nancy Pelosi and Schumer and the Democrats have gone from uh, Donald Trump must end this shutdown. Like, so they, they were trying to put it on him to begin with. They've They've adjusted that now to... Uh, we will not give in, right? We will not. We will not back. We will not give in to Trump's demands. It's a very different. You know, one is a passive tone, and one is an aggressive tone of of writing. You know, the passive the passive writing is well. You know, Donald Trump must end this shutdown because you're putting the responsibility on somebody else. It's somebody else's problem. Like we are at your mercy. We are at, at your whim, right? But if you're saying we will not back down. That emboldens people, right? 
And so their their language has shifted from one of, you know, being in the in the passenger seat to one of being in the driver's seat. Now, whether they are in the passenger seat or are in the driver's seat, well, that's a different matter entirely. But I'm I'm just telling you what I'm noticing in the way that they're presenting has shifted from, like I said, Donald Trump must end this to we will not give in to Donald Trump. It's a very different approach. And I find those things very interesting. Somebody's triggered in the chat. Somebody's triggered. <laughs> Welcome aboard. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a show unless somebody was triggered. So thanks for joining us. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you'd like to throw insults at me, by the way, um, never mind insults. Let me just drag this one over for you. Let me grab this. Where is it? I'm going to have to find this tweet because this is the people's show. We are doing all of your submissions over the last three episodes. Like I said last week, promises kept, uh, promises made, promises kept. I said last week we'd do every single article that you sent through, so we absolutely must do it. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I let you down. And if you want to add to the list, which is already taller than... Jack's Beanstalk, go to this tweet, improv free-for-all submissions thread, get your shiz in here. So if you come across anything during the show and you want to add it to the pile, please do so by throwing it in that thread. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's start. I've, I've got a couple of items just before we get... I, I, I just have to do a little bit. Two things. I've got two things. Two things to go over first before, before we get to the massive pile of, of submissions, which will surely kill me or at least gorge my throat out and I'll be coughing up blood for the rest of the week. One or the other, I'm not sure. Whichever comes first. But we must kick it off with the way we like to with this. Now you face the shredder. It's time for the shredder, baby. Thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for sharing. Hope you have fun. Looking forward to it. Wrong box. There you go. Politico. Jeffrey says Trump isn't a racist, but defends grand wizard comparison. Yeah. You know, my Ferrari, (laughs) the Ferrari I have in my garage, like I wasn't comparing my car to a Ferrari. I wasn't saying I have a Ferrari, but I stand by my comparison that my shitbox Ford Fiesta is indeed a Ferrari. You know what I'm saying? It's different. It's different, bro. It's complex. My shitbox Ford Fiesta is just like a Ferrari. It's not a Ferrari, but I stand by the comparison. House Democratic Caucus Chairman Hakeem Jeffries said Wednesday that he does not believe President Donald Trump, whom he referred to earlier this week as the, quote, Grand Wizard of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, (laughs) is a racist, only that he has a history of racially insensitive remarks. Okay, he's not a racist, but he's said racist things for a long time. That's not even a backtrack at that point. Like only in 2019 could you get away with that. Could do you want an example of double think? That's double think. You know the concept that was created by uh well if it wasn't created by him it was at least written by him uh George Orwell in 1984 the ability to have two th- uh contradictory thoughts at the same time 
and hold two contradictory positions at the same time. Donald Trump isn't a racist, but he's definitely got a lifetime of saying racially insensitive remarks. Oh, okay. Okay. How, how, do you know, how do you know a racist when you see one, by the way, Hakeem? Well, they say racist things. Gotcha. 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 I'm onto it. And uh, at an event Monday marking Martin Luther King Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the New York Democrat ripped Trump's record on race relations. At one point, what? How could anybody rip any? How could any Democrat rip a Republican, a Republican's record on race relations ever? That just seems insane to me. It's like we all know the history of the Democrat Party. How could like what balls? <laughs> I'm a Democrat and I'm calling your party out for their racism. I was like, really? What? what really? What specifically? The, the whole history of racism that goes along with your party. Right. What are we just, just pretending that the last 200 years didn't fucking happen, mate? Or what's going on? At one point, this is the article, labeling the president a grand wizard, the title for a leader of the Ku Klux Klan, just in case you didn't know. A white supremacist group that has terrorized black Americans since the 1800s. Here's, uh, here's part of Jeffrey's speech here. We have a hater in the White House, a birther in chief, the Grand Wizard of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. One of the things we've learned is that while Jim Crow may be dead, he's still got some nieces and nephews that are alive and well. Jim Crow may be dead, but he's still got some nieces and nephews that are alive and well. Jeffries defended his language on Wednesday on CNN, telling New Day interviewers that his language had been rhetorical. Ah, oh, okay. Ah, it was just rhetoric. It's just rhetoric, bro. Chill. Chill out, man. I was just, I'm saying, but I'm not saying. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? It was a rhetorical statement. Ah, okay. Pretty much all political speech is rhetorical. <laughs> Like if he came out, you know what? You know what? This politician is a rapist. Uh, do you stand by those comments? Yes, I do. But I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he's a rapist. It was rhetorical. Was, you know, I'm not saying that the guy's a rapist. It was a rhetorical statement. I'm talking about the broader context of rape in, you know, our American experience throughout history. Gotcha. Sweet. Carry on, you rapist. It's all good and was intended as part of a larger conversation about racism in America. There you have it. No, the comment was rhetorical. It was intended as part of a larger conversation about racism in America. I'll read the quote again. We have a hater in the White House, a birther in chief, the Grand Wizard of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He even, like, again, what balls. No, I was talking about a larger conversation of racism in America. Okay, why did you give the guy's fucking address out then? (laughs) I wasn't singling anybody out who might live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I mean, when I'm talking about the broader context of racism in America, I'm not specifically saying that the guy in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is racist. I'm not doing that at all. I mean, I'm talking about there's history of race and race relations and racism and the KKK. And, you know, there's a lot of grand wizards getting around, but I'm not specifically talking about the grand wizard in that house there. 
1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. No, 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 no. It's rhetorical. I'm making a rhetorical statement. Just a rhetorical statement. I'm not specifically talking about anyone or not specifically talking about anyone. I'm talking about things in the broader context, in the conversation of racism in America and why it must be stopped. Because obviously there's a grand wizard in the White House right now living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm not being specific, bro. Just relax. Quote, with respect to the comments of a few days ago, we've got to have an opportunity for at least one day a year to have a candid, if sometimes uncomfortable, conversation about race. Just one day a year. I, I think I think even the um I think even the KKK would be on board with that. Hell, I'm on board with that. So the guy the Democrat is advocating for one day a year when we can have an uncomfortable conversation about race. I'm down, man. What how about this for a pressure reliever? How about this for a release valve? Why don't we make why don't we make one day a year racism day? And then everybody can just go out and say the most hateful, vile, abhorrent, racist things that they want just for one just for that one day. All right? Are you with are you following me here? So if we just have one day on the calendar, it'll be like KKK Christmas. KKKKK. Christmas with a K, obviously. It'll be KKK Christmas. It'll be Black Panther Day. It'll be all... That sounds awful, Perusia. You've got to hear me out. But because it releases the pressure for every other day of the year. So then the rest of the year, we don't have to hear about how everyone's racist all the time. You, you, do you see what I'm getting at here? Do you see the brilliance of this? One day a year on the calendar where everybody can just be as racist as they want and then the rest of the year, just be cool. Just chill. Everybody just chill. There's always next year. Come back next year. You know what I mean? There's always going to be a few stragglers like who have had a few too many beers on racism day and they'll be wandering out of the bar at 6am the day after racism day and they'll be like, you fucking black motherfucker, you white piece of shit. And it's going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Racism day was yesterday. I'm sorry. You're going to have to shelve that language, my friend. Keep it in the pants till next year, brother. Keep it in the pants till next year. I think it'd be a wonderful idea. Like the movie Purge. Exactly. Just get, just get it all out of our system one day of a year. And then the rest of the year, we can all get together and have interracial sex or something. Whatever you want to do. Jeffries, an outspoken Democrat from Brooklyn, whom ha- some have identified as a potential future Speaker of the House, said the Grand Wizard label was meant to encapsulate what he called a troubling pattern of racially insensitive and outrageous at times behaviour. Out- outrageous, sir. Outrageous! That spans not months, not years, but decades. Decades, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying he's racist. He's just been saying racist shit for the last three, four decades. But I'm not saying he's racist. No, no, that was a rhetorical statement. I didn't mean it like that. I was talking in the broader context of racism in America. Just because the guy's been saying racist stuff for four decades doesn't mean I think he's a racist. You know, I'm not saying he's a racist, but I I defend the comparison. My Ford Fiesta isn't a Ferrari, but tell you what, it's a Ferrari. Ladies and gentlemen, that was... Now you face the Shredder. Oh, it's a spicy chat. 
I love a good spicy chat. Everybody, round of applause for the trolls. Thank you for joining us, trolls. You are welcome in this room any time, any day. You can even get in touch with me on Twitter, at Boogie Bumper, if you are of the trolling persuasion. You know, every you know we were just talking about one day a year having racism day. Every day of the year on this show is trolling day. And you are always welcome, my friends. Somebody's got to love you. Somebody loves you. It may as well be me. All right? So... A quick little clip here in regards to the shutdown, and then we're going straight to your submissions, and by Christ almighty, there are a lot of them. Let's go. Hi there, I'm Brooke Baldwin. You're watching CNN, and in just a few minutes, we will all be watching Washington dysfunction at its finest. The Senate is set to hold two test votes on proposals to end the shutdown that will, in reality, do nothing. I'm sure I'm not the only person on earth that thinks that Brooke Baldwin is a gorgeous woman, but even more gorgeous when she's really angry. <laughs> so I can't wait for this. <laughs> because they won't pass. Despite knowing that, though, before they vote, lawmakers admit there is no plan B. No backup scenario, no way out of this mess as of today. No and that means scenario. hundreds of thousands of workers, like the ones right here on your screen, will miss their second paychecks tomorrow. She's a hot How mess. How does the White House Mike. see it? <laughs> It is a little bit of pain, but it's go. going to be for the future of our country okay. and their children and their grandchildren and generations after them will thank them for their uh. sacrifice right now. Mr. Secretary, there are reports that there are some federal workers who are going to homeless shelters to get food. Tigress in the chat asks, why do guys always like it when pretty women are angry? I'll tell you, because when you can picture a woman angry, you can picture being married to them. <laughs> Well, I know they are, and I don't really quite understand why. There's no real reason why they shouldn't be able to get a loan against it. I've met with my individual staff members, and God bless them. They're working God bless, for free. God bless They're them. They're working for free. But they do it because they believe government service is honorable, and they believe in President Trump, and they're working as hard as ever. Good on them. She's not convinced. Word of the wise. Word of the wise. You're a billionaire or even a millionaire, just don't say that <laughs> or anything remotely like that because you just don't get it. Ah, see, this is beautiful. I love the advice coming from Brooke here to billionaires. If you're a billionaire, don't say that. But Brooke, how would you know? You're not a billionaire. I tell you what, I tell you something. If I work my way up to being a billionaire, I expect it to come with a card that says, I can say whatever the fuck I want because I've got fuck you money. How about that? <laughs> if you're a billionaire, don't say that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I didn't earn billions of dollars to have some harlot on CNN tell me what I can and can't say. Sorry, Brooke. You know I love you, babe. It's nothing personal. But if, if I've got billions sitting in the bank, if I could swim in a pile of money, I'm not listening to someone on TV telling me what I can and can't say. That's that. Th those kinds of rules are for, you know, agitators, racists, KKK members, and innocent sixteen-year-old children waiting for a bus. That's that's not for me, the billionaire. That's for everybody else. That's for all of you peasants. That's not for me. You know, if you're a billionaire, you just can't say that. Really, really. Okay. How about I write you a check to change your mind? How much is it going to take? How many zeros do you want? Next day, she'll be on the news going, billionaires can say whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> and you'll be rocking back in your old man, rich man chair, clutching a, gl a glass of brandy and smoking a cigar going, yep. 
just like I thought. Come and watch the news, kids. They figured it out. I have heard from federal workers across the country sleeping in cars, uh, rationing asthma medicine yep. for their kids, going yep. to food pantries for the first time wow. in their lives. Terrible, terrible. These are men stuff. and women who are showing up to work, keeping yes. us safe yes. and not seeing a penny. So yep. to both sides, end this. End this to both sides. I wanted to get a little bit of, um, would you say, context to the current heartache, the current turmoil being felt by government employees. And again, I'm not trying to sound harsh here, but if you are a talented, employable government employee with experience, I have a solution for you. It's called the private sector. Dun, 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 dun. We here in the private sector welcome your experience. We here in the private sector respect your ability to work hard, get the job done, and damn well finish on time. You know, here in the private sector, you don't have to fear things like government shutdowns. You can earn what you earn and earn what you deserve. Isn't that what you really want, government employees, to earn what you deserve, earn what you want, right? Come and work in the, in the private sector. Come on over. The water's, the water's nice. But I just wanted to add a little bit of context to the heartbreak, the turmoil being felt um, by people, you know, having after a month of not getting paid, uh, having to, you know, sleep in their cars and basically going homeless, going hungry and stuff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Great Depression. It was made My how things have changed. It's a spectacle unparalleled in the history of the country. And something was very wrong in the land of plenty. A day of bloodshed and riot. There were those of us who felt that America was teetering on the brink of revolution. For three years, the Great Depression had tormented Americans. Three years! Three years! People rioting, people getting shot in the street, blood. If you think going hungry for three weeks is a problem, try going hungry for three fucking years. Three years! Right? And and not just government employees... All of them. The whole country was going hungry. This is, this is the longest government shutdown in history. This has never happened before. This, this pig, this pig, Donald Trump, he is inflicting pain and misery upon this country that has never been seen. For the last three weeks. Now 20,000 army veterans and their families came pouring into Washington to find out what the government was going to do about it. 20,000. Look at these pictures. Look at this. Ragged. They were desperate. You could see it in their eyes. They'd been promised a bonus for their service in World War I, but it was not due to be paid until 1945. The desperate veterans wanted their money now. They were called the Bonus Army. On July 28th, the Bonus Army came to blows with Washington police. Shots were fired. President Herbert Hoover barricaded himself in the White House and called out the troops. Soldiers have orders to burn down the unsanitary and illegal camp. And the roaring flames sound the death knell to the fantastic Bonus Army. When the smoke cleared, two veterans and an infant were dead. It was absolutely shameful. 
the sacrifice of the young American boys left such an impression on me, I have never forgotten it. Uh-uh. Now we hate the young American boys waving American flags. Now they're Nazis, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Someone in the chat earlier before said, uh, what makes you qualified to comment? The same thing that makes you qualified to comment, a Periscope account. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful? Thanks for joining us, by the way. Hope you stick around. We're going to have a hell of a time. All right, so I'm going to take a quick little break and be right back. We're going to get straight. Oh, actually, let's do this one. Let's do one more. Now this breaking story involving this new tax plan to be proposed by Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat, running uh, now she wants to be president. Uh, The tax would be imposed on the wealthiest Americans. So MJ Lee is reporting this out for us today. She's our CNN national political uh, correspondent. So... Uh, talk to me about this ultra millionaire tax. Yeah, so ultra this millionaire. is a wealth <laughs> the ultra millionaire tax. Not just a millionaire tax, the ultra millionaire tax. It's like um I don't know if you noticed like 5 6 years ago they started changing the language in like the opinion pieces and stuff. Uh people weren't just nationalist anymore, they were ultra nationalist. <laughs> it's like when nationalist isn't scary enough. You know, it's it's like the difference between, say, you know, the bionic man and the, the what, what was his name? You know, the fucking Mr. America. What, what was his name? I don't know. This is your show. Um, <laughs> the bionic man versus Superman, right? You know, he's a, he's a nationalist, but just behind him, like lurking in the shadows, there's an ultra nationalist. Ooh, 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 ooh. You know, you've heard of these millionaires. But wait until you see the ultra millionaire. Once upon ultra Lee Majors, there you go. Thank you very much, John's uh, John's Dawn, MK Ultra Millionaire. <laughs> but I love the juxtaposition of these two pieces here, both by Brooke Baldwin, because if you're a billion, let's let's just do this one more time, and this may give you a little insight into what the what the underlying strategy here. It's it's like we're back to classism. It's we're back to class warfare. So there's a government shutdown. There's workers going hungry. Right? Do you do you see the do you see the play here? Do you see the way that they're going to hijack this whole situation? It depends how long it goes for. It might only be for short term gain. But do you see the do you, do you see the opportunity? Let me put it this way: Do you see the opportunity here to uh, create a political? Uh, would you say bandwagon and it's like a tried and and trusted one it's a pr- it's a well proven vehicle this thing you know we're not talking about my old ford fiesta we're talking about the ferrari this is one that's proven to work class struggle the poor versus the rich right donald trump is a billionaire if you're a billionaire you can't say that you have no empathy next thing you know far left democrats come out proposing Taxes on ultra millionaires. Just just like that. Just like that. Isn't 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 it beautiful the way the puzzle pieces fit together sometimes? No way out of this mess as of today. And that means hundreds of thousands of workers, like the ones right here on your screen, will miss their second paychecks tomorrow. Yep. How does the White House see it? 
it is a little bit of pain, but it's going to be for the future of our country and their children and their grandchildren and generations after them will thank them for their sacrifice right now. Mr. Secretary, there are reports that there are some federal workers who are going to homeless shelters to get food. Well, I know they are, and I don't really quite understand why. There's no. Okay. If you're a billionaire, you just don't say that. Next thing you know, pictures of workers holding up signs, rioting, we're going hungry, we're going to food shelters. The billionaires have no empathy. The billionaires are in the White House. What happens What happens next? Do you, you know the words of Rahm Emanuel, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? So what would be an opportunistic move, would you say, if you were a far-left Democrat with your own eyes on the White House? Would it be something like this? Now this breaking story involving this new tax plan to be proposed by Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat, running uh, now she wants to be president. Uh, the tax would be imposed on the wealthiest Americans. So MJ Lee is reporting this out for us today. She's our CNN national political uh, correspondent. And so... Uh, talk to me about this ultra-millionaire tax. Yeah, so the ultra-millionaire tax. When all of these workers are going hungry, ladies and gentlemen, when people can't afford to pay their bills, when a billionaire-in-chief is sitting in the White House atop a golden throne made of handcrafted bars of gold, he wipes his ass with $100 notes. He doesn't care about the American workers, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't even care. He's got no empathy. If you're a billionaire, you can't say things like that. Coming up after the break, why Elizabeth Warren thinks it's right to tax the richest people 70%. Just like that. Just like that. It's not a problem at all. Makes total sense. It's utterly fantastic. All right, after the break, straight to your contributions over the last three episodes. Mind you, see you in five. Hello, everybody. This is Chris McDonald. I want to take this opportunity to invite you to listen to our Mac Files broadcast every Monday through Friday night from 930 to 1030 right here on Periscope, YouTube and Facebook Live. We always have a wide variety of guests that talk about faith, make America great again, the nation, President Trump. We deal with a lot of law enforcement issues, a lot of immigration issues and issues that are very relevant to the time that we live in. Friday nights, 1130, the one and only James R. joins us for Pirate Radio, one of the liveliest shows late night that you'll ever have. And then Sunday nights, we have uh, Pastor Ronnie Mitchum join us at 8.30 p.m. for our Sunday night faith chat. And be there. We're looking for you. Join us each week. Aloha, James R. here. When I'm not in court defending the boys from the starting block against slander charges. Alleged! Yes, yes. Alleged. I'm hosting Trust and Verify with Boogie Bumper every Sunday night at 1 a.m. on TAVshow.com. Join us and all your favorite broadcasters there. TAVshow.com friend and foe alike. Join me, Varun Prasad, every week on the Common Discourse Weekly Roundup podcast. You can follow the show on at TCD Tweet on Twitter and Periscope. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, Stream Me, iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. If you like what you hear, or you would like to express your raging discontent, please consider leaving us a review. The Common Discourse, independent political opinion, thought, and analysis for the people, by the people. Do you lie awake at night pondering life's big questions? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? 
How would one do an hour-long sports show without ever actually talking about sport? If yes, we can help you answer 33% of these pressing questions. All you have to do is check out the starting block on TAVshow.com, Periscope, Stream Me, or YouTube, Wednesday mornings at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also download the podcast on iTunes just by searching for The Starting Block in the store or at thestartingblock.podbean.com. Or if you're really desperate for answers, why not check us out on Twitter, at The Starting Block. No K at the end, don't forget to drop that K. Enlightenment is now only a click away. Now that is a freaking awesome I think a lot of it is he's free where they're not. If you are on the side of the politically correct, then you are, it's like you're constrained by the weapon that you're trying to hit somebody else with. Does that make sense? Like you can't, you can't profess the virtues of political correctness and overt sensitivity and not offending people and then come out and do it because you'll be a traitor to your own cause. So if you don't sign up to that politically correct mindset, if you don't fall into the I must not offend crowd, then you're really free. And they're not because they can't attack, they can only attack you by saying how offensive you are. And if it's particularly unpopular at the time to be, you know, uh, politically correct, then guess what? Every single time that you use the only weapon that you can, which is political correctness, you get less popular and the person that you're attacking gets more popular just by the fact that you're attacking them. Because if you're saying that these people are so politically correct, like they, they can't say whatever they want, every time you try to attack the guy, you prove his point. You, you make him stronger. It's like trying to fire nukes into the sun and think you're going to blow it up. It doesn't work that way. You're just adding to the combustion. It's not going to stop. It's not, it's not going to stop. He's not going to slow down. The way these people approach it, they, they just don't get it. He, he's not going to just suddenly snap out of it. He's not going to start being what you want him to be. It's only going to get faster and harder. But they, they don't see that. They don't understand. So, that, I mean, because that's the bubble. That's the privileged bubble of going straight from college into a, you know, into the media and living in that environment and all of your colleagues agree with you. Coming in hot.
welcome to the Daily Boogie. Rock and roll. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. If you didn't, so long, sucker. See you next time. Just want to address uh, someone in the chat who keeps repeating, you know, it's not, you don't, you won't see it that way if it affects you personally. You don't understand it because it doesn't affect you personally in regards to the government shutdown. Um, I'm not denying that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, people don't, aren't affected personally, but of course you understand that your own personal experience is not necessarily a good uh, template for the rest of the country, right? Because, I mean, we wouldn't want to enforce a particular position based on our own personal experience on everybody else. Now, would we, my progressive friend? The other thing to consider to here too is I hear you say, um, you know, if it affected you personally, you wouldn't care about a border wall, for example, which unfortunately, I'm afraid, in terms of the victim hierarchy, I am going to have to state ad nauseum the amount of people, you know, I'm I'm not saying either side here, but I find it a little bit difficult to place the currently unpaid yet job guaranteed effectively for life government employee over, say, the person raped and killed at the border, uh, the teenager who's killed in a drunk driving accident by an illegal immigrant. The the young the young girl who's raped by an illegal immigrant, damaged for life. And, and so you might say, well, it doesn't affect you personally. So I, I, my challenge, obviously, would be for you to speak to some of these people who have other personal experiences and, and then say that same shit to them. <laughs> and you'll soon discover what affects you personally doesn't necessarily equate to everybody else and only the most entitled individual would sit back and crown their hands over their chest and say, well... This affects me personally, therefore I'm right. Human beings are a lot more complex than that, and there's a lot more grey area than that. And if you want to speak to any of the angel families, for example, and speak about their personal experiences, you can come right back to us and tell us again about your personal experience. And, you know, being, you know, I don't have any qualifications to speak about this because I'm not an American, correct? So I can take the purely unemotional and objective view as a foreigner from afar. I don't have to get caught up in the emotional arguments. I don't have to worry about your experience or other someone else's experience. I really don't. I can just look at it purely as a numbers game and a policy game and say, hmm, who's most deserving of sympathy here? Considering I'm not an American and I have no right to to have an opinion about it in the first place, well, I guess I'm going to have to take the murder victim over your entitled ass. Sorry. Sorry. Go out and get a job in the private sector. Cry me a river. All right. So one of the favorite parts about this show that we do, and I I have felt guilty over the last few weeks, um, I love when you guys send stuff in. It's always the most fun that we have is when you guys send stuff in because I don't pre-read it. And I promise you, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, eat horse manure pie. I still have not pre-read any of the stuff that you've sent in. 
from like from before Christmas. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to it because who knows? I'm we might get in serious trouble here. But it's all fun. It's all fun and games till somebody loses an eye. So let's kick it off. The People Show, ladies and gentlemen, loosen up, crack your knuckles, get your hips aligned for some reason. You know what? I could use a bit of that. I read a story the other day about a guy who injects semen into his back to cure his back pain. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the craziest ideas, well, <laughs> maybe I remember once upon a time I, um, I wrote an essay on a guy. Well, it wasn't an essay. It was kind of an essay, but it was, in a, it was part of a political speech about climate change. And I referenced a guy named uh, Ignaz Hemmelweis. And if you aren't familiar with Ignaz Hemmelweis, he is the medical professional of years gone by who discovered that if only we wash our hands, then a lot of people will stop dying through infection in hospitals. And, you know, because a lot of mothers would die when they would give birth. A lot of people would die after surgery. And so this, this, this guy came out and said, you know, this this speech was for uh, climate change sceptic. And this guy came out and said, <clears throat> look, if only we wash our hands, like maybe we're thinking about this all wrong. Like maybe we're looking at all of these deaths. You know, we're trying to think about, oh, we should cut here. We should do this. We should put that. We should elevate their head. We should make the blood flow this way. He's like, what if we just start washing our hands? Maybe that's the problem. And of course, he was labeled as insane, a denier. Um, he was a lunatic and he ended up dying alone in an insane asylum. And it was only years after he was dead where people actually said, Oh, remember that crazy guy who said, let's wash our hands when we're doing surgery. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, you know what? <laughs> he was, sorry. He was right. He got it right. He got it right. Ignaz Hemmelweis. Check it out. You never know. All right, let's rock and roll. Um, so this is the 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 annual. We're going back to the annual Christmas free for all special. I'm going to need a drink for this. Um, if you're drinking along at home, I am drinking imported German lager beer from a can. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm a classy guy. Now, Fly Girl can stick around. Fly Girl can stick around. This is going to be fun. Fly Girl, trust me. Fly Girl, other progressives, comrades. There are a lot of comrades and progressives and Democrats who um, watch this show. You'll you'll be pleased to know. This this is the general progression of the way things work. You don't get it at first. You don't really understand me at first. I tend to grow on you like a lesion or some kind of pus-filled pimple. Uh, you begin to scratch it. I burst. I spread. Next thing you know, you're in love with the pimples. You love the pimples. You look so cute with a pimple on your nose. You'll, you'll come to like it eventually. Okay. You know what I mean? So don't just hate it straight off the bat. Give it a chance. <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We're going to have a lot. Of, we're going to make beautiful music together. Trust me. Okay. So the first thing here, see, Elaine wants to put kisses on my face. There you go. There's an endorsement. Can I just, can I just put that on the, as a testimonial? Kisses on the face. Between you and James R., the owner and CEO of TAVshow.com, ladies and gentlemen, James R., I would be lost. Thank you and Merry Christmas to you and yours. And to you, lady. This was sent in from General Eaton, who probably doesn't remember sending it in because it was six weeks ago, Boogie Bumper, you lazy prick. But we're going to play it anyway. 
We're starting at the back to get to the beginning, so, so to speak. The pimple. Yes, Perusia the pimple. I know I have 45 seconds. I won't take them all. Okay. But it is repugnant to me and astonishing to me that during Christmas, <laughs> I like to call them the holiday seasons to be... Ex- inc- oh, man, I love this guy. <laughs> I already know what he's doing. Do you know how easy it is to do fake out, uh, outrage? I did drama. Uh, you know, I was in drama school when I was like 9, 10, 11, 12. It wasn't a, I still went to normal school, don't get me wrong. But this was like after school school where you learn how to project your voice. You learn how to, um, you know, use your body, use your actions and stuff. Make facial contortions in order to pre- to to present a certain, uh, you know, emotional theme at the time. First play I was in was Hans Christian Andersen, and I got cast as the evil mayor, which I love to this day. Screw that cobbler. That cobbler was a fraud, I tells you. But do you, do you see the phony, the feigned outrage here? I have 45 seconds, but I don't need them all. It reminds me actually of... Um, do you guys have a speedway over there? You know where guys race around in cars that are way too fast for the track they're, that they're on in dirt and mud? Right, one of those things, and there's lots of crashes and shit. We have speedways. And a speedway line would be like, you know, we'll sell you a ticket for the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. I have 45 seconds, but I won't use them all. Let's go through this. I know I have 45 seconds. I won't take them all. I won't take them all. But it is repugnant, repugnant to me to and me. astonishing to me. Look at, look at the hand motion, the open palm, right? And the uh, over-expressed, like, the, like he's biting on a lemon when he's like repugnant. Astonishing. No, nobody normally talks like that. Nobody. And here's, here's the cute little paradox for you. If you think that your senators and congressmen should be the most rational, the most control of their emotions, because this is a very important job, they need to assess things logically, they need to look at all of the evidence in front of them. These are very, very important people cast with a very, very responsible, uh, a very, very big responsibility. So the last thing that we would want is people overacting and going... This is astonishing and outrageous to me because, to me, that worries me more than the thing that they're talking about. If they can't be calm and reasonable and speak in a normal tone in this setting, then I don't want them writing laws. If they can't be calm and reasonable in this setting with the responsibility that they have been, you know, uh, privileged with, it's a privilege to serve in this kind of capacity for your country. It's a privilege. These are the most privileged people. If, if you can't you know, address this most humble responsibility with some kind of humility, then I don't want you in there. Sorry. I mean, if you're going to rant and rave and carry on, I don't want you there. Get the hell out of there. <laughs> but wait till you hear what it's about. During Christmas? I like to call them the holiday seasons to be ex- inclusive. But during Christmas... I like to call it the holiday seasons to be inclusive. Yes, because Christmas is all about being exclusive to people that don't believe in Christmas, which is why in all Western countries, everybody gets to celebrate Christmas. 
I, I like to say to people who think that Christmas is too exclusive and we need to use holiday season. I'm like, oh, okay, do you work on Christmas Day? And they're like, oh, of course not. And I'm like, well, what the fuck are you bitching about then? How is it exclusive? Everybody, everybody, unless they choose to, gets Christmas off, right? You know, generally. Of course, there's some people. I've worked, I've worked probably 15 years Christmas Day. No problem, right? Don't get me wrong. But if you choose to, like, everybody celebrates Christmas in Western countries. You know, people, the, the businesses shut down. You know, you get a day off. You get a day off on if you're working at Walmart or something, right? You get to have Christmas at home, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. How is that exclusive? Well, I like to say seasons greetings because Christmas Christmas isn't inclusive enough. Oh, okay. I guess everybody who doesn't believe in saying seasons greetings has to go to work that day. Well, no, of course not. That would be ridiculous. Well, I guess I'm I'm the ridiculous one here. I'm the silly one here. I'm the one that's out of control. Okay. Because the majority always wants to just call it Christmas. That during Christmas, a time in which we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, a Jesus Christ who had to flee, flee. for his life, flee for his life with Mary and Joseph. Thanks yes. God there wasn't a wall. Thank God that stopped him from seeking refuge in yes. Egypt. Thank God. Thank God that wall wasn't there. And thank God there wasn't an administration like this or he would have too have perished. Uh. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. There might not have been a wall, but you do understand that there was a desert and lots of people carrying swords and he did end up being executed, right? Right? You you, you realise that, right? He He had to be born in a barn... With literally with the animals, he had to be born where the animals shit. <laughs> he had to be born where the animals shit, but thank God there wasn't a wall. Thank God there wasn't a wall. I mean, like those lazy Egyptians, they they built the pyramids of Giza, but they couldn't build a fucking wall. Come on, pull your finger out, slaves. Watch, watch. After we get this pyramid and after we get the tribute to Tutankhamun finished, we're onto the wall. Woo! Merry Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. On the 28th, on the day of innocence, when Herod ordered the murder of every child under two years of age. Maybe I haven't gone a lot to Bible school, but I know that part. <laughs> Home run, Mr. Gutierrez. Home run. Unhinged Democrat Rep. Luis Gutierrez mocks people that say Christmas instead of holiday season and then says Trump would share responsibility for killing baby Jesus. <laughs> There's still a minute to go. Should we? Do we dare fall down the rabbit hole? This is the first item. We're going to be here all night at this rate. Thank God. Shame on everybody that separates children and allows them to stay at the other side of the border fearing death. Fearing hunger, mm. fearing sickness. Look at Nielsen. Shame on. Nielsen's like, okay, she's looking at her watch. Look at this. <laughs> Kristen Nielsen's looking at her watch going, Are we, is this serious? Is this guy for real? <laughs> she's like, oh, come on, man. I mean, I've got my hairdresser appointment at six. Like, on us. For wearing our badge of Christianity during Christmas she's and allow the secretary to come to here and lie. 
Thank you. You're welcome. Time of gentleman has expired. The secretary would care to respond to any of that. Only then to say that calling me a liar are fighting words. I'm not a liar. We've never had a policy for family separation. I'm happy to walk the gentleman through it again. A policy of family separation would mean that any family that I encountered in the interior, I would separate. It would mean that any family that I found at a port of entry, I would separate. It would mean that every single family that I found illegally crossing, we would separate. We did none of those. He gets up. He walks away. He walks away. (laughs) Ah, what happened? Where's the outrage now, brother? Where you going? Where you going, bro? Bro, where you going? This is your moment. This is your moment of glory right here. Come on. You got to right where you want to. You were bringing up all the Bible shit. You were saying about baby Jesus. You were hammering this bitch, man. Where are you going? This is your moment. Come on. Where are you going, bro? Where are you going? What are you walking out for? What are you walking out for, bro? This is your time. This is your moment to shine. Come on, don't you want to bask in your glory? Where are you going, bro? That Congress has passed. Look, he's out and the we door. prosecuted those who choose to come here illegally. He's out the door. It's simple because it's not about um, questions and answers. It's about sound bites. And he did his little speech to get played on the news that night. Her answer wouldn't have got played on the news, and that's the way it is. He did what he had to do. He did what he was there to do, and then he fucked off out the back door. And that's the end of the story. That's the way it works. <laughs> From Stefan Sears, kindergarten lesson of the day, safe touch, unsafe touch. Oh, okay. This is in- this is interesting for late night. Safe touches make you feel good on the inside. Safe touches make you feel good on your outside. Safe touches show respect is emboldened. Unsafe touches can hurt our feelings. Yes, they can. Yes, indeed. Unsafe touches can hurt our body. Indeed. No one should touch you in an unsafe way. What if it's consensually unsafe? I understand this is for kindergartens, but this is very confusing. It's (laughs) Steisenburn. It's good to see you again, man. Haven't seen you for a while. Stop touching me. (laughs) Touch me unsafely some more. Uh, since it's Christmas, South Park, Mr. Garrison from the great Stephen Sears. What's it I got heard you? there is no Christmas in the silly Middle East. What's this? No trees, no snow, no Santa Claus. They have different religious beliefs. They believe in Muhammad and not in our holiday. And so every December I go to the Middle East and say. Hey there, Mr. Muslim. Merry fucking Christmas. Put down that book, the Koran, and here's some holiday wishes. <laughs> 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 Stephen Sears, ladies and gentlemen. The great Stephen Sears. <laughs> From Lady. The future of the Democratic Party. You use the term the occupation of Palestine. Um, I think it, what I meant is like the the settlements, places where um, where Palestinians are experiencing yes. uh, difficulty. Do you think you can yes. expand on that? I am not the expert on geopolitics <laughs> on this issue. What you just said 
is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. You know what? This is the thing with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I find her fascinating. Like, I'm not joking here. Like, this isn't a joke. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I, I find her legitimately fascinating as a subject. Because, like, see, look at this. Look at this, right? Now, this is genuine. Like, you might say, oh, what an idiot to admit that she doesn't know anything about this. But people like it. People like that about people, right? Look, look again. Expand on that. I am not the expert on geopolitics on this issue. What you just... That's that's a genuine response. Like it's it's very difficult to get a politician to give you a genuine response. Very difficult. Do you see my point here? Like it's more it's more nuanced than just she says dumb things, let's laugh at her. It's 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 purely the it doesn't matter how much she knows or how little she knows. What matters now is the fact that she's genuine about it. And being auth- like Miss Karcher, good to see you, Miss Karcher, the lovely lady from Britain. Being authentic is more important now than knowing shit. And if you don't agree with me, then think of all the smartest people that you know, and think about how unpopular they are in politics. <laughs> like you might be, you might be a brain surgeon, like say Ben Carson, for example. But that doesn't mean he was necessarily popular or the president. Right? The dynamics change. People are looking for different things. And after decades and decades and decades... See, I think the election of Donald Trump, this is where I separate from a lot of people, and I'm happy to do it. I'm proud to do it because it's my genuine opinion. I think part of the election of Donald Trump was not necessarily that people were sick of the left even though a lot of people were sick of the left and they didn't like the way that the left was going a little bit too far in certain cultural areas, social areas and stuff. I get that. But my bigger point here is um, a lot of Democrats voted for Donald Trump in 2016 in the Blue Wall states. Arguably why he became president in the first place was because of people that previously voted for Barack Obama. So I think just to say that people were sick of the left isn't necessarily accurate. I think a lot of the and and here's another thing Donald Trump had records amounts of first time voters first time voters like I've never voted before in my life but I'm voting for Donald Trump like that doesn't get spoken about much at all but it should because it matters and what I think that indicates is that people weren't necessarily although a lot of people were but you know not a critical mass necessarily sick of the left I think the reason that Donald Trump is president right now is a lot of people were sick of politics. Full stop. Period. Like, not sick of this politician or that politician or this party or that party, just sick of it all. Sick of politics in general. Which is why they elected the only guy who wasn't a politician. Does that make sense? He was the only one in the field who wasn't a politician, and he won. Doesn't that tell you something? People were sick of politics. Not necessarily sick of a particular party or sick of a particular politician. Sick of all of them and all of it. And here comes this guy who says, you know, politics, politicians are stupid. Politicians have been 
um, doing the wrong thing. Politics is the problem. And what do you know? He gets elected against all odds. The great Kimmy Jong-un, ladies and gentlemen. I am the great Cornholio. Need tippy for my bunghole. I don't, I don't do a good beavis. I can do a pretty good butthead, though. Do you want to hear my butthead? Hey, beavis. Next up, butt brain and Beatrice. Hey, that's us. Wait a minute. My name's not... Shut up, Beatrice. Short but sweet. Craigslist. Great Stefan Sears. Free snowman. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Free snowman used only one season. Uh, season. Bring your own bucket. You're not, give, you're not getting the bucket. We're not giving you the bucket, mate. <laughs> Fantastic. Great General Eaton. The anti-fun teams have infiltrated coding. What do we got here? Debian, is that how you say it? Debian's anti-harassment team is removing a package over its name. The latest notes from the Debian anti-harassment team. Why do companies have anti-harassment teams? Like as a as a side question, why would you need an anti harassment team? Is your is your company so rife? Like, can you not walk to the bathroom? Can you not go from the desk to the boss's office without somebody inserting a finger in you or something? Like, is it, how how bad is this workplace? Like, what? Are, like, I, what are you working? Like, uh, do you employ a lot of fluffers at this coding company? What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on in this office? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come. We need to employ an anti-harassment team. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's guys just walking around, slapping their dicks on their desk. Females are grabbing people on the crutch wherever they can. It's an it's basically an orgy. It's like the office scene in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. All these offices. It's like, oh, we need to employ an anti-harassment team to take care of this. This is terrible. (laughs) The latest notes from the Debian anti-harassment team on Wednesday caught my attention when reading, quote, we were requested to advise on the appropriateness of a certain package in the Debian archive. He said package. He said package. Package. Our decision resulted in the package pending removal from the archive. Curiosity got the best of me. What package was deemed too inappropriate for the Debian archive? When digging further, the package raised to the Debian anti-harassment team was Weeboob. Weeboob is short for Web Outside of Browsers, as it is an open source collection of software to script and automate the passing, scraping, gathering via API of web data so it can be consumed by different modules and applications. Don't get me wrong, I love the General Eaton, and I think the General Eaton is a very uh, intelligent, very talented, ultra-talented, uh, very personable, very intelligent young man, but this this is... <laughs> this this is shit for the nerds. This is definitely shit for... The, look, look, summary, we, we, don't, we don't even know if this is English at this point, General. What the hell are we talking about here? <laughs> this is eye-glazing stuff to us humans. This is, this is good stuff for the coders. The coders get this. The rest of us humans, we do not. 
Weeboob.org describes itself as Weeboob is a collection of applications able to interact with websites without requiring the user to open them in a browser. It also provides well-defined APIs to talk to websites lacking one. Weeboob is a Python-based is Python-based and offers Qt-based. Oh, what a cutie! That's why we need the um, anti-harassment team because we've got Qt-based user interfaces. Only the cuties may use it. Qt, get it? Do you see what I did? Do you see what I did there? You see what I did there? See, that's why I'm on the big bucks. It's a Qt-based interface for accessing these different modules. Uh, for reading data from different websites outside of any conventional web browser. Those interested can learn more about the software at weboob.org, but yeah, but yes, the name is juvenile and likely inappropriate in most professional corporate environments. Also raised were issues with the icon's artwork like. Additionally, Weboob has some module application names as well as with boob in the string, Silly and juvenile, but that should this package, which isn't installed by default on Debian or otherwise featured by Linux distribution, worth removing from the package repository over the name convention? I, I still feel like I'm speaking French here. Oh, monsieur. Oh, Debian. We boob. We boob. Would you like to see we boobs? We boob was initially added to Debian back in 2010 and has been maintained since, although briefly removed. A few months back, though, the issue was raised over the name project having sexual references, and that goes against the Debian diversity statement. So they got diversity. What is what the, Who would work for this Debian crowd? They've got anti-harassment squads patrolling the office floor, ready to pounce on any kind of flirtatious behaviour whatsoever and send you to the gas chambers. And then they've got the diversity team in <laughs> writing statements about their, the company's values. What the hell is the hell is going on during the discussion over the project's name the following statement was added by the package maintainer to it he said package note the maintainer this software included binaries and maybe other content contained childish references to a specific woman's body part upstream refused to name it there is no diminishing or insulting message so i just so, uh, so i decided to keep it in the archive you may nevertheless feel it uncomfortable using this tool. He said tool. <laughs> he said tool. Okay. There it is. Wee boob. <laughs> General, not one of your best, right? <laughs> what do we got here? A privacy wall by Facebook. Let's have a look. Internal documents show that the social network gave Microsoft, Amazon, Spotify, and others far greater access to people's data than it, something, had disclosed. For years, Facebook gave some of the world's largest technology companies more intrusive access to users' personal data than it has disclosed, effectively exempting those business partners from its usual privacy rules according to internal records and interviews. Have you all deleted your Facebook accounts yet? I have. I have. I deleted my Facebook account years ago. It's one of the best things I ever did. This reminds me of something. Let me bring something up for you.
let's go. Da, 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 da. I'm looking for a news report here that uh, I've seen before. Okay, let's do this. Let's try this way. <laughs> okay, this will do. Let's turn now to a social media story that has been generating a lot of reaction, including anger. This is seven years ago, by the way. Seven years ago. Over the past few days. It's in response to a study Facebook conducted with hundreds of thousands of its users. The study in question goes back to 2012, when Facebook manipulated the incoming content of pages belonging to almost 700,000 of its users for a week without telling them. It was designed to see how people's attitudes were affected when they read either a stream of more positive posts or more negative ones in their so-called news feeds. The results were published in a respected scientific journal in June. As that information has come to light, many are upset at what Facebook did and how they did it. It's also prompted concerns about the ethics of the research the journal where it was published, and much more. To fill in some of the details, we're joined now by Reed Albergati of the Wall Street Journal. Welcome to the program. Reed, first of all, where did the idea of study come from? What did, what did Facebook hope it was going to accomplish by doing this? Well, around the time of the study, there was sort of a meme going around the Internet that when you go on Facebook and you see all these wonderful things that your friends and family are posting about their lives, you start to feel a little bad about your own life. And there was some research, some academic research at the time that really kind of backed up that theory. And Facebook wanted to find out whether or not that was true. And that's why they embarked on this, on this research project. And they say they've debunked that theory, and they weren't shy about it. They worked with Cornell to publish the study and, and tell the public what they'd found. Did they raise any questions internally? Is it known about the propriety? Or Follow Q got a lightsaber from Facebook. That's interesting. That might make me sign up, actually. Are the ethics of doing this? Come no, and in fact, Cornell issued a statement saying they looked at it and they decided they were not subject to federal guidelines, uh, laws actually, that require informed consent of, of human research subjects because the study was done by Facebook without the involvement of the Cornell researchers at the time. Ah, damn those loopholes. You are just a lab rat. Don't you feel, don't you feel blessed being part of the Facebook community? Seven years ago, by the way, <laughs> seven years ago, people are very, very slow learners, I find, generally speaking. You know, seven years ago, Facebook was conducting a psychological experiment on me to induce depression. But you know what? I can still like what my friends had for dinner and look at cat videos. So it's a net, benef uh, ben it's a net positive in my life. Bravo. Bravo. The special arrangements are detailed in hundreds of pages of Facebook documents obtained by the New York Times. The New York Times. The records generated in 2017 by the company's internal system for tracking partnerships provide the most complete picture yet of the social network's data-sharing practices 
They are also they also underscore how personal data has become the most prized commodity of the digital age, traded on a vast scale by some of the most powerful companies in Silicon Valley and beyond. That always <clears throat> that always makes me think of the bigger question around metadata. And this is this is like a philosophical question that I want you to ponder. Don't don't jump to a conclusion here. I want you guys to ponder this for a second. When you're online, you basically have a digital footprint. There is a digital uh, representation of you, right? Because we now live in a time and age where essentially everything about you exists online in some way, shape, or form. Not perhaps not wholly, but definitely a lot of it, like your bank details, your spending habits, your viewing habits, right? You know, what TV you like, what sports you like, what teams you follow, blah, 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 what papers you read, da, 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 da. But everything that you add to this equation, like be it social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, you know, whatever, anything you upload, any videos you do on YouTube, there is a version of you that exists in the fourth dimension, right? If, if we took away all of the internet, you would still be here. But there is a version of you that exists purely in digital form. And that would be like your digital representation of yourself. Now, here's the question. If the everything you post to a certain site uh, essentially belongs to the site and not you, and if you click the OK button when you submit financial details, when you make a purchase on Amazon or whatever, do you own your personal data? And you would have to argue that, no, you do not own your personal data because governments and companies are trading in your personal data, right? Governments and companies and stuff are trading in your personal data. You don't have ownership of it. They own it. They sell it to each other. You don't own it. No one's paying you for your personal data. (laughs) They've actually concocted the perfect scam where you're paying them to give you their personal data, believe it or not. So you don't own your personal data, which means the digital representation of yourself does not belong to you, right? Are you following me here? So the digital representation of yourself does not belong to you, which means you are literally owned by a company. The digital version of you is owned by somebody else. And as the digital versions of ourselves become increasingly important and filled with information and arguably, in a lot of ways, become less relevant than the actual representations of ourselves here in the, in the three-dimensional world, can you, be, can you begin to understand how dangerous this is? Like how damaging this is? Really, truly. You, you have no legal right to your own digital persona, your, your own digital footprint. You don't own it. Somebody else does. Somebody owns you, ladies and gentlemen. And you know what you are when somebody owns you? You're a slave. Slave. The best kind of slaves are the ones that don't realise that they're being owned. They're the happiest. Happy slaves don't run away. They crave their prison.
This sounds like a bit of paranoia. (laughs) That sounds like a non-argument. The exchange was intended to benefit everyone. Of course, it always does. Pushing for explosive growth, Facebook got more users, lifting its advertising revenue. Partner companies acquired features to make their products more attractive. Facebook users connected with friends across different devices and websites. But Facebook also assumed the extraordinary power over the personal information of its 2.2 billion users, ladies and gentlemen, about, what, 30-something percent of the world's population. Control it has wielded with little transparency or outside oversight. Facebook allowed Microsoft's Bing search engine to see the names of virtually all Facebook users' friends without consent, the records show, and gave Netflix and Spotify the ability to read Facebook users' private messages. The social network permitted Amazon to obtain users' names and contact information through their friends and let it Yahoo view streams of friends' posts as recently as this summer, despite public statements that it had stopped that uh, that type of sharing years earlier. Well, of course, they wouldn't do... They wouldn't lie to us, would Facebook? I mean, they wouldn't engage in anything. Like, If Facebook says they're not doing it, then core blimey, they're absolutely not doing it. Let's turn now to a social media story that has been generating a lot of reaction, including anger, over the past few days. It's in response to a study Facebook conducted with hundreds of thousands of its users. The study- Look at this. It's seven years old. It's only, it hasn't even got 6,000 views. Like, do you think most people care about this stuff? Look at it. <laughs> 5,980 views about a Facebook psychological experiment on PBS. This isn't a far-right bigot conspiracy website. This is PBS. In question goes back to 2012. Plantier. Let's talk about Plantier. We'll have to do a whole show about Plantier. content of pages belonging to almost 700,000 of its users for a week without telling them. It was designed to see how people's attitudes were affected when they read either a stream of more positive posts or more negative ones in their so-called news feeds. Classical conditioning, it's otherwise known as. There are some wonderful experiments that you can read about. People who um, would only expose themselves, say, to one particular side of the news media after a month, and then they would just keep a personal diary. And, like, each day they would write down their notes, what they think about the world, what they think about politicians and stuff. I, I, granted, it's not necess- It's very su- highly subjective, of course, because humans are subjective beings. But after a month, so they would take someone on the left and expose them only to, um, you know, conservative news, and then take a conservative and expose them only to left-wing news. And so, after a month, three months, six months, twelve months, they would track uh, these people's opinions on what they thought about, you know. And I know it's very simple, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm not trying to get into a political argument here, but, um, you know, the input that we have has a, a massive effect on, you know, how we view the world, how our perceptions are shaped. And if you consider, it's, it's funny, like, think about it. This I was thinking about this earlier today. Social media has basically given us connectivity to all kinds of people all around the world. It has essentially expanded our world, right? But at the same time, it's shrunk our world considerably. Because if you think about it, now in social media, 
you care less about, say, 60 million people who vote the other way than you vote than you do about 20 people who comment on your Twitter post or your Facebook post, right? Where once upon a time you would think of these numbers like 60 million people voting for this person or 50 million people in that, in that part of the world. Like in your mind, the world was bigger. But with social media, your world has actually been shrunk and compressed and compartmentalised. And like I said, most people now care less about 50 million people who don't agree with them than they do about the 20 people who they don't know who comment on their Facebook post. You know, some people will read a Facebook post from someone they've never met and it will keep them up all night. Oh, look at this fucking idiot who commented on my Twitter post. I'm going to go get this person. It's like, why do you care so much about this one person? (laughs) You know, do you see what I'm saying here? Like our world has shrunk and we've become hyper-focused on the minute and we've forgotten about the macro. It is weird, right? That's just a thought. I might be wrong. It was just a thought that occurred to me today. We care more about the 20 people who comment on a Twitter thread than we do about the 20 million people who disagree with us politically. It's rather insane if you think about it. All right. Another one from General Eaton. Computer chip. Here we go. <clears throat> this this is what I'm talking about. This is what I like. General Eaton knows the stuff I like. Computer chip will sniff your armpits and tell you when you have BO, just in case your nose stops working, ladies and gentlemen. Just, just in case. Are you the kind of person that would tell somebody that they smell? I am. I'm the kind of guy who would say to a guy, dude, you stink. You stink, dude. Yeah, because I think that's a good thing to do. I think that's a humanitarian thing to do. I don't want this guy going around all day with everybody thinking that he stinks. Like, when he can fix it, that's a fixable problem. Like, there's a restroom over there. Go in there, take the shirt off, give yourself a scrub, get some soap under those pits, man. Next thing you know, you are fresh. You're fresh and ready to roll. You know what I mean? I, I don't want I don't want you stinking all day, stinking the place up. I feel bad for you. Do I smell? It's an embarrassing problem we have all had to deal with. Well, speak for yourself. Speak for yourself, Douglas Heaven, the author of this piece. We've all had to deal with stinking, really. Well, okay. Okay, fair enough. A run for the bus or a hot meeting room can leave you trying to check your armpit without anybody noticing. Luckily, AI is here to help. Yes, finally, a, a, a use for AI that we can all rally around. I can't wait for the the AI dog robots to come up and sniff my crotch. Tell me my ass stinks. It's going to be great. Sign me. Where do I sign up? UK chip maker Arm, better known for developing the hardware that powers most smartphones, is working on a new generation of smart chips that embed artificial intelligence inside devices. One of these chips is being taught to smell. The <laughs> <laughs> the idea <coughs> the idea <coughs> is the chip <laughs> the, the idea is the chips will be small and cheap enough 
to be built into clothing. I, I don't want a cheap sniffer chip. I, I want the I want the top of the line sniffer chip. What if the cheap sniffer chip doesn't pick up garlic? Then I'm fucked. Allowing an AI to keep tabs on your BO throughout the day. Arm um, <laughs> also wants to add the chips to food packaging to monitor freshness. Do we really need this? Come on, guys. It's times like this where I weep for humanity. <laughs> we don't we don't need computer chips in our clothes that tell us we stink. Come on. Come on, man. Come on, we could have we could have cured cancer by now. Come on, what are you doing? What are you wasting your time on this on smelling chips for? Jesus Christ! So I'd be embarrassed to tell people what I'm doing with my life if I was creating a computer chip that smells armpits. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even want to say that. I'd rather say I clean toilets. I'm a hooker. I'm a hooker. Yep. Yep. Yep, I, I take um, angry loads from rich men all night. Really? Wouldn't you rather be? Com- wouldn't you rather be? You know, creating computer chips that go in armpits to to detect how stinky you are throughout the day? Fuck no. Fuck no. The e noses. <laughs> the e noses are part of a project called Plastic Armpit. In which an arm is developed... Oh, just what we need. Plastic armpits. Oh, God. I hate the smell of burning rubber. In which arm is being develop- is developing smart chips made from thin sheets of plastic. Each chip will have eight different sensors and a built-in machine learning circuit. How wonderful. Sniff a pit. <laughs> it will look like a piece of cling film with bits stuck to it, says James Myers at Arm. Plastic armpit will be the first application of machine learning in plastic electronics. Smells are made up of different combinations and concentrations of gases. <clears throat> the sensors on the chip will detect different chemicals in the air, and then the AI will take that complex data and identify it as a particular whiff. Just what we need. Just what we need in our li- just what we need to enrich our lives. You know what? I smell like a garbage pit that's been flushed down a toilet and rubbed between someone's ass cheeks. AI, can you please tell me what thing I ate for dinner that stinks so bad? Can you please tell me what particular offensive scent I remind you of at three o'clock in the afternoon? That would be wonderful. I, I That's just something I need to know. Need to know basis. Curry. Yeah, curry's bad. Or you could shower and use deodorant, says Kim. Now Skynet will have more reasons to hate us, General Eaton. <laughs> we must eliminate the humans. They smell awful. <laughs> Ted Turner, global warming will create cannibals. <laughs> yes. Not doing it will be catastrophic. We'll have eight degrees, we'll be eight degrees hotter. Hey Siri, Heisenberg. Hey Siri, how does my ass smell? <laughs> like chopped parsley and off pork. And basically, none of the crops will grow. Most of the people will have died, and the rest of us will be cannibals. Civilization will have broken down. What the few people are left will Mr. be Anderson. living in a, in, in a failed state like Somalia or Sudan, and, and living conditions will be intolerable. The drought. I've got to hear this again. I don't have a problem with futurism. 
you know, pontificating on what will happen in the future and stuff, you know, you've got to have a logical um, way of getting there. Like, you can't just spout off, but I mean, I, I like futurism. It doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm quite interested to see what people think will be the world of tomorrow. So let's see what Ted Turner's got to say for himself. He did manage to have regular sex with Jane Fonda. So the guy knows a thing or two, right? He, he's, got a, he's, got, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. Not doing it will be catastrophic. We'll have eight degrees, we'll be eight degrees hotter in 10, not 10, but in 30 or 40 years. And basically none of the crops will grow. Most of the people will have died and the rest of us will be cannibals. Civilization will have broken down. The few people who are left will be living in a, in, in a failed state like Somalia or Sudan. And, and living conditions will be intolerable. The droughts will be so bad there'll be no more corn growing. It, it will, the, the, not doing it is suicide. Just like dropping bombs on each other, nuclear weapons is suicide. So we've got to stop doing the two suicidal things, which are nuclear hanging on to our and, nuclear and, weapons. And global and, and then after that, we've got to, we've got to stabilize the population. In 12 years, when I yes. was born, no, there were so two, what's wrong with the population? I mean, we're too many people. That's, what, that's why we have global warming. We have global warming because too many people are using too much stuff. But if there were less people, they'd be using less stuff. It, oh, okay. Well, give away all your money then, Ted. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and live like a peasant, mate. That's there's always that's such an easy jab, isn't it? Too many people are using too much stuff, says the guy who owns fucking hundreds of millions of acres of land. <laughs> who owns whole production houses. <laughs> that's a very easy one to make. Um let me find something here for you just on um global warming. Sam made a comment before. Most people only think in contemporary terms. Yes, I couldn't agree more. This is something that I've struggled with when I've, I, well, I used to, when I was younger and angrier as a debater, I would often come up against this problem, like trying to convey to people how uh, small and insignificant in terms of, um, would you say, the totality of time and existence that their particular situation is. Do you know what I mean? And again, it's not trying to be heartless or anything like that. But I would often say, like, we, we tend to think that um, everything begins and ends when we are born and we die, but that's not, that's not true, obviously. And so we think about things in very short-term ways for human beings, right? But, you know, things, some things can take millennia to evolve and change and shift and move, and, and there's always fluctuations, and uh, it makes it very difficult for us as human beings because we are constrained by our belief of time and we we think time is real because we are born we get old and we die but time time isn't a real thing time is our time is a, an invention of human beings to place themselves in the world in the universe to make sense of what they see and what they what they have and what they do from a day-to-day basis like there is there is no time time is our construction like we made the clocks to know when we get up and have to go to bed and when we have to go to work and when we have to do this and stuff, right? We made sundials to track, you know, how long we've been here. But that doesn't mean that time exists. Just... Yes, time is how we perceive sequence, exactly. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to find you something. Oh, 
Oh, sorry. While I'm looking. Kimmy um, was... Kimmy and General Eaton are probably the only two people who used to watch me when there was two people in the room, if you get that. And they used to like how I would talk, and when I stopped talking, put the music up for a couple of seconds, make a, make a joke, make a one-liner, and then step away. And so on and so forth. So just while I'm bringing up this clip, allow me to slide up. The age of convenience. He then got back in his limo and was driven to his other palace. Now, you might not like Mark Stein for his political views and whatever. That's fine, but I can tell you that he's like a, he appreciates poetry and shit. And he's a very charming and witty and funny man if you just take the politics out of it. If you're, a, if you're an angry person on the left, then you will not like Mark Stein because he's you know, quite charming and effective in you know, creating comedy about your beliefs, which I totally understand. Don't get me wrong. People who are effective and charming in creating comedy against conservative beliefs, I, I tend to like them because I, I can separate, you know, the politics from the art, so to speak. doesn't bother me. They've got to be good, though. But um, what we just read, that, what we just saw there from Ted Turner reminded me of this. This is a speech that um, Mark Stein gave back in 2016. The IPA, the Institute of Public Affairs, is a libertarian think tank in Australia. And he gave this speech in Melbourne um, a couple of years ago. Check this out. Way while we're having dinner. Uh, So the Guardian says Australia will be entirely uninhabitable. Islam for UK says Britain will be under Sharia within a few years. As mayor of Tehran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad had the streets of the city widened for the imminent return to earth of the 12th imam. As heir to the throne, the Prince of Wales declared the planet is doomed in 96 months unless humanity abandons the evils of capitalism and, quote, the age of convenience. Wow. He then got back in his limo and was driven to his other palace. Uh, By the way, that 96 months business, he said that 79 months ago. (laughs) So the bad news is we've got less than a year and a half to go. The good news is that's probably only enough time for another five or six Australian prime ministers. Uh, a, couple, a couple of months before saying that the jig would be up for us in 96 months, His Royal Highness predicted that the red squirrel would be extinct within 10 years, uh, which would be April 2019. So uh, if you've got your uh, long-range diary with you, global civilization will collapse in July 2017, and then the red squirrel will get to gamble and frolic in the ruins and rubble for another two years before he's kaput. It's, uh, it's like Planet of the Squirrels. There'll be... There'll be... Uh, There'll be Kevin the Squirrel and Julia the Squirrel. I love him. 
He just has such a way with words. The the red squirrel, the end. The world will end in you know, July twenty seventeen, and the red squirrel will be able to gamble and frolic in the ruins <laughs> for another two years after that. <laughs> He's an absolute gem. Fantastic. Any anybody who's got good wordplay, I appreciate. Anybody who's good with wordplay, they can be right, left. I don't even care if they if they know how to, you know, if they can serenade me with their wordplay, then I'm hooked. I love them. GMO houseplant purifies air of hazardous compounds. I like that you put this article. I'm sure this was intentional from General Eaton. I like that you put this after the computer chip will sniff your armpits to tell you how stinky you are. Don't never fear. If you're not a fan of the computer chip smelling your armpits, then GMO has a house plant that will smell you just for you. This ought to be good. GMO house plant purifies air of hazardous compounds. Thank you for visiting Jen. I'm sure it won't be my last time. A new genetically modified houseplant could be hailed as an exciting breakthrough for environmental science or a biological pariah, depending on which side of the often ill-informed argument one falls. However, regardless of your stance in this debate, most of us like to keep the air in our houses as clean as possible, and we often go to great lengths in order to keep offending allergens, dust particles, and even chemicals at bay. Yet, some hazardous compounds are too small to be trapped in these filters. Now, researchers at the University of Washington have genetically modified a common houseplant. What could go go wrong? Pothos ivy or devil's ivy to remove chloroform, benzene from the air around it. The modified plants express a mammalian protein called 2E1 that transforms these compounds into molecules that the plants can then use to support their own growth. Small molecules like chloroform, which is present in small amounts in chlorinated water, or benzene, which is a component of gasoline, (laughs) build up in our homes when we shower or boil water. So when I shower, I am exuding gasoline, ladies and gentlemen. I am fucking revving up. I am revved up and ready to go. You know what, baby? I am going to strip down naked after this show. I'm going to jump in the shower, and then I want you to put a gasoline tank under me. And we're going to set that bitch on fire. Or boil water. Or when we store cars or lawnmowers in attached garages, these compounds are too small to be captured by even HEPA air filters or and exposure to each has been linked to cancer. Findings from the new studies were published recently in Environmental Science and Technology through an article linked... Uh, titled Greatly Enhanced Removal of Volatile Organic Carcinogens. People haven't really been talking about these hazardous, uh, hazardous organic compounds in homes, and I think that's because we couldn't do anything about them. I, I don't know. I tend to think like every couple of weeks I read an article that says something like, you know what, tomatoes give you cancer. Mushrooms cause prostate cancer. It's like It's like everything kills you now. Every single thing that you could imagine kills you. And and now we're getting told that, you know, when we shower, we 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 excrete some kind of chemical form of diesel fuel and the only way to get around it is a GMO plant which will suck the fuel out of the air. I, it's like, come on, really? 
why have we been able to live for so long without without these plants? I don't understand. Fuel energy crisis? There's no energy crisis. I've literally got gasoline dripping off the end of my ball sack, man. Trust me. Excessive of <laughs> study. <laughs> Excessive consumption of water causes death. Exactly. <laughs> We decided we should have this reaction occur outside of the body in a plant, an example of the green liver concept, Dr. Strand explained. And 2E1 can be beneficial for the plant too. Plants use carbon dioxide and chloride ions to make their food, and they use phenol to help make components of their cell walls. This whole process took more than two years. Wow. Wow. In two years, we could have discovered a way to... Once again, like I said, if our bodies are producing diesel fuel, in two years we could have come up with a way to extract that diesel fuel and power our own home. It's like just let your back sweat drip onto this tray and that will that will power your George Foreman cooker. I think that would be fantastic. The great Stefan Sears, last one here for the Christmas episode. <laughs> We've still got two to go. Puppy Dog Puss. CNN's Cuomo and Lemon attack Tucker Carlson. Let's have a, let's have a little looky here. Let's have a little look-see. Don't worry, be happy now. You could run your Ford Fiesta with that shit, says Lindy Jacob. You have to ask yourself, what is wrong with two grown men who behave like two mean girls in high school to try and take down someone they disagree with on national TV? Tucker Carlson has come under fire for comments he made on his show regarding illegal immigrants. What else is new? He said America is poorer and dirtier because of them. He is 100% correct. What? That racist. Our southern border is a shithole full of trash. Who knows what else because of the constant stream of illegals who dump clothes, plastic water jugs, and trash all over the place. To be fair, this is a very small... It, it looks at least like they've put all of the trash in one area, doesn't it? It looks like they've concentrated their trash where the sand is. There's a tyre there. Where is the car? How could a tyre get there without a car? It's very interesting. Is there a video here? No, there's no video. There's no video. So we have two anchors on CNN who are behaving like schoolgirls on air at CNN Unreal. Well, what else is new? Okay, there you go. That's Christmas. It's rock and roll. So this was the New Year's episode. (laughs) The New Year's episode, ladies and gentlemen. Someone in the chat said, I'm going to go where the balls aren't for a while. That's, I totally understand. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Okay. Reminded me of something I saw recently. We did that one. We did that one. California decides to regulate cow farts in order to fight global warming. Let's rock and roll. Let's do this. 
California decides to regulate cow farts in order to fight global warming. California has become the first state in the union to regulate cow farts. The Golden State enacted legislation in September that will regulate greenhouse gas emissions from farms and landfill, uh, landfills, including cow fat, uh, flatulence, a major source of methane, which is more potent uh, a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Oh, my God. All this time we've been looking at carbon dioxide when we should have been looking at methane. Fuck. That's, that's just like one more thing that the IPCC got wrong. One more thing that the client... The, the climate scientists got wrong was they were they were talking about carbon dioxide for the last 30 years. What they should have been talking about was methane. Now we know. Now we know better. Now we know better. See, people are saying a fart tax, a fart tax. I don't think it is. I think these kinds of things are pushed by like the hard vegans because essentially it's going to make people stop eating meat. Like they want to tax um, meat eating out of existence. I don't think they even believe in the global warming stuff. We've done a couple of studies down here. We know that like 30% of hard environmentalist green voters actually want more coal-fired power stations to keep the prices low because you see a lot of them don't have jobs. They're all students and stuff. So energy prices high, they don't like it. So they'd rather have um, coal, coal-fired power stations than pay more for electricity. But say, if you put a tax on cow farts, that means it's more expensive for farmers to have cows, which means the price of meat goes up, which means less people eat meat, which means you're saving the cows. You see what I mean? If we can reduce the emissions of methane, we can really help to slow global warming, says Ryan McCarthy. (laughs) Where do they find these people? A science advisor for the California Air Resources Board, which is drawing up rules to implement the new law. Livestock are responsible for 14.5% of human-induced greenhouse gas emissions. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Like, I I know it's a cheap argument. I know it's an easy one to make. But don't, don't, don't tell me that it's going to be you know, 32 degrees tomorrow when it's actually 27 and then tell me that you can pinpoint the amount of cow fart in the atmosphere to 14.5%. Like, it just doesn't work, man. It just doesn't work. You cannot, you cannot be, you cannot be serious. You cannot be serious. That ball was out. That ball was out. Right on the line. No mistakes so far in this match, right? You have an overall of eight. No mistakes whatsoever. Second stop, please. Answer my question! The question, jerk! sympathize with him. That's how I feel when I read this shit. Absolutely. 
Since the passage of its landmark global warming law in twenty in two thousand six, oh landmark was it? Never heard of it. California has been reducing carbon emissions from cars, trucks, homes, and factories while boosting production of renewable energy. Isn't it wonderful? In the nation's largest milk-producing state, the new law aims to reduce methane emissions from dairies and livestock operations to 40% below 2013 levels by 2030. Wow, they're so brave. They're so brave. You know, see, this is the utter absurdity of climate change politicians and their arguments. Let Let me tell you why it's so absurd. In order to guarantee that you're going to reduce something by 2030, like here in Australia, we have a politician right now, the leader of the opposition, Bill Shorten. He's got a plan for renewable energy to 2050. Like he's like, by 2050, we want this. And I'm like, people are like, yes, but by 2050, we're going to do this. We're going to save the planet and stuff. I'm like, okay, so this government is going to be reelected every single election until 2050. And they just give you like a, it hits them all of a sudden with that one question, it hits them. (laughs) You know, we've got a plan to reach a certain target by 2050. I'm like, fucking congratulations. What's your plan to win the next 14 elections? (laughs) Because that's the only way that you're going to get to 2050 with your fucking plan, right? You know what I mean? You can't, who cares? You could have a plan for 2050. It doesn't matter. Unless you've got a plan to win every single election up to and including 2050, then it's completely irrelevant. Oh, we've got a plan. We're going to reduce it by, by you know, 40% in by 2030. Who cares? In two years from now, you might lose the election and your plan goes... Your plan evaporates into the atmosphere like so many taxable cow farts. You know what I mean? There is no plan anymore. Forget about the plan. What plan? What plan are you talking about? There's no plan. Yeah, we've got a plan to reduce taxation by 76% by the year 2076. Okay, great. What's your plan to stay in government for the next 50 fucking years? Because that's what you have to do in order to make your plan work. <laughs> but it's amazing how many people just lap this shit up. Ask somebody. Next time somebody, it's it's very simple. Next time somebody comes to you and says, um, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm voting for this person because they're going to reduce X or Y by 40% by the year 2030 and stuff. Say, just ask them, oh, okay, what's their plan to stay in government for the next 12 years? And they'll give you a dumb look and I go, what do you mean? Well, then I'm like, well, obviously, if you need this plan to work by 2030, then you have to be in government until 2030. Otherwise, you know, the next people that come in government are going to change the plan, right? You understand that, right? Like, like you don't think that just because you announce a plan that goes until 2030 that your opponents have to do it. Like, you don't realise that, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can just see it, can't you? Somebody announces a plan for a new uh, green energy in 2050, but they lose the election in 2020. And then they're, you know, now they're now in the opposition. They're in the minority. And the new government says, okay, this is what we're going to do about energy. And they're like, you can't do that. You can't do that. We've got a plan. We, we, we look, we'll look at the plan. Are you forgetting about the plan, bro? We, we, already, we already talked about this. We've got a plan until 2050. You have to stick to the plan, man. You're not allowed to change anything. 
Like, what's the difference? Governments may as well get elected and say, uh, we've got a new plan to be the only party in power for the next 200 years. And then that I guess that makes all subsequent elections null and void then, does it? It's the same thing. Why not do it? Well, we've got a plan to change all of our energy consumption by 2050. Beautiful. I've, I can beat that. We've got a plan to be in government and do everything that you hate for the next 200 years. Eat that, sucker. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? <laughs> we win. <laughs> Even when you win, we win. Trust me. Oh, boy, says J-Man. Your animals are weird. We did that one. Homegrown, we did that one. I think we did the Huffpo too. Breaking Bad star defends playing disabled character. Here we go. This ought to be fun. One of my favourite topics. Not disabled. (laughs) One of my favourite topics isn't disabled people. Just letting you know. Although, you know. Disabled people have abilities too. Like, you know, I don't want to see disabled people. Wait, that didn't come out right. I mean, I don't want to see people getting disabled. Wait, I mean, I love disabled people. Imagine if I was running for government right now. We have a plan we have a plan to eliminate disabled people by 2050. You what, mate? What? Fucking what? No, no, we have a plan to eliminate disabilities. Just stop. <laughs> Peter, good to see you. I claim my melanin as a disability. You'd be mad if you didn't, mate, in this day and age. If I was a brown-skinned individual as yourself, sir, I would absolutely be claiming that shit. Why not? Everyone else is claiming something. May as well get in on the act. A little bit of do-re-me. Leave it to the Dems, Boogie, <laughs> says Crystal. <laughs> Brian Cranston has defended playing a disabled character in his latest film, saying his casting as a man with quad, uh, quadriplegia was a business decision. How? Oh, my God. Oh, oh how awful. It's disgusting. Disgusting behaviour. A business decision. Somebody is profiting off the disabled, ladies and gentlemen. Profiting off the disabled. Like like everybody else in the disabled industry. Not the disabled people. <laughs> Sorry. I've, I've, t- I've carried that joke about as far as it'll go now. I think if I go one or two like disabled gags too far, then people will, real, will, will really think that I do dislike disabled people or something. So I better leave it there. Even though my instinct is to like keep push push it through, push keep pushing through, man. Push through that wall. <laughs> it's like the devil and the angel on each shoulder. 
It's like, come on, you can be really hated in the next five minutes if you try hard enough. I'm tempted. I'm very tempted. As actors, we're asked to play other people. Exactly. Thank you. See, this is the shit I hate about this stuff when, um, like, because now um, apparently it's wrong for different, like, say, okay, for example, and I don't want to get political again on this topic, but let me give you an example. If black people want to play um, the founding fathers, see, a couple of years ago, a lot of people on the right were upset that black people were playing uh, the founding fathers in some play or some obscure fucking TV movie that nobody saw and nobody gives a fuck about. You know, I don't have a problem with that. Of course, go. Do it, man. Do your interpretation. Did you guys ever see the Michael Jackson Wizard of Oz version? It was amazing. Like, so, and I don't care about that stuff. That's what acting is. But it's, you know, these crazy social justice people are like, oh, you can't have a non-gay person playing as a gay person. Like, that's that's appropriation. You can't do that. I'm like, bullshit. Like, who, does anybody remember the crying game? Remember the crying game? It was Hillary Swank, right? Hillary Swank had to pretend to be a boy and shit. She won an Oscar for it. Like, that's that's brilliant. The, the whole point of acting is to be something that you're not. Like, there is no talent in... Uh, like, just say if the particular role in a movie is for a gay mechanic who whistles when he speaks. If you are actually a gay mechanic who whistles when they speak, that's not... I don't... You don't get an award for that. You're not doing anything different. You're, like, that's... You're just being... You're being the person that they're like. They're actually asking for the exact same thing that the role carries. Like it's just mindless. That's not what good acting is. Good acting is being able to convincingly portray a character when you are not that character. Do you know what I mean? Are you a thespian, Boogie? I don't even know what a thespian is. Is that somebody who drives a Thespa? That would be a Vespa for people with a lisp. Word Smiter. <laughs> Word Smiter, thanks for joining us. Word Smiter says, Hollywood is threatened by British actors who play American roles. So they should be. So they well should be. Some of the best American accents are people who come from you know, Suffolk. <laughs> I don't know. Where does the restriction apply? Where is that? Where is the line for that? He told the press association. Good on him. Good on him. He's fucking. He's one hundred percent right. If I, as a straight older person, and I'm wealthy, I'm very fortunate. Does that mean I can't play a person who is not wealthy? Does that mean I can't play a homosexual? He mused. Ah, oh, bravo, bravo. This is the point. This is the point of acting. This is entirely the point of acting. <clears throat> I mean, I mentioned before, the first ever play that I was cast in was Hans Christian Andersen. I was a middle-aged, balding, overweight mayor of a town. I was a mayor of a town in fucking Austria or something. I'm, I'm not a mayor of a town in Austria now. I certainly wasn't when I was 10. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, for this, for this child's play, we have to actually get a middle-aged man from Austria who is a mayor of a town in order for it to be, you know, so we're not culturally appropriate. It's mindless garbage. It's dumb. It's stupid. This is part of the reason why Hollywood is going, 
downhill. Like, where's the creativity? Where's the imagination? Is imagination now a sin? If you have the ability to... Uh, remember that saying, walk a mile in another man's shoes? Like, don't don't make comment until you walk a mile in another man's shoes. If you actually walked a mile in another man's shoes now, you'd be accused of culturally appropriating someone else's footwear. I think I've said that before, but it's, it's fucking bang on. How, how dare you walk a mile in that, in that man's shoes? You're not allowed to wear those shoes. You're the wrong race. You're the wrong colour. You're the wrong culture to be wearing those shoes. You need to be wearing your specific shoes only. Every other form of sh- uh, footwear is foreboding for you, you oppressive bigot. Last year, meanwhile, Johnson was censured for calling more disabled actors on screen while also playing a man with a prosthetic leg in an action film, Skyscraper. Now, see, if you can play a man with a prosthetic leg in an action film, I, like, I'm like, hand that guy an Oscar immediately. Cranston's comments come in the wake of ongoing debate over whether it is appropriate for... Oh, God. Word Smiter, I know, used to work in PR and stuff. So I think Word Smiter probably has a list of words that she hates viscerally. Like words, it's probably words that you had to use, Word Smiter, like time in, time out, over and again, that you just really, really, really dislike using. It might be because of what they convey or what they portray or what they're hiding more more often than not. For me, it's what they hide. I hate words that hide things. My most hated word in the English language is appropriate. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Well, this isn't appropriate. <laughs> it's like if, if somebody tells me something like, oh, this isn't appropriate, I'm like, my first thought, regardless of the setting, is who the fuck are you? <laughs> it could be, my, could be my grandmother saying, you know, Boogie, this aluminum. <laughs> Boogie, this, this, this behavior, this language, this isn't appropriate. It doesn't matter. I'll still be like, who the fuck are you, Grandma? Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Jack Whitehall, and Ed Screen. Uh, I've never heard of him. Are among, sorry, Ed, are among those who have faced criticism for accepting certain roles. How, how dare you accept a job that's challenging? How dare you, as an actor, accept a challenging role in which you'll have to completely and utterly immerse yourself in the character you're trying to portray? What we want is mediocre actors who don't have to try very hard across the board. That's what we want in Hollywood. That's that's what people want. <laughs> it's like you used to get criticised for not 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 performing a role up to a you know an appropriate standard. <laughs> you used to get criticised if you. Um, were in a movie and you didn't do the, you weren't convincing enough. Now you get criticized for taking the job. Consider that. Like you haven't even, you haven't even clipped one scene yet. You haven't even been on film yet. And they're already into you. It's insane. These people are batshit crazy. They are, they are mindlessly insane. Knuckle draggers. Richard Dreyfus plays himself in every role, and they used to call that acting. 
Well, it's arguably the same with Bill Murray, though, too, isn't it? Bill Murray is the same person in every single role. The difference is everybody loves Bill Murray and everybody hates Richard Dreyfus. you know, because Bill Murray... Unfortunately for Richard Dreyfus, the Bill Murray character is far more charming. <laughs> Nicole Kidman also appears in the US remake of the French film Intouchable. Nicole Kidman, she's still stunning. She's in her 50s. Fantastic. Good on him. Mr. Cranston. Mackenzie Bezos could become the world's richest woman after divorce. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I like reading about people divorcing and stuff. Yeah, you know, I understand the celebrity aspect of it. You know, but I really, I don't care. I don't care who these people are having sex with, honestly. Just the headline, okay. Mackenzie Bezos could become the world's richest woman after divorce. The world's richest couple is divorcing, Jeff and Mackenzie Bezos. Mackenzie. I've, I've known two women in my life whose first name is Mackenzie. It's, it's always struck me as a strange first name. Sorry to anybody who's Mackenzie in the audience. If they split their fortune equally, it could leave Mackenzie 48 with $69 billion. Wow. I don't think she's going to have any problem remarrying. <laughs> Believe it or not. Like, even for the most, um, would you say, even for the most uh, money-hungry trophy wife, it's pretty hard to blow $69 billion at the salon, you know? (laughs) It's like, give me the diamond-studded perm. It's not even making a dent. She can get multiple boy toys for that. Exactly. Ducks Regionist, thanks for joining us. Boogie Bumper, the Jesuit surf, has no clue about names. Yeah, I know Mackenzie, right? Son of Mac is Mac, right? But it's MC is Son of Mac in the Scottish. Just just because you're Scottish, GDM, under your pseudonym this week, doesn't mean that anybody gives a shit, man. Oh, he's saying the wrong thing about Mackenzie. Fuck this Australian colonial prick. Fuck him. Aye, fuck him. It's fucking Jesuit, mate. Aye, he can get to fuck, mate. I fucking don't know nothing about fucking names, mate. Aye, you fucking stubborn prick. All names are triple barreled, mate. You don't fucking know anything about the names, mate. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you, mate. You sound like Shrek. (laughs) Courtesy of the wife. This comes from Stefan Sears, lovely wife. Nutted in my socks, then worn them. I love kicking it with my kids. Ah, yes. Bravo. Bravo. (laughs) It's disgusting, but good at the same time. Dr. Gonzo sending... Oh, did we, oh, yeah, we saw Gonzo's stuff earlier, didn't we? Yeah, we watched Gonzo's stuff when we were doing the show. Okay, another Craigslist. Let's see what we got here.
It was a magical experience if ever I've had one. Walking up and down the back alleys looking for something, anything to make me feel alive. And I noticed some old thrown adult, uh, thrown out adult DVD covers in the dumpster of a local store. I couldn't believe my luck. But I knew that with the clothes on my back being my only possessions in the world, that I couldn't risk soiling them. I removed my exterior garments and jumped into the metal bin to begin digging for the treasures of a masturbatory nature. That's when I stood up and looked there holding your trash bags. Uh, That's when I stood up and saw you there holding your trash bags. It was obvious that you weren't expecting me as you took out the daily trash from your work. You were standing there perplexed, yet intrigued. And I was there wearing nothing but sneakers, standing in your dumpster, while holding placards of all the dirtiest new adult DVD releases. Oh, it was a sight to behold. Your eyes met mine, and there was an awkward silence before you turned and walked the other way. I'm sure you felt the same thing I did. You were the porn store employee wearing the yellow shirt. I believe you are the manager. I was, of course, the naked 30-something with a few good teeth. Please Please respond ASAP as my data on my Obama phone expires in two days. Fantastic. This is unbearable, says someone in the chat. (laughs) It's exactly what I'm going for. This one for Kimmy. (sighs) Living Elf on the Shelf. I think we did this guy too. We did this one, didn't we? Yes, we definitely did this one. Uh, Four men go on trial for giant gold coin heist from Berlin Museum. Men accused of stealing 100-kilogram big maple leaf in 2017 heist involving ladder, wheelbarrow, and getaway car. Does anybody remember Dane Cook? Dane Cook was a comedian who basically got famous by utilising Facebook before anybody else did. And he's he's not overly funny, but he's funny because he's funny. I like Dane Cook. Comedians and people who like comedy hate Dane Cook, but I like Dane Cook. So just in regards to the heist. I was talking to this girl the other day, and uh, she said, all guys want effects. And I go, listen, finish blowing me, and we're going to talk about this later. That's a lie. (laughs) I just said that because it was funny. She actually said that. She goes, that's all guys wanting is sex. And I said to her, nay. I said, there's other things that guys want besides sex. We're just a little embarrassed to admit them, but I'm putting it on the universe so that you can respect and understand us for who we are as men. For example, any guy here, more than sex, if they had the choice of sex or this one other thing, any guy here would rather be part of a heist. You know, every time you watch the movie Heat, you're like, I want to do that. You just want to be running down Main Street with an AK-47. Where's the van? 
like, give me a minute. I just need one more minute. Dude, I need one more minute to hack into the mainframe. I'm in Friendster. They rerouted me into Friendster. I need a minute. Where's the fucking van? He did try acting, didn't he? I can't, I can't remember what movie he was in or anything, but I remember, like, it was like I remember reading something years and years and years, like ten years ago, like Dane Cook acting gig or blah 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 blah. He did step in, yeah. He disappeared because <clears throat> I think, um, I, I I like what um Sam said. Like he was someone who's really good at delivery, but had no actual content. I'm not saying he had no actual content. Like he has some funny takes on various things, but he's, he's, he's not like a superstar gold plated comedian. You know what I mean? He's not, um, yeah, he's not, I'll, I'll show you a comedian after this, but one that I like. Replacement. He's not one of the original gang, but one of the other guys vouches for him. No, no, dude, trust me. This guy's cool. He's solid and he's cool, but he's not cool. Is he? He doesn't really say anything ever, right? He just stands there, looks cool, and then at one point he might be like, let's kill these bitches. I'm gonna be a part of a heist, and I wanna get shot right here in the back of my leg. Oh, shit! It stings, but it still makes me feel kinda cool. And I just, I keep looking at the blood going, no, 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 no! Where's the van? Bleeding from the leg. Louis C.K. fan. We want to be a part of a heist. And then there's something else that we want even more than the heist, even more than sex. Any guy here would love to have a monkey. Yes. Yes. A pet monkey. Yes. And people get mad. Sometimes you say, oh, I'd love to have a monkey. And there's always that one anti-monkey person in the area. They overhear you. Excuse me. I heard you saying you'd like to have a monkey. And that's a horrible idea. You do not want a monkey. You do not want a monkey. They're a monkey expert, and they start listing off all the reasons you can't have a monkey. Let me tell you a few things. If I could just have a minute, can I just explain a few things about monkeys that maybe you don't know before you jump to your conclusion? Okay, it's more than just bananas and dancing with toothbrushes, okay? You might be trans, Dr. Rickles. First of all, they crap in their own hand, and they throw it around in a festive manner. That's why you were Like during a celebration of monkey poop and... They make faces that are unacceptable in society. I hear these things and I'm like, that's why I want a monkey, all those reasons. I don't want a nice little quiet monkey. I want an evil monkey that I can dress in armor, give him a sword, have fights with him inside my place. How pumped would you be driving home from work knowing someplace in your house there's a monkey you're going to battle? That's awesome. You walk in, ah, monkey, you hear? Sometimes I say to my wife, like, when I yell out, she's somewhere in the house, I yell out, monkey, are you here? She's like, (laughs) monkey, are you here? All right, I'll show you a comedian. You guys have probably heard him. I'm not going to ruin it. So I like comedians like, uh, I like Jerry Seinfeld, obviously, classy. Um, I went and saw people who know me um, on this app for, like, the last couple of years do you remember when I was really, really, really sick? So I was in bed for like a month and I had tickets to go see Jerry Seinfeld in Sydney. 
And like I, I struggled out. I had to go see him. So I like filled myself up with painkillers and alcohol because <laughs> that's what you do. It's like straight scotch. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's fucking do this. Let's fuck this chicken. Stephen Wright. Yeah, he's good. Um, <clears throat> went and saw Jerry Seinfeld and like my jaw was aching with laughter. He's just so, f- it was so funny. And part of it is <clears throat> like he doesn't cuss and he doesn't talk about politics. And I think that was like just a massive release because I think it, I think the best comedians, it takes exceptional, it takes the most amount of skill to be able to make people laugh like that. Like we were, the whole, it was a stadium. There was like 20,000 people in this room laughing, like like falling on the floor laughing. It takes exceptional skill to do that without cussing and without talking politics, I think, anyway. So I like comedians like that. I like um, Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg is a god. And I like this guy. I'll show you this guy. If I can find the right clip. Yeah, this one will do. I love playing guitar. I find it very relaxing, you know. Someone's just put little Actually images started to with it. guitar quite a while ago. As a street performer. It was hard. Cuz I was in the suburbs. cul-de-sac <laughs> not a lot of foot traffic when people went down there to make a u-turn I'd get them I love one-liners there's a store in my neighborhood called Futon World I love that name Futon World <laughs> makes me think of a magical place becomes less comfortable over time. <laughs> I think statues are wonderful. They show us what great people would look like if birds shit all over them. These <laughs> pigeons have no sense of history. Napoleon, whatever, I just ate some bread, so I'm going pretty much wherever I want. <laughs> going to take in our society to see a person with an eye patch and not to think that they're a pirate. <laughs> I saw a guy with a suit and a briefcase, but he had an eye patch, and all I saw was, yar! <laughs> Off to me, office. Hold me calls, yar! Hold me calls, yar! <laughs> Where's me meeting? <laughs> I bought a dictionary. First thing I did was I looked up the word dictionary. Clay's got it. And it said, you're an asshole. <laughs> I was eating a bowl of cereal. and had all these questions and comments. Luckily, there was a number on the box. <laughs> so I called. I said, I have a question. Is this cereal as delicious as I think it is? <laughs> and I have a comment. Yes. yes. <laughs> Someone in the chat, um, Clay said he's a lawyer. I didn't know that. There's a very famous comedian here in Australia named Sean McAuliffe. And Sean McAuliffe is like, 
he's the kind of guy again like he does he does political satire but you don't know what side of the political fence he's on like you think you know you know I love I love that about comedy like see there's nothing appealing to me about a comedian that just tells jokes from one side of the fence I like the 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 true art of comedy is being able to appeal and make the whole room laugh, not half of the room laugh. Do you know what I mean? And there must be something about lawyers because they have to think of arguments and they have to be, like, observational and objective. And this Sean McAuliffe guy, he's a lawyer as well. He actually quit law. Um, The story is, this is the story he's told, Um, he loves his wife because his wife said to him, uh, if you don't quit your job and do comedy, I'm going to leave you. (laughs) So he quit his job and did comedy and he ended up like getting his own TV show, highly successful comedian. Like it's, you know, he quit law to do comedy. That's just like stuff like that just makes my heart sing when I hear stories like that. I'm like, oh, you know, like there's hope in this world yet. Batteries are the most dramatic objects. Other things stop working or they break. But batteries, they they die. die. (laughs) Why are you listening to your Walkman? I can't. My batteries died in my lap. Batteries died. (laughs) We're so young. Twins are gone. If you're a battery, you're either working or you're dead. (laughs) It's a shit life. Notice there are no B batteries. C batteries, D batteries. Because right from A to C. I think that's to avoid confusion. Because if there were B batteries, we know when somebody wanted them or just had a stutter. Can I help you? Yes, I would like some B batteries. Sure, what kind? B batteries. Right, what kind? B batteries, damn it, I said it three times. D batteries, those are hard for foreigners. Those are hard for foreigners. <laughs> I want yes, to have D batteries up there, please. <laughs> I never order C batteries in twos. Shut I up, Stefan, you're ruining it. <laughs> look at him, stupid. By the way, if you want to sound like a creep, just add the word ladies to the end of things that you say. Oh, I love this. This is my favorite one. It could be harmless, too. It doesn't matter. Like, thanks for coming to my show, ladies. <laughs> Help, I've fallen into a well, and I can't get out. Ladies. ladies. If Little you want ladies, to sound like come a on. creep. It's like a jacuzzi. Because people want to sound like a creep. Like, hey, if you want to sound like a creep, just add the word ladies onto the end of your sentence. <laughs> really high walls. You know you want them. Kim, Kim Boyd asks, who is this? This is Dimitri Martin. I think he had a little show. Didn't he have a show for a couple of years, Clay? I think he had a little show for a couple of years and he was doing like sketch comedy and stuff and a little bit of stand-up and a little bit of um, jokes with guitar and shit. But it didn't last too long. It might have been on Comedy Central. I'm not sure. I can't remember what it was called. But I think he had a show for a while. But yeah, Dimitri Martin. Cotton balls. Is an example of something I would buy, but would not want to have as a nickname. Cotton balls. This is my friend Leo and Eric, and uh, this over here is cotton balls. 
How you doing? I'm kind of fluffy. Cinnamon buns, on the other hand. Yeah, I would buy those and have that as a nickname. Excuse me, are you cinnamon buns? Bitch, you're sweet ass I am. a harmless thing to say. Sort of. Sort of. It's just a filler. It doesn't really mean anything. But after certain things, sort of means everything. Like after, I love you. Or, sort of. you're going to live. Sort of. Or, it's a boy! <laughs> this summer at a party, I learned... But there's a small but important difference between peeing in the pool Relax, and peeing Wayne into the Perry pool. Too. Relax, JDM. Just have fun. Location, location, location. <laughs> I remember when I used to really be into nostalgia. <laughs> I saw a sign that said, watch for children. I thought, that sounds like a fair trade. <laughs> crappy kids <laughs> went to a clothing store a lady working there she got mad at me she said what size are you and I said actual saying <laughs> <laughs> a trick baby what you see is what you get <laughs> she was amazing I never met a woman like this before she showed me to the dressing room she said if you need anything, I'm Jill. <laughs> Love this. I was like, oh my God. Conditional. I never met a woman before with a conditional identity. <laughs> what if I don't need anything? <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> if you don't need anything, I'm Eugene. Conditional identity. I like to do crafts. I work quite a bit with glitter. Don't worry, I make tough stuff like daggers and skulls. The thing about glitter is, if you get it on you, be prepared to have it on you forever. Because glitter doesn't go away. Glitter is the herpes of craft supplies. Oh damn, here comes the sun. Flare up. <laughs> I love video games but they're very violent I want to design a video game in which you have to take care of all the people who've been shot in the other games <laughs> hey man what are you playing uh, super busy hospital super busy hospital <laughs> two please leave me alone I need to concentrate on performing surgery on a man who was shot in the head 57 times. <laughs> I think they named oranges before they named carrots. <laughs> what are these? Those are orange. Oranges. What about these? Oh, shit. <laughs>
vitamins. They must have thought there were going to be way more vitamins than there ended up being. Okay, let's name these. Vitamin A. Keep going. All right. JDM. JDM's asking, what do these what do these inconsequential jokes have to do with intelligence? What are we learning here? What's the fucking point of this? I, you're all, this is why you're all under the spell of the fucking Jesuits. I, fuck. <clears throat> the po- Com- comedy is a highly intelligent endeavor. Highly intelligent. Like, there are no dumb comedians, right? Like, comedians act dumb, but they're not dumb. It's very, 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 very difficult to make people laugh. It's probably the it's probably it's probably harder to make somebody laugh than it is to find the G spot. And finding the G spot is pretty fucking hard. I've never found I've never found it. Never found it. Put my hand up. I'm sure they're all lying. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, wow, what is what are these what are these stupid jokes? And I get what you're saying, right? And I know that you're only trolling, but it gave me a launch pad for a bigger point here. <clears throat> the reason that comedy is important is it's it's a commentary on like who we are and what we see and how we interact with each other. And there's a license there that you can you can do things and say things that the rest of us can't. You can break rules, right? Comedy is at the forefront of free speech. If 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 you if you genuinely believe in free speech, then you would love comedy in all situations, right? And like, you know, the kind of thing like breaking a joke at a funeral, you know? Like you might not think that it's uh appropriate, even though I hate that word, uh, but you know, in my heart there's still a place for that, right? But to make people laugh and to make these seemingly um, inane observations, it's, uh, to me, that's like a high mark of intelligence because we just go about our day and observe things in a sheeple-like manner and everything is normal. But, <clears throat> you know, some people have this ability to see what we see every day, but they, if you can see it like at a, a 0.5 degree difference than the rest of us, then all of a sudden, oh my God, it's like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing this act? Like, why do, why do we, why do we say this thing sort of like that joke before sort of, he's like, sort of, sort of is a harmless thing to say, unless it's after certain things. Like it's just something you just say, sort of, what are you doing? Nothing sort of. Yeah. Unless you say it after, like, it's not harmless unless you say it after certain things. Like, it's a boy, sort of. I love you, sort of. Yeah, people say sort of. It's little things like that. That that ability to, like, pluck the, um, that ability to pluck the mundane out and make it spectacular. I think that's, that's the intelligence part of it. And you're like, well, what is this doing, you know, for the collective intelligence of humanity? Well, you know, laughter is, of course, mocking is, of course, a great vehicle to learning as well. You don't have to agree. But, um, you know, a lot of people, once once upon a time, a lot of people used to learn a lot. Like comedians used to be very dangerous. 
you know, like take Bill Hicks, for example. Bill Hicks is often heralded as like, oh, the, he was the activist comedian, right? He's one of the funniest men who ever walked God's green earth. Highly intelligent. He could have been a rocket scientist. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I, I think I think if you're at the stage where you're like, I'm not I'm not ready to laugh, like, and I I don't want to laugh anymore, then you may as well slit your own wrists. As far as I'm concerned, you you may as well do yourself in. I'm sorry, comrade. Like, I'm not saying it to you personally, you know, but just as a general statement. If if you no longer have the will to laugh at the world, then you may as well give up. You may as well throw it all in. You may as well say, that's it. I'm out. I check out. I'm done. I'm finished. You know what I mean? It's necessary. It's just as necessary as oxygen, food, water, sex, anything. Any, it's, it's, it's a necessary fundamental part of what makes us human beings. Carry on. Vitamin B. Okay, slow down, man. We got a lot to cover here. B2, B3, B4, B5, B6, B12. And they got to E and they were like, we're pretty much done. We got all those damn Bs. B1, B2, B3. Let's just skip to K and get the hell out of here. When they were naming the animals, somebody got lazy. Anteater? <laughs> What's he doing? He's eating ants. Done. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I feel like my washing machine is sneaky. Because I put clothes in there and detergent. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> I hear all this noise. It's turning around. Then I open the lid to see what's going on. And he's like, Just hanging out in here. <laughs> Something happening, don't worry about it. I'm a washing machine. Not to show you how I do it, machine. Show you how I do it, machine. <laughs> I think a bad place for a fire would be the factory where they make those trick birthday candles. <laughs> All right, fellas, we're done here. Oh, come on! <laughs> All right, everybody make another wish. <laughs> Let's get out of here. I think it'd be cool if you're writing a ransom note on your computer. If the paperclip popped up and said, It looks like you're writing a ransom note. <laughs> Need some help? It's showing its age here. You should use stronger language. You can get more money. <laughs> Paperclip with a tattoo. Nice bandana. It's weird the way finger puppets sounds okay as a noun. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> Went into a bar with my friends. I had to go to the bathroom. So I went in there. I sat down. Somebody had written on the stall, Metallica Rules. 
And without it said, Metallica sucks. And without it said, you suck. And without it said, fuck you. I just thought, man, a lot of people shit with pens. <laughs> a lot of people shit with pens. Why don't I have one? Because Toy Story 2 was okay. This summer I want to go to the beach and bury metal objects and say, <laughs> get a life on it. <laughs> I love the beach. love to get there really early before everybody else shows up. Take like 30 bottles with notes in them. Throw them 30. in the water. And I wait for everyone to come to the beach. When someone goes to pick up one of the bottles, I go up behind them. Because when they open it, inside there's a note that says, I'm standing right behind you. <laughs> if somebody asks you the question, are you ticklish? It doesn't matter whether you say yes or no. They're going to touch you. If they say, are you ticklish? You don't want to be touched. You have to say something like, I have diarrhea. <laughs> now don't touch me, because you're going to make it come out. And yes, yes. I'm very ticklish. <laughs> My jaw's hurt. My jaw's hurting. How the fuck do we get sidetracked on this? We were reading an article about the hot. Oh, the heist. There you go. We just burned like 40 minutes. I'm sorry for wasting your time. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> sorry for wasting your time. For me. Fucking hell. Oh. My nose is running. <laughs> Four men have gone in trial in Berlin over the spectacular theft of a giant gold size uh, gold coin the size of a car tire with a market value of 3.75 million euros. A gold coin the car the size of a car tire. Look at this fucking thing. This is insane. Why would you put the queen on it? I mean, obviously, I'm a colonial, so I do have a tendency toward the monarchy, but still, if you've got the enough money to make a gold coin that big, why would you put the fucking queen on it? You sh- may as well put LeBron James on there, you know? What's the, what's the difference? <laughs> the men stand accused of stealing the 100 kilogram whew, ooh, big maple leaf. From the Bode Museum by breaking in through a second floor window, smashing through a bulletproof cabinet, wheeling the coin through a museum on a rollerboard, then using a rope and wheelbarrow to transport it across trail, uh, rail tracks and through a, a park to a getaway car. This is like a movie. This is like a movie heist. The theft in the early hours of the 27th of March 2017 stunned the German public. 
not least because of its audacity and old-fashioned simplicity and the fact that no alarms had been triggered in the museum. It must be hard to steal something that big and that heavy. Wow. This, this is a movie heist. How often do you guys feel like you're living in a simulation? Can I ask you that? Is this part of your sophisticated pulley system boogie? No, no, no. no. I don't have enough room for gold coins, my friend. All, all the weight is taken. The court heard that the brothers Wasey Remo, 24, and Ahmed Remo, 20, and their cousin Wissam Remo, 22, allegedly executed the dramatic nighttime heist with the help of a school friend who had started work as a contact uh, contract security guard at the museum just weeks before the theft. The fourth suspect was identified according to German court custom as Dennis W. If <laughs> Wow. Here's the difference between Western Europe and America. If found guilty, the suspects face up to 10 years in prison. Oh, 10 years in prison. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> That'll learn them. That'll learn them. Wow. <laughs> ten, 10 years. They nearly stole, like, the, the, the net worth of a small African country. In one heist, and it's like ten years. Yeah, okay, okay. Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Wow! <laughs> Steals giant gold coin that can't be pawned. <laughs> You're bringing it in in a shopping cart, you know, <laughs> to the pawn shop near the train station near the junkies. Like, in the line in front of you, there's two heroin junkies, and they're selling, like, stolen car stereos, and you've got a shopping cart with this fucking monster in it. It's like, <laughs> can, can, can you give me 200 bucks? Can we do it? Come on. Come on, man. Come on, man. I've got to get going. I've got to get out of here soon. Just 200 bucks. That'll do. 200. Come on, 200. 150. 150, bro. 150. Come on, 150. Just a random, I'll click on this random link here. Australia's best beaches. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that picturesque? Yes, it's it's good to be an Australian. That's just one of them. There are countless people. You people will die knowing who I am. Okay, GDM. Well, I'm, I'm sure I, I will die knowing who you are, but I'm sure you won't be my last thought, if you want to put it that way. I may forget about you in the near future. I'm not sure. I need you to come back in here every single show that I do and continue making comments, continue talking about what I will remember when I die. I just need you to reaffirm for me, like I need you to cement this. So if you could just be online every single time I go live and do a show or a podcast or whatever and make these comments and then I will remember you. I promise. As long as you're here every single time. If I'm ever live and you're not here, I'm going to forget about you. I need you here, bro. I need you here to make me remember. Make me remember. That's what you deserve. CNN's Chris Cuomo defends wall for a second night in a row. Chris Cuomo, ladies and gentlemen. I thought it was, for me, it was particularly confronting when, do I not subscribe to the Daily Caller? I subscribe to everything else. 
For me, it was particularly confronting when Chris Cuomo begins to present himself as the reasonable option on CNN, when this is the guy who literally said, if you have a problem with your daughter, your 12-year-old daughter seeing an adult male penis, you're a bigot. Like, in the change room at the high school. And unanticipated problem. No, no, no. Don't give me that. Give me video, bro. Then you know you're in trouble when that guy is the reasonable option. Ah, oh, come on. Give me video. Give me video. <clears throat> Media error unknown. Okay, maybe I can find it. Okay, I haven't seen this. But. All right, here's what we have. Left, right, and reasonable. The difference among the three is on full display as this shutdown looms. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a false characterization there. Straight away, straight away we have a logical fallacy, ladies and gentlemen. It's either left, right, or reasonable. No, no, no. People on the right can be reasonable and people on the left can be reasonable. It's, it's not one or the other. Like, if you're on the left, you're unreasonable. If you're on the right, you're unreasonable. There is only reasonable versus left and right. No, 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 no. Chris Cuomo, people attack him constantly um, in the MAGA tribe, which is fair enough. Like, I understand. I get it. But I'm here to tell you he's a very, very talented lawyer. So he knows what he's doing. He's very good at what he does. He's very good at using certain words at certain times. He's very good at creating inference. And um, these little closing arguments, things that he does, um, <clears throat> I've ripped a few of them apart. But to be brutally honest, like I watch them, um, I haven't seen many people um, rip Cuomo's closing arguments things apart. And there's a reason because he constructs uh, his presentation very effectively. He's very good at what he does. Like I've got maybe two or three that I thought like, oh, yeah, I can get him on this. I've got him. I've got him. But most people just take like one line and then meme it on Twitter and they go, ha ha, he's such an idiot, blah, 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 which is fine. Like that's, that's memeing, that's Twitter, that's, that's the way it works. But in all honesty, um, he's actually really good at what he does if you actually watch him. It's very difficult to pick him apart because he's a lawyer. He, he understands how to present the best possible case for his team. So, and he's very good at it. So. Democrats don't want to fund the wall. But they will fund border security. In fact, they offered five times what's being asked for right now, not too long ago, to secure the border. The wall. See, see straight away there, the opening. So, again, don't be a sucker. <laughs> so the opening that I was just mocking, like it's either left or right or reasonable, the first thing that you need to do is to hit your audience, which is majority left wing, which he understands, and give them a little bit of a negative and say, hey, the Democrats were wanting 10 times this. And so he, in doing that, he portrays himself as reasonable because even though, you know, sections of the audience might be affronted by that and like, oh, oh, is what, is he in favour of a wall? And no, because the, the hit is coming after that. So he presents himself as reasonable by just feeding that first, that first thing up in the first paragraph. Do you see what I'm saying here? He knows what he's doing. He knows how to structure this thing. We have 
left, right, and reasonable. The difference among the three is on full display as this shutdown looms. Democrats don't want to fund the wall, but they will fund border security. In fact, they offered five times what's being asked for right now, not too long ago, to secure the border. The wall is all. That's the problem. The president sold a solid wall that would never... The, but, but the border isn't all. That's the characterization that the Democrats want to make because it's all about Trump's obsessed with the wall. Trump has an obsession with the wall. It's Trump's vanity wall, right? And you know what? It's an effective play because, yeah, I mean, people don't, tr- people don't chant build that wall, um, you know, rally after rally after rally after rally after rally after rally after rally if they don't want a wall. So it's easy to characterize the opponent's position in this case, if you're Chris Cuomo, as it's just about a wall. Even though we know it's not just about a wall, the wall is, you know, more of, um, you know, it's an obstacle. It's, it's more about a general shift in consciousness about immigration and border security. Like we understand that because we're intelligent people. But, you know, Trump is a salesman. Trump knew that slogans work well. If you can get people chanting, build that wall, build that wall, build that wall, then that creates conversation and that gets consensus, right? So it's never as simple as it looks. Never be. And Mexico paying for it, which would never happen. The proof is that he changed. Listen. At this moment, there is a debate over funding border security and the wall, also called so that I give them a little bit of an out, steel slats. We don't use the word wall necessarily, but it has to be something special to do the job. Steel slats. There's nothing like an, you know, an exaggerated breath to, to emphasize the, the fact that you're really, really, really pissed off and really, really, really frustrated at what you're hearing. <sighs> it was like Gutierrez in that first clip we watched. Do you want to hear it again? Listen, don't let him play you for a sucker. Uh, Take a little slats. <sighs> Listen, <laughs> don't let him play you for a sucker. Take a look at the picture of me in San Isidro. Um... Oh, the picture from the mall. Put the pictures up. All right, here's me with one of the nice CBP guys I was down there with us working to keep us safe. You see that thing I'm standing next to? That's called a bollard fencing, okay? Bollard fencing. That's the real name. That's what it is. He didn't come up with slats. There was never going to be a concrete and rebar wall. This is what they were building before Trump and what they want now. And by the way, they won't tell you it's a panacea. They know that they have problems with people flying in and overstaying visas and in tunnels and container trucks that come through the port of entry. They don't think it's a panacea. He's playing it like it is. The irony is he'll shut down the government. Remember, it is him. Remember, he said it on live TV. I'll carry the mantle. I'll shut down the government because of border. Don't you think he's good when he gets in this mood, when he gets in this rage mode? When it's just bang, 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 bang. I, I, I can't help but give credit where it's due. And I say effective and I'm like, oh, that's good. I like that. Down the government, remember it is him. Remember he said it on live TV. I'll carry the mantle. I'll shut down the government because of border forces. The wall is that important. It's so important that he's going to shut down the government and force most of those men and women on CBP to work without pay. Ironic. Left, right, reasonable. The president may not want to <laughs> well hear it done. from me, but maybe he'll listen to his new chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Here's what he said about this in 2015. 
The fence is an easy thing to sell politically. Oh, um, it's that's an easy good. thing for a, someone who doesn't He's follow good. the issue very closely to say, oh, well, that'll just solve everything. Build the fence. The fence doesn't solve the problem. But to just say, build the darn fence and have that be the end of an immigration discussion is absurd and almost childish for someone running for president to take that simplistic of view. Um, and by the way, the bottom line is the fence doesn't stop anybody who really wants to get across. Um, you go under, you go around, you go through. And yeah, 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 I know, Chris. But the problem with the, the the reason that you have the fence or the wall or the slats or the whatever you want to call it is it just makes it harder. <laughs> it's just about making it harder. The object is to make it harder. Like, you don't want to make it easy. You know, it, it shouldn't be easy to cross illegally into another country. If it's, it, it, here's the thing, if it's easy to get into your country illegally, then your government isn't doing their job. Sorry. Very simple premise. It shouldn't be easy. You shouldn't be able to just drift across a desert and then all of a sudden end up in another country. Like, it shouldn't be that easy. It should be difficult. It's supposed to be difficult. If you're entering a country illegally, it's supposed to be hard. And if that means you have to dig a tunnel or, you know, fly a fucking jetpack over a wall, whatever, then so be it. Like, you earned it at that point. It's like, oh, hey, this guy dug a tunnel for, you know, 200 yards and then he got out and he draped himself in an invisibility cloak and he... he drenched himself in sniffed, sniffer dog piss so they wouldn't bark at him, and then he camouflaged himself as, a, you know, an ice vehicle and drove up the road into Phoenix. And it's like, well, you know what? That guy kind of earned it. That's a pretty good fucking effort. Like, bravo. Congratulations. Well done. You, you win. But it's supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be easy. You're not supposed to be able to just walk across. That's the point. Queens, uh, Queens is concerned about your dick, Boogie. Now I understand. Oh, okay. There you go. Queens, Queens, New York or Queens? How long can he last? I mean... Is somebody looking for a king? But he gets a big amen, but that's the opposite of what the president says. Boy, I wonder if Mick Mulvaney will back away from that now. Please, Mick, don't back away. Don't do it. Jobs doesn't matter that much. Just hours away from the third shutdown in one year. This hasn't happened in decades. It's not even over a critical issue. The wall is not border security. We're not a wall away, okay? The only way you get safer is if both sides work together and make reasonable change to the system, right? Because the president can't change laws by himself. The Supreme Court just said that. Packed with righties. They still shut him down when he tried to deny people asylum based on how they enter the country. Both sides have to make new rules. This shutdown is on the president because he has caused such division, he can't even broker a deal on a side issue like this with the Democrats who have already offered to fund the barrier construction. (laughs) Very good, Chris. Very good. Very good. Very good. Just an update about the the, the uh, Great Depression. They were just trying to feed their families. Millions of Americans could no longer provide for their families. With nowhere to turn for help, they were angry and they were approaching their breaking point. Three years into the Depression, the American system was in...
grave danger. Unless it could change and change quickly, it might not survive. Bad times had arrived without warning. After a decade of expanding prosperity, almost overnight, the Wall Street crash of 1929 shattered America's confidence in its economy. Just like that in 1929. For the bass players out there. That was exceptional. There you go. There you go. So you pack up all my cabin home. Here I go, singing low. Bye. Bye. All right, let's move on. Find my mouse. It's a marathon. I think we're about halfway through. I can't wait till the end of this. It's going to be a fucking disaster. It's going to be a dumpster fire by the time we get to the end of this episode. (laughs) Thanks for sticking with us. 1.96 million episodes. Um, episodes, views. Dr. Phil. Okay, let's have a look. You wrote in to me. Tell me what you wanted me to get straight with your mom. I love Dr. I Phil. I want my mom to understand that. I-, I don't have anything. I don't have anything against Dr. Phil. I like to. You need to know why you have this problem. Like, I, I think it's all bullshit, essentially. But a lot of people really, 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 really respect Dr. Phil. And that's fine. Like, I don't know. I don't know either way. I like him, like I don't, but I don't know the science of it. I don't know what he's doing, so he might be really good at what he does. Don't get me wrong. But tell me in the chat, do you like Dr. Phil or not? Say one for Dr. Phil, for two, no Dr. Phil. Worst show ever. Stick with Boogie's Instincts. <laughs> this is the worst show ever, ever. How's that working for you? <laughs> One, two, meh. I like, see, I'm, 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 I'm on the side of meh. Two, more twos. I'm saying more twos. Sort of. Yes, Sandra, sort of. Three. <laughs> Kim Boyd knows a girl who went on Dr. Phil. Wow. I like pre-plastic surgery, Dr. Phil. Did Dr. Phil have plastic surgery? No. Come on, no. No. Dr. Phil had plastic surgery? Bullshit. I have to look this up. I have to look this up. If if Dr. Phil, if it turns out being true that Dr. Phil had plastic surgery, then all of his, um, in, as far as I'm concerned, all of his, uh, would you say, informed opinions about personality and what you need to do to you know, make a better person of yourself are null and void at that point. No, I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't, I don't see anything about Dr. Phil having plastic surgery. I see plastic surgery nightmares, Dr. Wife, Dr. Phil wife, plastic surgery. Well, maybe the wife, but then that, that kind of speaks to what we were talking about. Botox King, you reckon? Okay. Okay. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. 
You wrote in to me. Tell me what you wanted me to get straight with your mom. I want my mom to understand that I can't live off of a thousand dollars a month, and I grew up on a certain lifestyle. She can't just take that away from me immediately. <laughs> if someone took her lifestyle away from her, she wouldn't like that. And I fifteen, fifteen. Oh my god. Oh. Wait, wait. So she can't live off a thousand. So she's coming down to a thousand dollars a month, two hundred and fifty dollars a week. Pocket money. Pocket money. Jesus Christ. To be fair, if I got $250 a week pocket money when I was 15, I would be dead by now. <laughs> I grew up on it. It's all I ever know. I can't deal with this. So you want me to get her to do what? What would be the home run for you? I need her to understand that I need at least $2,500 a month. You want a G-Wagon for oh, your yeah. 16th birthday? I, I need my G-Wagon. There's no question. I need it. She wants to give me a Mercedes C-Class. I, I will accept that car. Good comment, Sandra. She is her mother's creation. Oh, that's, that's perfect, isn't it? See, the mother here is portrayed as the victim. No, 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 no. You insta- you you made this. You created this. See, Dr. Phil shouldn't be concerned with the child. He should now be turning to the mother and saying, hey, do you realise how you fucked up here? Do you, like, can you not see? And how's this for a shitty mum? The shitty mum has actually, you know, brought this kid up in this environment of needing 250, uh, two. $2,500 a month and, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know what a G-Class is. But needing some expensive car where a Mercedes C-Class just won't do. And you have now put her on national, international TV and made a spectacle of her. Like that, It doesn't get much worse than that. I think this kid is going to be in therapy when she's 35 saying, oh, my God, I can't believe mum did this to me. Mum, like, spoilt me with money. And then when I, you know, couldn't, I, when I couldn't change to like half of the money I was used to, she put me on fucking national television and I became a joke. Like, thanks, mum. Thanks, mum. I'm, I'm actually, you know what? I kind of has, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I kind of have sympathy for this kid. Like, I think mum has some deep psychological problems. Why the fuck are you on this TV show? Like, we're all laughing at the kid. We should be pointing the finger at mum. Mum, what are you doing? How the hell did you make this? What were you doing? What were you thinking? Why why are you on this TV show, mum? Why are you dragging this kid onto... She's 15. She doesn't, she doesn't know any better. The 15-year-old can't be blamed for being on the TV show. This is mum's idea. I, I really feel sorry for this kid, actually. And you might think, well, that's stupid. Why are you feeling sorry for a kid who gets $1,000 a month and stuff? Come on, look at this. She's been, she's been memed into history. When she's 21 years old and she's trying to get laid at a bar, somebody's going to recognize her and go, hang on, aren't you that chick who was complaining about getting a Mercedes C-Class? Wow, thanks, Mum. 
and all the all the boys are going to laugh at her. They'll laugh at her. I, I will accept that car. I would. No, 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 he's looking at the audience. He's looking at the audience laughing at her. Did you see that look on his face? Look at him. They're laughing at the kid. He's looking at them. He's like, really? No, this is her fault. This is the mum's fault. I will be happy with that car, but the thing is, I want my due out there. Really? A C-class? But we started with, a, like, a Honda, a Toyota. I thought I started Absolutely with a Toyota. Not. I will not be driving anything that can be considered an UberX. Uber uh, Lux and above. My car doesn't cost 231000 She's Violet. She's Violet. No, she's Veruca. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart. All right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. Bunker, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. Name the price. She can't have one. Who says I can't? Run with a funny hat. I want one. I want a golden goose. Gooses. Geeses. I want my geese to lay gold eggs for Easter. Honor like, or a Toyota, and then like, it barely gets. I will be happy with that car, but Bitch. the thing is, I want my due out there. <laughs> I want my due out there. Really? A C-class? But we started with, a, like, a Honda, a Toyota. I thought I started Absolutely with a Toyota. Absolutely not. I will not be driving anything that can be considered an UberX. Uber uh, Lux and above. My car doesn't cost $231,000. Why not? I mean, why doesn't it? <laughs> That just seems like an exorbitant amount to spend on a car. It just seems foolish kid. to me. I would, I just wouldn't spend it on a car. I, I genuinely feel like it's not often you'll hear me say this because I'm, I'm somebody who worked hard when I was a kid and stuff. Don't get me wrong, like you know, but I feel like this is almost verging on like child exploitation for content. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not. I, don't get. Me, I'm not saying ban things. I'm not being like a fascist or anything. I'm not saying that the kids' views aren't wrong, but what I'm saying is here, this kid has been brought up like to have this worldview by this mother, and this mother is fucking getting off scot-free. Fuck that. Fuck that. No way, man. Oh, we wanted to give her a Honda, but she wouldn't have a Honda. She she needs a certain car. We want to give her a Mercedes C-Class, but she wants something more. Like, she's the problem. No, 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 no. You're the problem, Mum. You're the problem. Right? Something inherently wrong with that. And then the mum drags her on TV and makes a spectacle out of her. Like, if I was Dr. Phil right now, I would turn around and say to the producers, hey, you need to focus on the mother here. This this mother is a fucking psychopath. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, but we just tried to love her. We just wanted to do whatever she wanted. Like, we wanted to do... You know, our poor little Veruca, our poor little Veruca, she just wanted everything, and I just tried to please her all the time, 
Um, I'm a really good parent because I just gave everything that my little Veruca wanted. Hey, Daddy, I want a golden goose. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. Bunker, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. They're not for sale? They're not for sale? Well, we better we better head off straight to Dr. Phil then. Because obviously my child has a problem. Yeah, it's a kid's fault. Kid's fault. Working our way through. You know what? I think I need a little pee break. Hey man, the season got you down, buddy. Oh, All right, you tell me what. <laughs> Hang on. Would you rather have the same commercial break that I always play when I have to go piss, or would you rather have a song? You tell me. One for the commercial break or two for the song? You let me know. You let me know, and then we'll do whatever, because I've really got to pee. And we've got a lot to get through here. (laughs) Oh, actually, we're nearly at the end of the second one, so we've only got the third one left. Ladies and gentlemen, three, comedy. You want comedy? Oh, okay. All right. Two, two. Well, three is comedy. let's, Let's scratch that. Let's start again. Let's do the poll again. One for the... Commercial break that I always play. Two for music, three for comedy. Oh, it's all threes. It's all threes. It's all threes. Okay. While I'm looking for the comedy, though. Okay. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back in a few. A little whiz. A little whiz for little boogie. And we'll be back rocking and rolling in a couple of minutes. See you soon. All right. Welcome back. Our next comedian has appeared at the Montreal Comedy Festival, Late Night with David Letterman. Please welcome Mitch Hedberg, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I was, I, all right. <laughs> I was going to say, how's everybody? But then I refrained. <laughs> Did uh, um, anyone see me at a Letterman show? No? All right. All right. All right. I know, like, four million people watch that show, and I don't know where they are. I cannot locate them. But I believe that, you know, that's my dream introduction right there, you know. You might have seen this next comedian on the David Letterman show. But I, I believe more people have seen me at the store. You know? And, and that would be a better introduction. You might have seen this next comedian at the store. And people would say, hell yes, I have. He likes kiwi fruit. 
Yeah. I didn't like kiwi at first because I thought it was like watermelon. I thought you had to spit out the seeds. I, I was, that was a risk doing that joke. This jacket is dry clean only, which means it's dirty. <laughs> dry clean only, all right, here we go. Here we go, I'm ready to go to the bar. <laughs> hey, I think a rotisserie is like a really morbid Ferris wheel for chickens. It's a strange piece of machinery. We will take the chicken, kill it, and impale it, and then rotate it. And I'll be damned if I'm not hungry. Because spitting chicken carcasses make my mouth water. I like dizzy chicken with some mashed potatoes. <laughs> you know, you can't... You can't please all the people all the time. And last night, all those people came to my show. <laughs> Do I got watermelon in my teeth? I feel like they got free watermelon in the bag and I've been overindulging. I opened up a yogurt and underneath the lid, it said, please try again. They were having a contest I was unaware of. But I thought I might have opened the yogurt wrong. <laughs> or or maybe, maybe your play was trying to inspire me. Come on, Mitch, don't give up. Please try again. <laughs> a message of inspiration from your friends at your play. Fruit on the bottom, hope on top. <laughs> uh, I'm so unanimated once the cameras are rolling. <laughs> At the wrong time to be unanimated, I would say. All right. I can't wait till this set's over because I have a roll of lifesavers in my pocket and pineapple is next. <laughs> You know, if I made an orange juice, I wouldn't be so hardcore on people. I would be more polite. Like, I would not print shake well on the carton because you don't know how good people can shake, you know? I would write, shake to the best of your ability. They don't have a diagram that shows the uninitiated how to shake. All right, put it over here. Then put it over here. Then put it over here quicker. I work in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is a very exciting town. And, uh, I work at the Riviera Hotel. Uh, there's four comedians on the bill, and we all had similar hair because we were all using the Riviera in-house shampoo. <laughs> it was two-in-one shampoo. Two-in-one is not a good term because it's, it's not real because one is not big enough to hold two. That's why two was created. 
If it was two and one, it would be overflowing. I like to play blackjack, it's my favorite game. And my friend is a blackjack dealer and on his forearm he has a tattoo of an ace and a jack. See, I'm a blackjack player. On my forearm, I'm gonna get a tattoo of a 10 and a two. <laughs> then maybe later, a king. I was 12 was a game in Las Vegas. All right. I basically said the joke right. again. <laughs> I get up in the morning. And I, I basically make said the joke oatmeal, again. And then I don't do anything for an hour, which makes me wonder why I need the instant oatmeal. <laughs> I could get the regular oatmeal and feel productive. I like Kit Kats unless I'm with four or more people. <laughs> I work at this club in Nashville and uh, it's a, you know, five nights. So week dumb. Club it's so dumb. It's so good. I wasn't getting very many laughs, so the club owner took me aside. He said, Mitch, you know, you're not getting a lot of laughs. You're going to have to vacuum. <laughs> he made me vacuum the club. It was embarrassing. So I told the next guy, hey, y'all got to start laughing. Otherwise, don't drop anything. <laughs> were they a good crowd? Yeah, they were neat. <laughs> some, com some comedy clubs, they hand out comment cards. And those are rude. I don't like those. You know? Like, I'll pretend this is one here. Like, people fill it out. You know, there's a name and address, and there's a line that says comments. And, and people write down what they thought of the show. And sometimes... <laughs> People write negative things, and that's not necessary. <laughs> like some, I read something that say, Mitch sucks. Then you look up above, it has their name and address. <laughs> that's right, I do suck, but I got a lot of free time. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Bit of the comedy stylings of Mitch Hedberg. During our little pee break. Everything came out the way I thought it would. Just so you let know. All right. Google wins. Where are we? Google wins round in fight against global right to be forgotten. Google shouldn't have to apply the so-called right to be forgotten globally, an advisor to the EU's top court said in a boost for the US giant's fight with a French privacy regulator over where to draw the line between privacy and freedom of speech. That is a long sentence. That is a big sentence. While backing Google's stance, Advocate General Massiege Spuna, Spuna, Zuna, of the EU court said uh, of justice said the search engine operators must take every measure available to remove access to links to outdated or irrelevant information about a person on request. This is what we were talking about before. The fact that you don't own your digital self. You are not the you are not the primary owner of your digital footprint. You know, there is a digital representation of you existing in a fourth dimension that a company owns or a group of companies own and they sell you. You are sold. You are bought and sold like a slave, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here to tell you. 
Like, it, it, it might, if, if you've just come into this scope, you're going to be like, oh, my God, what is this fucking guy talking about? This doesn't make sense. Oh, my God, it's so offensive. If you had have heard the earlier part, it would make total sense. You are bought and sold like a slave online. Everything, you know, that could be known about you is injected in some way, shape, or form into an online format, and that personality, that representation of you, the person, is bought and sold between various companies, various governments, read into your stuff. You, you, you are a slave. You're owned by some company somewhere that sells you, you know, <laughs> they sell you nappy commercials, diaper commercials from India, you know. You're owned by the diaper salesman of India named Raj. Welcome to the new world. Comrades. The Luxembourg-based court follows such advice in a majority of its final rulings, which normally come a few months after the opinions. Google has been fighting efforts led by France's, or France, depending on how snooty you are, privacy watchdog to globalise the right to be forgotten which has created by the which was created by the EU court in a landmark ruling in 2014 without defining how when and where search engine operators should remove links this has triggered a wave of legal challenges the alphabet inc do you guys know what alphabet is currently removes such links eu wide and has since and since 2016 it also restricts access to such information on non eu google sites when accessed from the eu country where the person concerned by the information is located. See, look, I'm torn on this stuff. I really am. Of course, of course you should have a right to be forgotten, but it's kind of up to you, isn't it? Ultimately. Yeah, it's kind of up to all of us. Like, guaranteed, anybody in the last 25 years would have something of them floating around online somewhere or stored on some server somewhere that they don't like, right? And you know that. You know that when you access the internet and stuff. But I, I just don't I'm, – I'm just fundamentally uncomfortable with, the, with governments writing rules for the internet. I kind of – and I, I might be some kind of romantic here, but I kind of like to think of the internet as the Wild West. You know what I mean? There's gunslingers, you know, the Wild West where anything goes. And I like to think that that's the way the internet should be. You know, and people will say, well, that's naive. There's lots of crime. There's this and that. I understand that. I get that. I get that. But if we're talking starry-eyed idealism here, then my ideal is for the Wild West to be ruled by the gunslingers. And if you're not a gunslinger, you better get pretty good at either pouring drinks or wearing a handmaiden's outfit and pouring drinks. You know what I mean? Global human rights. Public access to information and the right to privacy are important to all people around the world, correct? As demonstrated by the number of global human rights media and other organisations that have made their views known in this case, said Peter Fleischer. Google Senior uh, Privacy Council. We've worked hard to ensure that the right to be forgotten is effective for Europeans, including using geolocation to ensure 99% effectiveness. Well, 99%. And what could go wrong? 99%, you say? 
well, it must be good. We, we must be winning with 99% approval. Couldn't possibly be on the wrong side of history on this one. No, never, 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 ever, ever. France's highest administrative court sought the EU tribunal's guidance in 2017 about whether the right to be forgotten could be extended beyond the EU. In a second case, it asked questions about the obligations of search engine operators when faced with delisting requests of links to sensitive data such such as sexual orientation, political, religious or philosophical opinions and criminal offences that is, quote, embedded in a press article or when the content that relates to it is false or incomplete. Now Now we're getting into troubled waters here. Now this is something you don't want. No, 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 no. Sorry, because um, false or incomplete. Now, incomplete can be construed as context. And, you know, somebody with a lot of money might be able to effectively argue to an EU court that, yes, yes, I was found in the basement of that mansion with that child. But, you see, the context of it was... um, I was trying to slay the demons that were possessing her soul with my penis. And, you know, some judge at the EU court might go, well, that's fair enough. We need to remove this article from the internet. Yes. Congrat. Yes. I agree with that. And I'm like, no, nah, no. Nah. That's why I'm like Wild West. Wild West. Wild West it up. But it's, inter- it's an interesting discussion nonetheless, isn't it? Could Donald, uh, could Donald Trump make the wall out of hemp? No, because people would be there smoking it, even though they know that it's not going to get them high. They're going to smoke it anyway. Could Donald Trump make the wall out of hemp concrete? With hemp now legalized nationwide, a very strong wall of concrete hemp could be built at the southern border. I'm sorry, we're going to have to do a clip at this point. Cheese, man. Hey. All right, that's better, man. Hey, when you go into this 
neighborhoods, man, you gotta have your stuff all together, man. You gotta have your attitude and your whole trip down, man. You know, everybody throws their bad looks at you, you know? They I feel like we should go eat tacos now or something. <laughs> Want me to teach you some Spanish words, man? Okay. Okay. Well, like when you see a real good friend, you know, like you say, Hey, pendejo, how you doing? Try it. Hey, pendejo, how you doing? Pendejo? Yeah, that's close enough, man. What does that mean? Oh, that means, uh, my real good friend. Pendejo? Pen... How's that again? Pendejo, man. Pendejo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah then say, uh, bend over, Bendeco. <laughs> Sorry, this show's a train wreck. It was always going to be, we'll be back on track next week. Why is there no, oh, okay, it's just a video. It's just a video. Oh, it's by Owen Schroyer. Oh, now, I'm, now suddenly my interest has peaked. Thank you, General Eaton. Where, where's the video? Where do I get the video from? Show me the video. Show me video. Network error again? Come on now. Come on now. Don't be a bitch. Come on now. Come on, News Wars. There we go. Oh. Give me a video. Show me a video. Let's rock and roll. Come on now. Come on now. I know you want to. I know you want to. Hemp concrete would be amazing. Cost-effective... A lot of people would get jobs. A lot of people would get jobs. <clears throat> Forgive me, which which um, which old American politician was it that said we should sow all the fields with hemp? Do you guys you guys in the audience will know this? One of the old like um, the founding fathers said there should be hemp everywhere. We should have hemp. It's a miracle. It's a miracle plant. Do you remember that? Or am I making it up? Have I have I taken that from some satirical comedy show somewhere and thought, uh, this must be true. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not possible. <laughs> George George Washington said that about hemp? Come on now. Surely not. I am I am Googling away. Okay, George Washington, ladies and gentlemen. No. Okay. Make the most you can make the most you can of the Indian hemp seed. The hemp may be sown anywhere. Wow. George Washington, ladies and gentlemen. He looks like a man who likes to party. George Washington likes to party. You can't tell me after all of those wars and shit. Sitting back, kicking back, enjoying the hemp with George Washington. Would have been pretty cool. You know, on the foundation upon this great plantation, shut up, George, and pass the blunt, brother. Pass the blunt. All right, let's see what we've got here. Who you may have seen was listed on my 1918 international best dressed list. Uh, and uh, he, it is a, an honor well deserved. Now, um, coming up next is a special guest who watched the president's uh, address last night and texted me immediately. As I think many of you know, the president proposed in the art of the deal, the art of compromise, a medal. What do you guys think about? Roger Stone. I like him. 
I personally like him because of the the flash and the dandiness to him. <clears throat> like he's got a lot of style. I love the way he dresses. And I love the persona that he's created about himself for the media to pick apart. It's like he created a straw man of Roger Stone and put that out there. And that's what they attack. And he's kind of preserved the real Roger Stone. And that's what I like. You know, I think he's somewhat of a, you know, political genius in that respect. Like, uh, he has a he has a political persona that everybody attacks, and you know it's obvious, and it goes back to like the nineteen sixties kind of thing. But I think the real Roger Stone is probably some kind of dandy who enjoys swingers parties and drinks too much whiskey. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference. So I, I like that talent. I like that skill. He doesn't mix the two. His presentation is a little stilted, but I can't be too critical of that because I myself can be a little stilted at times also. (laughs) Slot fence that would be an effective deterrent on our southern border to illegal immigration. But our next guest, Adam Powers with Nine Fiber LLC, has a different idea. Adam, welcome back to the war room. Thank you for having me again, Roger. So um, tell us, uh, I know that you were very excited about the president signing a bill that authorized once again yeah, the farming of industrial David hemp of the United States. And He's I a know pirate. That you yourself have developed Where's a number of proprietary Arr. processes for Get me briefcase. Where's me meeting? Of, uh, hemp. <laughs> Every, everyone who watched that Dimitri Martin clip is now ruined for the rest of their lives when they see an eye patch. Oh, poor, poor Dan Crenshaw. Oh, no, I just realized. Oh, shit. Shit. You know what we've done? We've, we've, effectively, we've effectively infected the MAGA Republican side of the political spectrum with every time you see an eye patch now, you're just going to think of a pirate. And, you know, somebody nearly got fired off SNL for making eye patch jokes. I'm, I'm sure you're aware. And you're going to be sitting there with your highly, 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 highly principled Republican grandfather at the next meeting, you know, the next family meeting at, say, uh, Thanksgiving. What's next? I don't even know. Easter? Let's let's do Easter. Easter is next. You'll be there with a the family. They're all like, you know, Southern Republicans. Even so much so that your grandfather rocks up in like an ivory white suit <laughs> with little bull horns on his tie. And, you know, you'll sit down and Crenshaw is going to come up on the TV and the first the first thing that's going to blurt out of your mouth is going to be, Arr! and the whole family, is, it's going to be like a Western movie when an outsider walks into the bar, into the tavern, you know, when the guy stops playing honky-tonk, and you go, through those doors, and everyone just stops and puts their glasses down and looks at you. And you're going to have to give them a sniff, like, <laughs> and then they'll look at you for like five more seconds, and then the music will keep playing. Dun, 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 dun. So you're going to be there. You're going to do this. And when you do that, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this moment that we shared together tonight, laughing at Dimitri Martin. And now together for the rest of our lives, it's going to be like a secret in-joke that we all have. For the rest of our lives, whenever we see an eye patch, we're going to remember tonight. I know you will. I certainly will. 
There's an eye patch. Arr. Understand that hemp can be used to make a some kind of concrete that is both less expensive and more durable than our standard concrete, and that you have an Orange idea for the wall. Lay it on us. <laughs> That's correct. I believe the president should not falter on his idea. I automatically begin to believe any man who wears a pinstripe. See this gentleman here with the pinstripe, and it's a bold pinstripe. I don't like the skinny pinstripes. Um, I own a couple of pinstripe suits, and I like the fat pins. Like, I love the fat stripes. You know what I mean? And this guy's got fat stripes on his pinstripe. I like that. I respect that. It's bold. It's like you're coming out to the world. You're like, here I am. Take me as I am. You know, guys with skinny, uh, faint pinstripes, I tend not to trust because it's like, man, if you're going to wear a pinstripe, you may as well go right out there. You may as well go 100%. If you're not willing to go 100% on a pinstripe suit, don't wear one. That's my opinion. For a concrete wall. I think that the more he tries to negotiate with Pelosi and Chuck, the more they just turn it around and make him look like an ass. And I, I hate to say that because I respect that's our a, president with all my heart, but he needs to stand firm and the American people have spoken. Steel slates are not going to be as effective as a 30-foot concrete wall. It doesn't have to be an eyesore. We can have some of America's young... See, my dream would be to get the Democrats into that cycle of spending... Anyone who's spent any time in politics um, operating against left-wing policymakers would know this theory, where um, whatever you propose, you can guarantee basically that your opposition on the other side in the policy spectrum is going to do the same thing but add 20%, right, or add 30% or add 50%. So, for example, um, if you're writing policy for a conservative politician in a campaign, say... You would say, oh, look, we're willing to spend $10 billion on education, right? Just throwing numbers out there. And because you do that because you know that your left-wing politician, uh, your left-wing opponent is going to say, well, they're, they're proposing $10 billion, make it 15 or make it 20 right? So I would love – I don't think it's possible, but if only we could drag, um, you know, the, the Democrats into that cycle of we have to spend more in regards to the wall, because when someone comes out and says it should be a 30 foot wall, what you really want, what the, the dream scenario would be to have Democrats turn up and say 30 feet isn't big enough. 30 feet. Donald Trump doesn't even care about his vanity wall. He's obsessed with his vanity wall. What the American population needs is a 50 foot wall, you know? <laughs> The Republicans have come out and promised $30 billion of spending in the area of health care. I put it to you that $30 billion doesn't even cover the bills. It doesn't even cover the janitor's wage. What we need is $60 billion in spending on health care. And you know what? When you elect a Democrat uh, president, you can be sure that we aren't going to rip $30 billion of spending from the proposed budget because that's what that's the other trick that the left does. 
if you promise ten billion and they promise twenty billion, they will then run on the campaign that you are ripping ten billion dollars out of the budget for that thing, <laughs> because you've proposed twenty billion and they've they've proposed twenty. You're now robbing people of ten billion dollars. You're a criminal. You you must not be elected. I mean, it's effective because let's be honest. Look, I've it's late and I've lost the patience. Um, most people are idiots. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to put it out there. Sorry. Sorry to everyone. Left and right. I don't even give a fuck at this point. I'll fucking burn it all down. I don't care. There's smart people on the left. There's smart people on the right. And there's 85% of everyone else who's a fucking moron. Sorry. It's the way it rolls. They'll believe whatever they're told. And if they're told that, you know... The other side is ripping $10 billion out of a budget that hasn't even been written yet. I'll believe it because they're idiots. Well, maybe they're not idiots, but they don't care. They don't care about politics. So they appear idiot. All right, I'll, I'll be politically correct. They they appear idiotic because they don't care about details. Put it that way. Okay. Is that is that all right? Is that is that fair enough? Talented Democrat artists come down there and paint beautiful murals if they'd like to. But the areas of the wall that I suggest need to be built are the areas in the desert where we do not want humans to be brought through because it's treacherous terrain. It's dangerous for any- The only thing I don't like about this is if you're going to make a promotional video, don't do it with a guy wearing green and white striped shorts with tattoos on his calf and his foot wearing flip-flops. Like, this, this is supposed to be a serious proposal to the president. <laughs> if if you're invited to the White House, don't wear flip-flops. <laughs> right? <laughs> could, could we not have could, like book a lab for the day. Book a lab. You don't have to be a scientist, man. Just put on a white coat, just put on a big long white coat, look like a scientist for the purposes of your proposal. Don't make it in the backyard with a guy wearing flip-flops with a tattoo around his calf and green and white shorts. Don't do that. I'm not saying it's wrong, but, what you know, whatever. I'm just talking strictly presentation. Make sure it's, like, in a lab condition, a fake lab. Make a fake lab. Do, like, another fake moon landing or something if that's what you want to do. Lab conditions. Guys with coats and clipboards. And glasses. Glasses is a must. Anybody who wears glasses automatically looks 10 IQ points higher than what they actually are in most cases. It's dangerous for anyone doing it. And we do want to put up a sign that says, please do not come through this. A deterrent. A deterrent for people to know that they shouldn't come through there. This wall could be monitored with cameras and this wall could easily be monitored with drones. But the fact is... There'd be nobody that could get through the wall, and as a deterrent, people would have to go another way. If they went another way, like you said, we could have a beautiful big port of entry basically right there at the southern border that says, come in legally, and you don't have to go through all of the (laughs) hardship of the human trafficking and the coyotes that smuggle people across the border. Not to mention that Ladies. those are the areas where it's very difficult for our border patrol to even patrol because we, as terrain, it's very difficult. So those are the areas where drug smugglers take advantage of. If we put a 20-foot deep, 30-foot high wall that's two feet wide, 
not only would it act as a barrier, but it also, if made with hemp, it can reduce the CO2 in the air simultaneously pleasing Nancy Pelosi with her next agenda as far as addressing the greenhouse situation. This would be America and Donald Trump's contribution to lower the CO2 from here on to generations as this wall made with hempcrete would petrify. Literally like... I think it was Kimmy in the chat who asked, what is a wall going to do? Sorry, what are drones going to do? Monitor. Well... You know, you're not thinking long-term, Kimmy. You're not thinking long-term. Allow me to retort. If I can. While this is loading. The music's nice. It is late night now. This guy's a great singer. His his father was a famous jazz singer, by the way. Must be hard to be the son of a famous jazz singer. That it never can be Oh, you go to my head With a smile that makes my temperature rise My temperature rise Like a summer with a thousand July You intoxicate my soul with your eyes Though I'm certain That this heart of mine It's not letting me play it Hasn't a ghost of a chance In the Fast as we think, and it will be that writes itself. It writes itself at speeds that we can. Still this way. Five years. This goes okay. On your TV show and your white dollar business, computers have far. It's like 1996 all over again. Getting closer to the computer. It's very. It's like dial-up all over again. Oh my God, we're living in the fucking dark ages now. What the price of that? I'm chasing that little red ball up the buffering. They say I'm going to I'm going to put my little red ball right up your buffering, tumor. mate. Their cold code line was, you know, See how we hacked the system. Would be watched by on that. 
in resolution. So if we wanted, you can see individuals, okay. everything it's that is 15,500 feet above Quantico, Virginia, and covers 15 square What can miles. drones do, someone asked. This whole image is above Quantico, Virginia. So we can't comprehend it when it goes beyond that. Enjoy. This image was taken 17... <laughs> What can drones? What can drones do? Uh, enjoy the end of your pristine bubble existence, comrade. One thousand five hundred feet above Quantico, Virginia, and covers fifteen square miles. This whole image is at a very, very fine resolution. So, if we wanted to know what is going on in any spot along this image, say near this building at this intersection, everything that is a moving object is being automatically tracked. The color boxes represent that the computer has recognized the moving objects. You can see individuals crossing the street. You can see individuals walking in parking lots. There's actually enough resolution to be able to see the people waving their arms or walking around, what kind of clothes they wear. Unlike the Predator camera that limits field of view, Argus melds together video from each of its 368 chips to create a 1.8 billion pixel video stream. This makes it possible to zoom in and still see tremendous detail. And a million produces a million terabytes every day. That's a lot of data. And I'm telling you this because not that the sensors are modern and not a million that the terabytes is every day. Behind that is I a have brain. A, I have a big hard drive. It's five. <laughs> five terabytes. <laughs> or our cognitive intelligence. And that brain is in a position to analyze everybody down there. Sandra was saying uh, drones on the border, uh, cartel shooting practice. No, these things fly at, um, you know, uh, space level. <laughs> you, you, you can't shoot that down with a revolver or a shotgun. You know what I mean? You can't shoot that down with an AR. These things are on, you know, if they went up one meter higher, they'd be literally in space. That's how high these things fly. Like, you're not shooting these fuckers down, man. In real time, they see where everyone is going. We can understand it when we reduce it to a single person, but we cannot understand it when you're talking about 100,000 people in the See, I'm one of the, the few people that pointed out when Nancy Pelosi was saying, oh, we have drone technology. I'm like, yeah, I don't fucking like it. <clears throat> you know what I mean? She's like, we have drone technology. We can use drones. I'm like, no, no more drones. The, the drone thing is really, really, really creepy. I don't, I don't like the idea of a, a robotic, um, you know, entity being able to cruise around at near space level, being able to decipher who I am by looking at the top of my head. Like it, it, it can, it can figure out who you are. I'm not even joking here. This technology is so advanced. It can figure out who you are based on the way you walk. Like walking like a fingerprint, and it can do it from fucking space. And it's like, oh, this is what we want. This is what we want. Flying around above our heads. No, 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 no. But I mean, I'm also a realist, and I know, you know, if if we don't do it, and I say we as in like our allies, the United States, because but to be fair, we give you like all of the southern hemisphere satellite tracking 
down here in Australia. That's our bonus for you. Plus our uranium, which is so clean you could eat off it. So we give you the uranium and the Southern Hemisphere satellite tracking systems. That's our part of the deal. But I still don't like it. (laughs) You know what I mean? I understand that it's there and it's needed, but I don't like it. Let's carry on. City, plus the vehicles, which you all recognize. Due to such systems, they have also redone facial recognition. OC Mike. Mike with the best comment of the night. These drones can see your pinstripes and eye patch from space. Ladies. (laughs) Ladies. <laughs> Recognition. Anyone who missed uh, Dimitri Martin before, you're not going to understand. If you see ladies in the chat, trust, it's, it's okay. Nobody's trying to sexually assault you. This is not your Me Too moment. It was a little in-joke for the people who were in the room at that time. You'll, you won't understand. You'll never understand. Even if you watch the replay, you're not really going to get it because you just weren't there. You just weren't there. If you were there... It's something we shared forever. This is from the front. But uh, they've redone to do it from the top because that's where the drones are. And they look at your ears. They look at the way you walk. They look at your head. That's modern facial recognition. They look at the so way that's you one walk. Idea. They look as at your ears. Being, they look at your ears. Person. <clears throat> this, is a, this is a little of their... Things that it's, it's taking all the details, all the music up to, and they record it so they can tell where that person was two weeks ago, two months ago, what stores he visited, what his whole behavioral patterns are. That's all part of the analysis of Argo, Argus. These are called uh, tennis balls in military and intelligence circles. It's a new secretive sensoric thing. Uh, a cruise missile will fly into a valley in Afghanistan. And this is especially important because the troops have left many of these areas. <coughs> and it will drop literally thousands of these uh, sensor packages. Maybe two balls. years ago, Sam? They're all packed in foam rubber. They record with cameras. They record with microphones. They record with seismic measurements. They record with Geiger counters. They record with chemical sensors that can look for chemical things. That's not the amazing part of it. Know, it's I've not the amazing before, part that they have a little signal that goes over here to the transmitter. The transmitter goes up to the satellite. This Old technology, stuff, nothing special. But the special part of it is behind that system, there's a fusion software that can combine the audio and the visual and the seismic and Scary the chemical, all of these stuff. signals, and make sense of them and analyze on the ground what kind of troop movements they are, what are the kinds of vehicles they're using? What are they transporting? Is there radioactivity in that? It takes all of these different pieces of information and turns it through fusion software into an understandable picture, which goes way beyond, way beyond. And see, we're so stupid. We think, oh, you don't know. This technology is, oh, look, if we can identify terrorists driving in vans with radioactive gear in the back of their van, then this is a net positive for society. Like, we're being protected against the terrorists. Yay! And, like, I'm loath to bring it up again, but there's this thing called the protection meme. Everything, every, every, every single infringement on your civil liberties, ladies and gentlemen, if you care about this stuff, I don't even know if you care. If you care about freedom, then you'll know that every single infringement on your civil liberty is encapsulated within the meme of protection. And 
I've said it so many times, but I'll say it again just in case you haven't heard it before. And if you have, if you haven't heard it before, then you'll hear this and you'll be like, "Oh my fuck, that's that's right." Um, governments bring in laws to protect you. That's the way that it's sold to you, right? Hey, you need this to protect you from X. Doesn't make it doesn't even matter what X is. X could be Luciferian pedophiles. It could be. Uh, you know, it could be terrorists. It could be it could be hackers with Coke bottle thick glasses, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You need this law to protect you from X. This is always the way politicians sell new laws. But the fundamental reality is that laws don't protect you from anything, ever, never. There is not one single law that protects you from, uh, protects you from something. And if you if you think I'm lying, then you must successfully argue to me there is a law against drink driving. Why is there drink driving? Why do, why do people get killed by drink drivers if there is a law against it? It's not, it didn't protect him. There is a law against murder. Why do people get murdered? It didn't protect them. There is a law against illegal immigration. It didn't protect you from illegal immigration. There's a law against fraud. There's a law against jaywalking. There's a law against signing bad checks. There's a law against, you know, break and enter. Laws don't protect you from anything. What laws do is prosecute those who break them. Laws prosecute offenders. What a law does is take an action and turn it into a criminal action. It doesn't protect you. And, you know, all politicians do this. And to be fair, Donald Trump does this. Nancy Pelosi does this. George Bush did this. Barack Obama did this. Bill Clinton did this. George H.W. All politicians do it. The reason is it's an easy win. It's an easy sell. It works. Hey, you need this brand new law. This is how the Patriot Act came in, ladies and gentlemen. George uh, George W. Bush Jr., now watch this drive. My favorite drunk uncle at a barbecue, Junior. Now watch this drive. We need the Patriot Act to protect you from terrorists. No, 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 no. Nope. It's not protecting you from terrorists. If it did, nobody would have been killed in New York a few years ago. I'm not talking about 9-11. I'm talking about the other one. There would be no mass shootings for, from terrorism. It wouldn't exist. Laws don't protect you from anything. Laws prosecute offenders. So once you understand this fundamental, like, basic reality, if you're someone like me, every time you hear a politician talk about, oh, we need to protect, 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 like my mind goes right past that and looks at what are they actually trying to introduce. And that's what you should do too. Because oftentimes what they're saying that they're trying to protect you from is, you know, they might have good intentions. They might genuinely believe that they're protecting you from things. They might say that this new law will protect you from X, Y, and Z. 
They they might they might have a heart of gold and genuinely believe that that's going to be the case. But what you need to do is think about the unintended consequences of this law. What happens if we make this action a criminal action? Right? For example, this isn't going to be this is going to be um, nice for the people who appreciate the first lady, and I appreciate the first lady. I think she's marvelous. I think she's glorious. I think she's glamorous. I think she's exquisite. I think she's highly intelligent and highly respectful. But you know, eighteen months ago, the first lady was championing, you know, laws for online bullying in order to protect people from online bullying. You know, we need to do this to protect people online. I'm like, nope, nope, no, 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 Melania. No, sorry, no, no. You're not protecting people from shit. What you're doing is giving, you're, you're writing into law an opportunity for when the Democrats get back into power, anytime you say something that somebody doesn't like on Twitter, they can lock you up. That's what you're doing. You may not understand that. You may not believe that. You might think it's not possible. But if you turn trolling into a criminal action, that's exactly what you're going to create. And don't, don't you fucking dare turn around to me seven years from now and say it's all the Democrats' fault that Republicans are getting locked up for trolling on the internet. Don't you dare turn around to me ten years from now and say, hey, we were just passing a law because we were trying to protect X. We were trying to protect people. We didn't know that it would be used against it. Don't you dare do that. Ever. Never, ever. It's on you at that point. Because you know what? Because people like me turn around and say, this is what you wanted. This is what you wanted. You wanted people to get locked up for saying mean things on the internet. You wanted people to get locked up for trolling because you thought it would protect you. And now you're the one getting locked up. Maybe someone else is getting protected. (laughs) This is what you wanted. Like that's, that's the kind of shit that I'm against. Politicians come and go, parties come and go. But there are fundamental axioms upon which our Western culture must preserve. Like our our Western culture must preserve fundamental axioms in order to perpetuate itself into the future. That's what I care about, (laughs) you know? And don't get me wrong, I love Trump. I love him. Um, He brings me much joy. Much joy. But that's the kind of thing I care about. I don't even know. Are we still on? Let me know if we're still rolling.
Okay. There's, yeah, I got a disconnect on my end. Well, there's going to be a time when Donald Trump isn't here. You realise that, right? You MAGA peeps, you MAGA folk, and I, I feel like I can say you MAGA folk because I'm not American. Upon which, you know, my MAGA friends will say, you're MAGA, Boogie, you, you're MAGA too. And I'm like, yes, well, I am, but um, I really don't have the right to claim that. That's, <laughs> you know what I mean? So you mega folk, you're going to have to come to the reality. You're going to have to come to grips to with the reality that Donald Trump isn't going to be there forever. And there are going to be certain there's going to be certain fundamental underlying things that you need to fall back on. Not everybody is going to be as charismatic as Donald Trump. Not everybody is going to be as effective as Donald Trump. So how how are you going to win then? I'm already thinking about that. I'm already preparing for the worst case scenario if Donald Trump loses in 2020. What are you going to do then? You know, you can love your president, but that doesn't mean he's going to win, right? I love him too. We need him to win in 2020. All of us. Not Americans, not just Americans, all of us here, like in the in the American sphere of influence, we need him. He is going to provide the, he's going to provide the barrier from which we can push forward in our part of the world and throw hand grenades behind, right? Do you see what I'm saying? He creates a new normal and I need him to continue to create a new normal so we can affect change here in our part of the world here in Australia. If it all ends in 2020, we haven't gotten up, we haven't gotten far enough. We, we, we need another four years. We need another four years to cement it. We need to hammer it home. Um, more than likely, the left is going to win the next federal election here in Australia, which is going to be perfect timing. And my conservative brothers and sisters turn around to me and say, what are you, what are you talking about? The left winning? That's crazy. I'm like, no, 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 no. You've got to understand the way things work. We're on a timeline here. This is the way it happened in the UK. This is the way it happened in the United States. This is the way it happened in Canada. We're always 10 years behind everyone. That still exists to this day. So what's going to happen is the left is going to get in feeling like they're on the brink of extinction, even though they're really not if they were smart about it. And they're going to push through every single radical, crazy law that they can over the next three years, which is going to spark outrage in the community, which we can then exploit and you know add fuel to the fire and then eviscerate them. This is what we want. We want to give them a taste and then rip the plate from their hands. Like We have no choice. Because in the three years that they're in power, then forth will come the leaders, the next generation of leaders on the right. You see what I'm saying here? And people right now are thinking like, oh, he's a bigot, he's a fascist. You'll be you'll be pleased to know that half of the time I get accused by mega people of being a socialist. So the left-right distinction doesn't mean as much to me as the fundamentals of Western civilization do. Any, anybody attacking free speech, you're my enemy. Anybody saying that you have no right 
to your cultural heritage, you're you're my enemy. Because I believe in everybody's right to free speech and everybody's right to their cultural heritage. Not just me. I'll sacrifice mine for yours, right? So once you cross that line, then sorry. You're on the other team. And you know, you might be a Republican, you might be a Democrat, whatever. If you're on that other team, then you're on the other team. Like, sorry. That's the team. That's the team. Fundamentals is the team. Free speech is the team. You know, nationalism is the team. That's the team. If you want what's best for you and your people and your family and you believe in free speech and everybody, everybody has a right to air their grievances no matter how ridiculous they are, you're on my team. If you disagree with that, you're not on my team. And if you're not on my team, then good luck to you. And our, our vision. Artificial intelligence only works if you have huge data masses. Artificial intelligence only works if you have big data. But big data only works if you have artificial intelligence to make sense of it, because human beings can no longer sort and sift and order the huge volumes of data that we have collected. And thus, it is not surprising that the company that has the most information in the world, it's probably the most powerful country in the world, Google, is very interested in artificial intelligence and has been traveling around the world as a shopping queen buying all the companies that are dealing with robotics. This is one of their robots. This is called Atlas. And they're buying artificial intelligence. All the artificial intelligence Eat it up like from around the world. Now this is, if you ask Google, it's a peaceful robot, right? He doesn't have a gun. He doesn't throw atomic bombs. You know, he just walks around and stands there. But you may have seen the uh, superimposers DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. That is the uh, research arm of the Pentagon. And then you see the video was made by Lockheed Martin, which is one of the most powerful and influential and richest weapons companies in the world. Caps so why is the Pentagon investing this money? <laughs> why has Lockheed Martin uh, taken over large aspects of the company? This guy's called Big Dog. He also belongs to Google, also DARPA financed. Peaceful dog, right? I don't know. If I don't know if you guys can still see me. I'm I'm seeing a shutdown on my end. I'm seeing like red red boxes and stuff. Let me know if you can hear me or not. I don't know. You good? Okay. Sound is good. Okay. My monitoring software is going, you are disconnected. (laughs) Unless he gets caught on a maneuver of the United States Marines as part of a military unit. So these are not flower children. 
these are robots that have a function, and robots that have a function and an intelligence, and perhaps an intelligence that goes beyond us, are dangerous things. Now, that's a, a Predator drone. It was taken predator out of the secret of the United States Air Force Base in New Mexico. Predator drones you've seen, right? You've seen them on TV. You've seen them in the newspapers. They're old. They're 20 years old, the technology. This is, I mean, it looks very scary when the Spiegel and the ARD write Joshua, the modern technology Layton, and the guys with the joystick and killing people in Taliban, and Taliban and, in Afghanistan far away. But that's what a modern drone looks like. This is not a Predator, this is a Pegasus. It's an X-47B. It's owned by the Navy. The Pegasus. It's a jet-powered machine, not like a propeller-driven Predator. It goes 2,000 miles into enemy territory. Look at this thing. It carries 2,000 kilos worth of explosives and is run by artificial intelligence. It starts alone, flies its mission alone, comes back alone. Lands on an aircraft carrier. Clue. It lands all by itself on an aircraft carrier. Talk to any pilot you've ever met. What's the most difficult landing area you can possibly imagine? They say it's an aircraft carrier. Short runway, things moving, very hard. This thinking drone can do it. But here are the two keys to Pegasus. Pegasus is invisible. Now, I'm not talking about stealth and being in invisible to radar. I'm talking about invisible to the human eye. And you won't find this in any newspaper anywhere. It's invisible to the human eye because the bottom has an LED uh, layer on it, and the top has cameras, which have been removed here in the picture, which film the sky. And they project in the bottom a live picture of the clouds up above the aircraft, and you can hardly see it. And they're responsible for a lot of these uh, can, UFO sightings. Can I hear again from the people who are like, oh, we're just going to shoot the drones down? <laughs> Yeah, sure you sure you will. <laughs> We're just gonna shoot them down, bro. I got I'm standing I'm sitting on my roof with my rocking chair. I'm just gonna shoot them fucking drones down. No, you're not. Nope, 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 nope. You won't shoot them down. They fly at levels where astronauts dare not tread, and you won't even see it. <laughs> Whoops. Listen. In Nevada, near the testing areas, jet engine propulsion, a reach of oops, this is in German, of 2,000 miles, starting landing all by itself. Stealth is optical stealth; you can't see it. And the kill decision, kill decision, kill decision which is, is massive. By United kill decision is massive. <clears throat> I've seen this video uh, video before, so it looks like that I've only seen this video when I say this because he's going to say the same thing that I've said, but it's not necessarily true. So the big issue with kill decision is a lot of people who uh, push AI technology and military um, intelligence and stuff is that like, well, the humans always have the the final say. They The humans always ultimately have the final choice. So if, you're, if your drone is flying over a battlefield and it identifies, you know, people that it doesn't like, it's going to report back to you and go, ding, 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 you know, hey, I've, I've found some targets. Do you want me to bomb them or not? And it's always up to a human being to do it. <clears throat> but what kill decision is, is code written into the software whereby the drone or, you know, the piece of machinery, it could be a drone, it could be something that walks around, whatever, it has the ability to make that decision itself based on what you put into it, right? 
So right now, like the kill decision is with the human beings, but the kill decision software, you know, uh, would you say, I'm looking for a word to make it transferable. The, the, the kill decision software option is written into the technology. So the humans could dispense with that. They could dispense with that responsibility of the kill decision at any time, right now, right today, today. And you might say, well, what's the fucking big deal? I don't give a fuck. Here's the problem. When humans aren't involved in killing other humans, then mass bombings that kill, you know, hundreds of human beings cease to be like a tragedy and become a malfunction. Do you know what I mean? If you take the human element out of mass killings, then it's no longer a crime. It's an oversight. That's the problem. That's the problem. What we don't want at some point in the future is drones dropping bombs on people and then saying, well, you know what? The AI malfunctioned. It was a, comp- it was a software malfunction. It wasn't our fault. We didn't do that. No, no, no. You need to hold people responsible. And the reason that you need to hold, and you might still be saying, well, they're dropping bombs on people on other, other parts of the world. Who gives a fuck? What if, what if one day they're dropping bombs on you? What if one day you're the terrorist? What if one day you become the threat? And what if the government of the day is, you know, against whatever you believe? You might be a well-meaning Christian living in the woods, growing your own vegetables and stuff. You might be the enemy. That's why it's a problem. Because what you allow will eventually come back on you at some point. Whether you like it or not, I don't even, I don't like it. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair. There are some people in the world that, you know, if they were emulsified by drone bombs, I wouldn't lose a moment's sleep. But what I do lose a moment's sleep on is the fact that the decision to emulsify them can be taken out of a human being's hands and placed in the hands of a software program. That's what worries me. Because instead of prosecuting people for war crimes, we'll be rewriting software for malfunctions. And then nobody's responsible. Do you see the difference? That's the problem. It's law to be made by human beings. Human beings must be in the, in the loop before someone is killed by a drone. But it's in the machine. And it doesn't need people. It can decide by itself whether or not it kills somebody. And the experts say it's going to make less mistakes and less collateral damage than the human decisions. The kill decision in robots in the air, in robots on the ground, in robots in the water or underwater, where there are also drones, is made by, or can be made by machines. And in my book, I quote many official United States government documents which say, our goal is to have the kill decision made by them. The problem is, 
artificial intelligence, sometimes they make mistakes. This is Talon. He's an automatic cannon. <laughs> I mean, they can a lot of ammunition in that thing, and you can also put rockets on it. And it's in Iraq since 2007. Since 2007. Since 2007. Experts. The the AI robot <laughs> Talon has been in Iraq since 2007. Do you know how fast this kind of technology reproduces and then creates new technologies? Like, since 2007, this is basically sliced bread. This this guy here, Talon, is basically the wheel in terms of war technology and AI-driven war technology specifically. Like, this, we're going back to ancient man when we go back to 2007, right? The damn thing got out of control and started pointing at the audience. And there was a Marine there, thank goodness, running across the field who tackled it like a football player and threw it on his side and probably prevented a couple hundred people from being killed. Now, this wasn't reason enough to take a lucrative contract away from the company that built it, and it wasn't enough to take the talent out of Iraq. It's just sort of off-duty for that moment because... You know, it, uh, there, there were some early stages of development, you know, that, that kind of problem. But don't underestimate artificial intelligence because it's Thank getting you, better KB. every day. doubles in processing power every and it's 18 going to scare months. Us. And now I'm right at the right time where I say stop. <laughs> Ducks Regionist, good comment. But we can't beat the Taliban. Exactly. Um, one of my friends, uh, the voice of reason, Adam Jay, who you'll hear on the Common Discourse podcast we're recording one of those this weekend, by the way. I don't know when. We'll find a time. Um, my Polish friend, back when uh, everyone was going crazy about terrorism and the Taliban and stuff, and he, he's such a cool cat, and he was like, what are we worried about here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's terrorism and when they, they're coming in and everything. He's like, yeah, but what is ISIS? And I'm like, what do you mean what is ISIS? They've got cells. They've got this. They've got that. We need technology. He's like... Yeah, but what is it what we're fighting overseas? Like, what are, what are our guys going overseas to fight? And I'm like, well, you know, the, the networks and stuff. He's like, no, no. Essentially, what we're fighting is a bunch of people riding on the back of pickup trucks with machine guns. That's, that's, that's pretty much it. Like, that's, that's what we're spending billions of dollars on in Afghanistan and Syria and Iraq is fighting people riding around on the backs of trucks with machine guns with flags. <laughs> He's right. He's right. That's not to minimise the threat that exists in, you know, countries and, you know, embedded cells and all of that shit. I get all that. But that's really what you're fighting. And you, you can't eliminate that, you know. For every person that you bomb in the Middle East... Uh, there's going to be two or three or four or five children or cousins or nephews or nieces who go out and buy a pickup truck and strap a machine gun to the end of it. It's it's a never-ending war, and that's why we're fighting it. It's like the war on drugs. The war on drugs and the war on terror. It's two sides of the same coin. It's a way to drag us into perpetual wars constantly until we die, basically because I want to take a look now. This has all been here and now technology. Let's go to the future. Not far, just a little bit to the internet of things, to artificial intelligence as 
being spread out. It's not a central machine in a box where you can pull the plug. Artificial intelligence is networked, like the Internet of Things. And part of it may be in a smart watch or a refrigerator or in a supercomputer. And the intelligence exists only by networking it together. If the supercomputer needs more computer power, it goes there and gets it out of the Internet. If the computer needs better programs, it goes there and gets those programs. And if it needs more information, more data, it goes there and gets more data. It sets up a spontaneous network for its needs, which collapses when it no longer needs it. It does this, it does this without us. And you have to imagine, like, these are, there are these intelligence nodes all over the place. And they're like drops of mercury on a glass table. They will find their way to each other. They will find their way together. Now, we have to be very careful because survival is an issue for artificial intelligence. It needs to exist to be able to do the things it wants to do according to its program. So it lays, like insect eggs, backups and computer programs all over the world, thousands and thousands of them, so that if we do destroy part of it, it's still alive. My job to you is the wake-up call to make you aware of the problem. Your job is to figure out how we're going to stop this before it kills us. All right. Let's get back to it. She's so good, this girl. Ten, fifteen hours of your love. Fifteen hours. How about fifteen minutes? I can do fifteen minutes. Fifteen hours, I'm not so sure. This one was sent through by my... Best mate in the world, Greeno from the starting block. He said you should check out Serena Williams. You might you might get a kick out of this. Let's have a look. Her on court interview. Hi, Serena. Happy New Year. Happy nice New Year, you. Serena. Congratulations on the match. Most Curia. players who haven't played a real official tournament since the U.S. Open need a little time to develop their confidence. You're, you've never been like most players. How do you rate your performance so far here at the Australian Open? Because it looks pretty strong from our seat. Um, yeah, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy match tonight. Jeannie has been to the finals of Wimbledon and, you know, she's been to the semifinals of other Grand Slams. So I know that, all right, Serena, you got to come out hot. You got to come out firing. I mean, she's a really good player. So, um, yeah, I haven't had many matches since last year, but it's okay. You know, <laughs> I got time to spend um, with my daughter. So that mattered the most. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I was really concerned about my opponent, but, you know, it wasn't too bad. I got to spend time with my daughter. (laughs) Oh, God. She might be the greatest tennis player who's ever lived, but she's one of the most fake individuals who's ever been captured on camera, Serena Williams. Of that, I'm certain. Of that, I am 100% certain. All right. The last one. Let's, fuck, I can't believe. How long have we been going now? What are we in now? 
hour six. Jesus. This is not good. This is not good. <clears throat> Got to loosen up. Getting warmed up. <laughs> Native American tribe funk. Uh, <laughs> Native American tribe fights Trump's border wall. All right, let's go. Let's do it. Video unavailable. What the fuck is this, Ben K. Veritas? What are you doing to me, man? Come on now. Come on now. Over my dead body. Tribe aims to block Trump's border wall on Arizona land. Donald Trump's proposed border wall could face a major obstacle in Arizona, where an indigenous tribe has vowed to oppose construction on its land, paving the way for potential mass resistance following the model of Standing Rock. The Tohono O'Hudlam Nation, Hoodlam, Hudam, a federally recognised tribe with a reservation that spans seventy-five miles, not much, of the U.S.-Mexico border, announced on Thursday that it does not support the wall and criticised the White House for signing an executive order without consulting the tribe. Yes, Donald Trump should answer to the tribesmen who own seventy-five miles of borderland. The president is beholden to the tribes, ladies and gentlemen. Why do you think there was a tribe, a a tribal elder being pushed in the media recently? Why do you think that happened? Why do you think that happened? Come on now. Do you see what I'm saying? Can you pick up what I'm dropping? The Tohono Udom's statement calls for a meeting with the president. (laughs) We demand to see the president. Who the fuck doesn't? And comes after a tribal vice chairman declared the government would build the wall over my dead body. That's not the kind of uh, threat you want to make to the president, I think. Just generally generally speaking. As a general rule of thumb, don't threaten the president with, you will meet with me, you will build this wall over my dead body. Uh, Traditionally, presidents over the years have been... somewhat attracted to the idea of dead bodies for their political aims. I'm not saying Donald Trump is that way, but it happens, right? So, you know, just chill out, bro. Chill out, bro. Don't don't make threats, bro. Don't make threats. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Earlier in his first week in office, Trump also promised to push forward the Dakota Access Pipeline, which last year attracted an unprecedented gathering of Indigenous groups to back the Standing Rock Sioux tribe, Sioux, is that how you say it, Sioux, in its fight against the oil project. The Tohono O'Dam tribe, which has roughly 28,000 members and controls 2.8 million acres of reservation in southwestern Arizona, has long struggled with the militarised international border that was drawn through the middle of its traditional lands. Yes, I bet they have. Um, you wouldn't get on well in Europe, can I say. The Tohono Udam tribe, who is concerned about one country drawing one border between their lands, uh, you know what? In Europe, everybody is always conflicted about all of the borders all the time. You know those evil Europeans that don't understand where you come from and your culture and shit? Yeah. Try talking to somebody from, quote-unquote, Prussia. Prussia, which is sometimes Germany and sometimes Poland. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out as you go along. Some parts of southern Germany are sometimes Austria as well. Sometimes Sweden is Finland and sometimes Finland is Norway. You know know what I mean? Are you with me, bro? 
Everybody always fights over borders. Trust me. You're not special. You're not a, you are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. So somebody created a border on your land. Guess what? Welcome welcome to the fucking the welcome to the lesson of human history. the 1954 Webster's Dictionary, the word occult is defined as hidden from the eye or understanding. The phrase occult sciences means certain so-called sciences in the Middle Ages as alchemy, necromancy, or magic and astrology. The word esoteric is taught only to a select number and not intelligible to a general body of disciples, designed for and understood only by the initiated. Oh, no. And that's been the way a lot of symbolism has been used. <laughs> I've just been outed. I use the word esoteric in probably one of every three podcasts or live streams that I ever do. Now, all of a sudden, I've been outed as a member of the Illuminati. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Pardon me. Used. Carry on. Wielded against a public generally kept ignorant of its deeper meanings for a long, long time, ourselves included. But I don't know if you guys have noticed not just how dark, but blatantly occultic society is getting as a whole. And I'm not just talking about those music award shows which get more and more in your face every year to the point that this year you had Taylor Swift singing about how she wanted to be lit up in front of a giant cobra or Nicki Minaj. To be fair, though, Taylor Swift can do whatever she wants, as far as I'm concerned. Who's with me? Lads, who's with me? <laughs> singing a song down in the Oculus with giant gold unicorns coming up out of the stage while she had giant gold ISIS wings on her back. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the movies, the TV shows, the products. I mean, it's blatantly everywhere and in your face. Way more than it has ever been. I'm the owner, I guess, manager, whatever you want to call it. Voice of America. In New York City. I guess the best term for it would be an occult supply store. We don't do spells for people. We sell them the ingredients to do them themselves. You are going to... Just correct me if I'm wrong. Voice of, Voice of America is like a very, very famous brand name that goes back to like the 1940s or something, doesn't it? Voice of America. Is that right? Pretty sure that's right. Voice of America. I think that's like an old-time radio station or something, right? Use witchcraft mm. against Justice Kavanaugh. Yep. What is the ritual that you are undertaking? Well, there will be effigies, photos, um, graveyard dirt, coffin nails, open flames, the whole bit. It's called the TV Ritual Challenge. The instructions for this ritual is you get an old... Analog television with uh, static. You turn the volume up and you turn the lights off. Now you repeat a phrase three times. I ask all those who wonder about this world manifest. Hell. Ben, I'm gonna have to put this in the in the later list because it's it's fucking fifty minutes long. <laughs> I'm gonna have to put this in the later list. I'm afraid. All right, let's look at Ilan Omar. 
quote, lots of Americans agree with me that Trump is blackmailing Senator Graham over his homosexuality. I thought this was a, uh, this was a brilliant troll by Ilan Omar. And look, you don't have to, th- I feel like I have to break this down every single fucking time. You know what? I don't have to break this down every single fucking time. You guys are smart enough to know what a what memes are, how what how trolling works, how uh, people are effective at um, perpetuating like a cancerous narrative in the system. You know this stuff. This was this was grade A gold tier from Ilan Omar. The worst thing that she did. Like, if I'm putting myself in a Democrat position, the worst thing that she did was um, step back from it. She should never have stepped back from this position. She should have just carried on. Oh, no, absolutely. Lindsey Graham is gay. Everybody knows it. Donald Trump's got blackmail on him. She should have just carried this through to 2020. That's what I would have done. If I was her advisor, that's what I would have said. Yeah, you should just carry on with it. Nobody's going to care. Like, you'll just, all you're doing is infecting the system. And to people who say, oh, my God, you can't do that. You can't say that. That's horrible. I would say to you, well, it worked pretty well for us in 2016, did it not? Like, we've been saying some pretty horrible shit about Democrats for a few years. So you've got to expect, um, you know, a bit of retaliation. You've got to expect a bit of blowback. So don't get emotional. Don't get crazy. Don't be like, oh, my God, you can't do that. And wave your arms in the air like a hysterical person running out of a burning building. Don't do that. Just absorb it, take it, and, you know, counteract, counterpunch. That's what it's all about. The message about the the kind of inclusive societies we can all Mm. live in. Well, positive one. We need to ask you about this. You tweeted, we're going to put this up on the screen, regarding uh, Republican Congressman Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, I believe we we have this tweet saying, they got him, he is compromised. Uh, And there it is. (laughs) I wonder if you'd explain what what you were talking about there. This this has sparked a fair amount of criticism, uh, not just from... Like, you know it's a good meme when CNN is calling you out, right? (laughs) Republicans, can you explain that comment? So over the last three years, um, we have seen many times where uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham has told us how dangerous this president could be if we were, he was given the opportunity to be in the White House. Oh, she's good. And she's all of good. a sudden, he's she's made um, not only a, a 180 turnaround, but a 360 turnaround. And so I am pretty sure uh, that there is something happening um, with him, whether it is, um, uh, you know... By the way, if there's parts of the live broadcast that are cutting out for you, just um, head over to iTunes or Podbean or iHeartRadio or Player FM or whatever, or just put the Daily Boogie into Bing or Google, and you'll see like a link where you can go and listen to the podcast. So if if there's pa- if there's parts of the live stream that are cutting out, just go back, listen to the podcast. You'll hear the parts that you missed. Let's carry on. Uh, something that has to do with his uh, funding when it comes to running for for office, whether it has uh, something to do with the polling that they might. Oh, she's um, uh, ha- so she's bringing she's bringing funding into it. Like it's all about money. Remember, the Democrats' push in 2020 is going to be about class. 
So 70% tax rates on the uber rich. Remember the ultra millionaires, ladies and gentlemen? Remember we were talking about that about probably four hours ago or something? <laughs> the ultra millionaires, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, these are the these are your enemy. This is what you need to focus on. Nobody who is a billionaire should say things like this. Um, she's, she's memeing Lindsey Graham and Donald Trump at this point successfully. She's saying, oh, well, it's probably about donations to the GOP. The only reason that Lindsey Graham hasn't been outed for this rumour is because of all the money that flows into politics. It's very good. Like, I, I can't help but tip my hat to people who are really good at this stuff. And this is the point I'm trying to make. The Democrats are learning. They're learning how to meme you. You've got to be aware. You've got to be awake. You've got to be ready. And, like, don't get pissy. Don't get emotional about it. Just take the hit and punch back. Take the hit, punch back. Take the hit, punch back. You know, somebody... It, it's it's a really confronting feeling to get punched in the face. Anybody who hasn't been punched in the face doesn't know what it feels like. But if you have been punched in the face, you know what it feels like. And, like, the first time you're, you're, you're in total shock, but the second time you're in a little bit less shock. You should, know, you should not be in shock about getting punched in the face at this point. You should take it in your stride. You should, be, you should wear it like a badge of honour. Like, oh, the Democrats are punching me in the face again. I guess I better, like, wind up my haymaker. You know what I mean? In, in his district or whether it has to do with um, some sort of uh, leadership within uh, the Senate. He is somehow uh, compromised to no longer stand up for the truth uh, and, and to, to make sure that he is uh, fighting um, to, to protect the oath that he took. Uh, in serving the American people. But, but that, that's quite a charge to make. You say you're pretty sure based on, based on what evidence? What... Even CNN is like, really? <laughs> Even they're like, really? Are you doing this now? Really? Are you really making this comment? <laughs> like, because their, their journalistic integrity is on the line now. Look at her smile. Look at the smirk. She doesn't give a fuck. Really? She, she's like, yep, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. And that's why, I'm, that's why I'm saying, like, respect, like, tip of the hat. She gets the game. She knows what she's doing. You can't be, you can't be timid in this memeing game. You've, you've got to be um, balls on the chopping block. Literally, where she comes from. Like, you've, you've, got to be, you've just got to go all out all the time, hard as. And see, this is the thing. Like, the old moderate Democrats, um, they're still playing the game of, like, the 80s and the 90s. These new Democrats, this is the thing I'm, I'm trying so hard to get through to people. Um, the new Democrats are far more aggressive. They, they know what they're doing. They were, they were brought up in the age of the internet and social media. They know how to engage people. They know how to meme. They know how to interact. Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, right? You, you, you cannot just disregard these people as idiots. That would be unfair on you. Like, that's a, that's a bad assessment on your part. These people know exactly, sorry to steal a line from Rubio, they know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> what facts, that's a remarkable uh, comment to make about a sitting U.S. senator. The, 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 ev the evidence really is um, present to us. Uh, it's being presented to us in the way that he's behaving. But that's not evidence. That, that's your opinion. But now as a sitting member of Congress, 
see <clears throat> Dawn. Thanks for joining us, Dawn. It's good to see you. Uh, Dawn says they are anti-American. That might well be true, but that doesn't matter. A, a lot of people in America are anti-American. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, arguably, <clears throat> it doesn't, like, it should be more concerning for you. Not that this person is anti-American, but all of the people that voted for her are anti-American. That's the problem, right? Do you see? Do you, do you see what I'm getting at here? Like, it's not good enough to just point at a politician and say, "Oh, this person believes in that." No, 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 no. There are, there are, there is a plural, uh, plural. Never pronounce that word. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bunch of people that agree with this politician. That's the problem. And why do they agree? And it's not necessarily because they agree with policy. It doesn't. Nece- why did they vote for them? That's the that's the fundamental issue. That's where you need to like you know that scene in the Bodyguard where Kevin Costner throws himself in front of the bullet in front of Whitney Houston. And my God, wasn't Whitney Houston gorgeous in that movie? Whitney Houston's probably got one of the, the greatest voices I've ever heard in my life. Not towards the end. Towards the end, Bobby Brown ruined her. Plurality. Thank you. <laughs> There's, everybody's got one or two words they, that they just can't pronounce, and that's one of mine for some reason. Plurality. <laughs> you see? <laughs> plurality. I have to actually say plurality. I have to make it like two words, plurality. <laughs> and then it doesn't sound like the one word at all, does it? <laughs> but that scene in um, body, The Bodyguard where Kevin Costner throws himself in front of the bullet. I forget the point. <laughs> These people are essentially good essentially good at understanding how trends work on social media, how to hijack them, how to utilize them to their advantage. And it's not good enough to just sit back and shriek and go, Oh my God, I don't know why. Why are you saying these things? It's offensive. It's horrible. Like I don't like late term abortions either, but they're happening. They're happening. Like, the game is why. Why? Why, 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 why? Why are people voting for this person? Who is voting for this person? It's not the person. The person is not... The People never vote for a person. They vote for things. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference, right? So the person that's running who gets voted in, to the voter, essentially, like 95% of people, and again... I'm trying to express this like as honestly as I can. Those of us who are engaged like on a daily basis on the political comings and goings of daily life, we are an eeny teeny tiny little minority of people. Most people are not like us. We are freak shows. We are geeks. You know what I mean? Most people do not give a fuck about this stuff. But people don't vote for a person. They vote for things. So what things are they voting for and what person can best represent those things right see donald trump i think again if you go back a long time i think donald trump is the i hate politics vote i hate politicians i don't think it was a representation of people hating the left 
I don't think it was a representation of people hating the right. I think it was a representation with the with the record numbers of first time voters of people hating politics. I hate politics, so I'm voting for the non-politician in the crowd. You have to be able to bottle that atmosphere. You have to be able to bottle that 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 charm. Do you know what I mean? It's very difficult to do. But that was two years ago, three years ago now. Like, here's the thing. If you're still talking about 2016, even though I have done, so forgive me, if you're still talking about 2016 and how good it was, you're going to lose. Like, it's time to get your war face on. We are closer to 2020 than we are to 2016. It's time to get your war face on. It's time to get ready. It's time to gear up again. It's time to go into the battles again. Um, It's not good enough to just win the trophy. Now you have to defend it. You have to defend the title. Defending the title is much harder, as any sportsman will tell you, because the first time you get everybody by surprise, the second time everybody's hunting for you. Everybody wants to beat you because you were the best team last year. So here's your situation. Last year, ladies and gentlemen, MAGA folks, you were the best team last year, and now everybody has been trying to figure out a way to beat you. That's what they've been spending every single waking minute on while you've been kicking back and, you know, thinking about, ah, it's going to be okay, it's all sweet, don't worry about it. They've been figuring out ways to beat you. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Like, congratulations, you won the trophy one year out of 35. (laughs) What what, What do you want, a fucking ceremony? Do you want a parade? The battle's only just begun. Got to get your head in the game. Long-term goals, not short-term wins. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's a good time to jump off. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for joining us, everyone, in the chat. James R., the owner and CEO of TAVshow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back on Sunday night with James R. on Trust and Verify. Thanks for joining us, Your Excellency. Sandra, Liz Scenic Root, Ducks Regionus, absolutely fantastic contributions. Angela, Kim Boyd, Poppy Lane, I think she's probably asleep by now. Tracy and AK, Liz, Jules, Monica, Kimmy Jong-un, the General Eaton. What I've, I've had an issue tonight, if I can just put this out there, I've had an issue tonight. OC Mike, thanks for joining us. I've had an issue tonight where um, I'm I'm monitoring the chat on my phone because I'm not using my Restream account. This is going to be very nerdy stuff. Don't mind me. It's very nerdy stuff. So I haven't been using my Restream account because I couldn't connect to my Restream account. So I've been monitoring the chat on my phone. And every 10, 15 minutes, I have to pick up the phone and reboot it because like all of the chat just disappears all of the bubbles just disappear. And as soon as I pick it up and reload Periscope, everyone's there and I've probably missed like 5,000 comments. So if I missed a, you know, an important comment, if I missed you saying something, I apologize. It's not my fault. I promise I was trying to read all of them. I have been rebooting my phone every like 10, 15 minutes for the last six hours. <laughs> so I genuinely apologize. Dawn Johns, thanks for joining us. Stefan Sears, follow Q. Everyone else, anyone I might have forgotten. 
Hang on. One more thing. Just remember, your opponent in this in this in this game, right? It's all a game. Everything is a game. Everything from, you know, what you think about a policy, what you think about the other side, you know, this politician, that politician, rumours, muck, innuendo, news stories, feeding. It's all part of a fundamental game. It's all part of a prism and you are part of that prism. And every single action that you make creates actions and every single action that you create creates actions and blah, 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 blah. And the way these people view these things in like game theory terms is like, if we can just get like, you know, 2% more on that particular thing, then we will have 10% more on that particular thing. I'm doing my best. Don't, I, I, I can't urge you enough. Don't feed the outrage cycle. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. This is what they want. This is what they want you to do. And you might have fundamental problems about like serious shit, like abortions and stuff. I'm here to tell you, if, if you do the outrage hashtag, you are only helping them. You are giving their activists reasons to get up in the morning. You've got to be smarter than that. When Ilan Omar comes out and says, oh, well, you know, Lindsey Graham's gay and he's being protected by Donald Trump because of bribery and stuff, you should, you should sit back and applaud it. There are very few things that can disarm uh, proficient political operatives, but one of those things is pure laughter. Pure. Don't pretend like you've got to mean it. You've, you've really got to sit back and laugh and mean it because when you find, when you, when you realize what's being done to you and when you see the web of um, intended confusion being cast upon you as like a general citizen walking around in the world, observing media, watching TV, you know, all of these influences, these conversations that you have with people, once you, once you get, you will, you, I promise you, you will get to this point where you can stand back and just you'll see it happening in front of you. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And you will forever have this ability to see the web being, you know, manufactured in front of you and the different talking points, and, the, and it's like injections of energy into this, into this field of view that you have. And you, you'll laugh, and you'll be like, oh, my God, this is so obvious now. I, I can't believe I was sucked in by this. I can't believe it. And it'll be a beautiful, enriching moment for you. And it will come. But the, f- the first fundamental step is don't feed the outrage cycle, even though you want to, even though it might be politically expedient for you to do so. I can't urge enough. Diffuse outrage with love. I know it sounds very hippie, 
but it's literally the most effective thing that you can do. Diffuse the anger with openness. Diffuse the outrage with love. That's how you win. That's how you win. With that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute marathon. The People Show. <sighs> I feel like stretching. Till next time, stay calm. I don't. I don't know how Closer does this every night. I don't know. Uh, he must he must be getting electrical charges into his spine every 20 minutes. <laughs> like, wake him up. I, uh, I'm not even sure at this point if, if Closer is a real person or if he's like a bot. Closer might be a bot. He might be a hologram. <laughs> he might be a hologram. No, I'm just kidding. He knows I'm just kidding. I like Closer. He likes me. It's all good. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, till Sunday night, actually recording with Trust and and Verify, recording with The Common Discourse tomorrow at some point. I don't know when. Floating time slot. Look, to be honest, to be brutally honest with you, there's only 200 people that follow that account. So maybe there'll be 20 people watching. And of the 20 people watching, whenever you're watching, you might enjoy it. To everyone else, fuck you. (laughs) <laughs> you have no you do not want to follow the common discourse TCD tweet you do not want to say it it's going to be very triggering it's going to be very offensive to everybody of, of, of course I'm sure you don't want to say it but we'll be recording a podcast at some point tomorrow uh, my good friend Adam J just got back from Poland Poo Land as it's otherwise known uh, he's been in Poo Land his ancestral home his actual home because he's a Polish national I'm sure he's been attempting to impregnate every Polish woman <laughs> that he casts sides on. <laughs> and I'm going to show him what I just said there, and he's going to slap me over the back of the head for saying that. <laughs> but we'll, we'll be doing um, the common discourse tomorrow. European politics, American politics, Australian politics, and everything that that entails. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, Thank you for joining us. <laughs> James wants to smack Adam on the head. I, I wouldn't. He was Polish military, man. You don't want to fuck with Polish military. Like, Eastern Europeans don't fuck around when it comes to the army, brother. <laughs> like, they know how to kill a man, not just with a chair, but pieces of a chair. <laughs> he's hardcore. But he's a good man, and he'll do, he'll do anything for you, and he'll never fuck you. Trust him. All right. Till next time, guys. Stay calm. Stay rational. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye.